and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 432. I'm your host, Chris Zoner. Joined, as always, by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. Got quite the show this week, a Patreon-requested show. As uh, William Lanham put down the $25 to uh, have us do this show for the week. And if you want to do that, patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. You go there. Like I said, you put down 25 50 or 100 and you can have your show on the air. 50 gets you a segment on the show, 100 for the whole show, but 25 gets your show done regardless. So uh, go there and uh, we can make your show happen. But uh, before we get into it, um, how's everything going with you this week, Bix? Fine, I guess. That's good. Got another long show ahead of us, though, but we'll see. Yeah, well, (laughs) it just worked out that way. That was uh, William's pick. And um, it's something we've never done before, and a lot of stuff going on during our week, so let's go ahead and uh, get this show on the road here as we go back to the week that was November 15th to the 21st of 1998, and we're going to start with the World Wrestling Federation, where all most of the big stuff's going on. With Vincent Mann getting out of the wheelchair totally healthy, Shane McMahon turning heel, and The Rock turning heel after winning the day of title, in the same exact scene as Survivor Series last year in Montreal, you didn't think the weekend in the movie airing and most of Canada would go unnoticed, but this time Earl Hebner tried to do the right thing. It was overruled by heel Shane. And becoming the much-anticipated corporate champion in the, of the WF, the WF Survivor Series nickname, A Deadly Gabe, could in hindsight probably be called A Matter of Personal Taste. Oh, what was it nicknamed? You know what I just noticed that I and never you, noticed before? And you want to and you want to put put Jim Johnson in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> the, the thing I just noticed though was as I, after I played it, it's the same song as the Mister McMahon and his ass theme. Jim Johnson had some good stuff, but he had a lot of bad, a lot of bad. I mean, he's putting out he's a lot overrated. of volume. He's overrated. <laughs> Sorry, but anyway. If you watch pro wrestling largely or entirely for storyline or a soap opera, as the majority of the viewers do today, this is a very good show. If you watch pro wrestling for wrestling, it was a bad show. If you watch for both, your opinion would be somewhere in between. Dave gets the answers. Everyone watched pro wrestling for entertainment. At that point, it becomes what entertains you. Now, what if they're watching wrestling, though? Well... But, uh, but Dave, I mean, like Dave said, everybody watches whatever they watch for different reasons. You know, and that's become a, a thing today, especially with AEW trying to get more into the entertainment side of things. That the people that were big AEW fans because it was more of a wrestling show are having a hard time, you know, with this change. You know, and that that's the thing that has been you know going on for decades now, since basically the Monday Night War when wrestling changed. You know everything it was about, basically. Or you can go, you can, hell, it goes back to the '80s when WWF started their expansion. You know, look at all the hatred by the uh, newsletter fans for WWF in '84 and '85 because that was not the wrestling they were used to. It was more entertainment, but it was it's, it's highly successful. Both those run this era and the '80s. So. 
it, it attra- attracted those fans that watched just for the soap opera and storylines and all that good shit. Hmm. That's what brings in the, the casual masses. So, there you go. The November 15th show at the Keel in St. Louis drew a sale of 19,322. It was on some television at $21,770. And Dave has no idea why the real number, why, why they did that, because the real number is impressive enough. With $17,966, paying $470,845, plus another $147,448 merchandise, which isn't a record attendance for the city, but is a record gate. Although both the attendance and gate records will be broken next month, as Nitro will be at the TWA Dome on December 21st, and as of the weekend, have sold 26,000 tickets for more than $860,000. And, of course, that would be the Nitro where Ric Flair had his heart attack. Dave's reaction to watching where the shows was, was going... poisoned by Eric Bischoff, and then the storyline was dropped, technically. Pretty much, yeah. Dave's reaction to watching the shows was going on is kind of boring and disappointing, particularly from the bracketing. This appeared to be the heads and shoulders above all the recently paid me off rigs from every company. Four hours is too long, as has been said at the everyday pay-per-view. Well, just you wait. To Dave, it's a bad sign that the show's dragging. You're looking at clock figure. How many minutes are left for us going to end? When the show was over, it was obvious. With Rock as the heel champion, building up to Steve Austin, match at WrestleMania. With guys like Mankind, Kane, Triple H for a semifinal spot underneath a hot Austin match. And Undertaker's possible challengers leading up to that point. The storyline for business, this is going to work and was very well executed. And at least partially unexpected. Even if nearly everyone had Rock pegged as a champion come out of the show. But a lack of talent death was noticeable and problems with the length of the show amplified by the lack of heat for all but the trademark spots, which everyone wastes the pop for. But it was still something largely boring as was going on. But far too much emphasis put on Vincent Mann. And don't think the wrestlers aren't noticing any differently than WCW crew in the early days of Eric Bischoff on TV before the morale finally reached the current level with a good ending. I mean, yeah, it was pretty obvious that Rob was going to come out as champion, but the storyline and the ending, you know, was, you know, could have been a surprise for people that didn't know. I mean, the twist, yeah, the twist is not him winning. It's the twist is him turning heel, or should I say revealing that he had not actually turned babyface. Yes. Because he hadn't been a babyface for very long. He... I guess you could really say he starts being a babyface after the September pay-per-view. Yeah. Where he's mainly cheered, and then they just kind of start to go with it for the next couple months, and then they do this. Which, that's the part that I feel, at least with hindsight, works the best about it, is that it, it explains him... It explains him acting like a babyface, because there was no there was no pivot point or anything. It just kind of happened, you know. And they didn't really make any effort to flesh it out. You see, when those deals with the fans just started cheering the guy, and they just ran with it, right? But obviously, there was something else on the horizon, though. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Russo has ever explained when he come, came up with the idea, though. And it's him, so who knows how reliable that would be. 
Well, that, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, the only dark match saw uh, too cool or whatever they were at this time. They're Brian not Christopher even too and Scott much Taylor. yet, I don't think. Are they? Or, yeah, too much. Too much. Or they just sure. started being so, too much. Yeah. Yeah, just start being too much. Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor beating the Hardy Boys. And when he says dark, he means literally not on TV because then we have the heat matches. Yes. Heat has Bob Holly Scorp- and Scorpio teaming up to beat uh, Animal and Draws in 217 in the first match of the Live Sunday Night Heat show. Real bad with no heat, like negative star caliber. Holly and Scorpio are Snow's job squad. They did the Doomsday Device on Scorpio and Draws set Scorpio for a powerbomb. Snow ran in and hit Draws in the face with, with head, and Scorpio got the pin. God, this so, sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Valvinus beat Tiger Ali Singh. Oof. <laughs> and 236 with a fisherman suplex. They're debating who the father of Terry Reynolds' baby is, if it isn't Val. How about Brian Pillman impregnated her extraterrestrially or in a one-year delayed reaction? Anyway, Singh is a step slow in every spot. Godfather came out and was supposed to whip Singh to the ring post, except Singh whips past the post and never touched it. Poor Michael Cole sold it, sold it like he had, and they went right to the finish. He whizzed Ugh. past the post. I'd expect Val to be able to do that, based on his gimmick. But. <laughs> Tiger Ali Singh, God Almighty, what a what a disaster! Yeah. And the problem is, you couldn't make him a manager because he's so fucking tall. He was like yeah. DDP in the in the early nineties. Yeah, but DDP was actually a good promo. Well, there's that too. DOA came out and were attacked by Bradshaw and Farouk in matching costumes, but without the jackal. Bradshaw and Farouk wound up leaving DOA and Paul Ellering Lane in seven new angle before the officials broke it up. It was a quick deal, and they cut to an Outlaws interview when the headbangers Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown all attacked each other in the backstage brawl. Got a little redundant, since it was exactly the same brawl preceding it. By the way, at this point, Dave is still writing head bangers, even though they've been in the company for almost two years, and that's not how their name is spelled. Well, yes. Save the interview, which she guaranteed she won the title, which she did, was jumped from behind by Jacqueline, had been distracted by Mark Merrow, and hit the net with a title belt. They did show a glimpse of Terry Polk, who hasn't been seen of late, in a crowd shot just when the angle started. How long was she on TV then? A while. But yeah, this is one of those deals that people forget that uh, the original Acolytes deal was involving the Jackal. Well, they were the Jackalites. That was the original name. Yep, the, Very the Jackalites, yep. Yep. Then they became the Acolytes once he got booted, but they weren't really anyone's Acolytes for a few months <laughs> until they got hooked up with Undertaker. Just think, if he would have stayed in the company, they would have been losing everybody, just like his guys do now. <laughs> Gangrel I, I think beats the, Steve I, Blackman. I think the issue with the booking there, though, is more his buddy's vortex. Well, Gangrel beats Steve Blackman in 321 with implant DDT at the edge. Came off the top rope and missile drop kicked the Blackman's back. Christian gave Blackman a diamond headbutt after the match. At that point, Blue Blazer... Generally speaking, the Blue Blazer's own heart. When Hart and the Blazer are together, the guy in the Blazer costume has been Jeff Jarrett. On Raw, on the 16th, the Blazer was Tom Pritchard. 
came from the ceiling a la Sting, but had trouble unhooking himself and ended up being hung a few feet above the ground as a sitting duck for Blackman the nail before being dragged up, dragged back up. The whole deal's a spoof on the Sting angle. The only reason Dave could think of they, why they did on the show since Sting has done it in months is because the Learning Channel special that was airing head-to-head was done in February and focused on Sting coming from the ceiling as one of pro wrestling's hot angles. Okay, I'm going to pull this up because obviously this is important for various reasons. And I had, I had forgotten. And we'll have more on the Learning Channel thing later. Yes, I had forgotten to pull up heat as I usually do when we do this era of pay-per-view. Um, and before we get into the clip or anything, I, we need to be clear on something because there's always been confusion over this for whatever reason. This is the only time Owen ever does any of this, any version, I should say, of this stunt before Over the Edge. All the stuff about how Owen had done it multiple times or whatever people said, that's bullshit. This is the only time. Ever. Yeah. And as, you know, Meltzer and others have pointed out, it's not really the same stunt. And that's because it's much safer. And one of the reasons I want to pull it up is so you can observe what I noticed the last time I watched the clip, which I was probably the first time I watched it since it happened. Which is the, even just looking at the video, you can tell that, I mean, obviously we haven't seen the whole hookup on the, uh, whatchamacallit thing, but, alright, here it is. But, regardless, the, I'm honestly surprised, to a degree, that they leave this in on the network, but I guess not. I mean, it's not like it's, it's not in bad taste in and of itself, but I could see some people not liking it. But, anyway. Blackman knew what hit him. Well, I, you know what? Once again, I have a, a problem with uh, Gangrel and Edge not being in the Deadly Game Tournament, but I have a problem with hey, Blackman not being hey, in the Hey, it's a blazer! It's the it's blue blazer! The blue blazer descending from the ceiling. What in the world? And Blackman, he's still in La La Land. I don't even think... And now he sees him. Blackman's going to be in trouble if he doesn't die. Okay. Look at how more, how much more robust that looks than the thing that Martha Hart showed on Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. That actually looks like it could support a human being. Yeah. The Blazers hit some uh, turbulence. Well, he's, 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 looks like he's stuck in that harness. It's, now he can't get out. He's stuck. The idiot is stuck in the harness. The Blazer was dropping in, but he got a little hung up. Didn't he think about that beforehand? The controller, a, a human pinata. I think the same guy planned Blazer's attack as planned General Custer's attack on the Indians. I think Blackman's gonna knock him until the candy comes out. Look at this. Well, he's just a sitting duck. He can't. He's caught in his cape. In his I mean, what type harness? Now he's going back up. Well, what type of a fool comes down and they can't get out of the harness? I'm begging somebody to crank him up as quick as you can, please. And look at him. This is nonsense. Unreal. Blackman, this is ridiculous. Hey, wait a minute. What's Black- this? Rock, Jabroni. Hold come on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right on. I'll tell you what, the people's champ will come out when he's ready. You three jabronis, what you want to do? You go right up the people's hall, hang out left right there. There's a big box of Dunkin' Donuts for your three Rudy Pooh. Get him the ring now. You want you on now. Come on. The thing I notice, you know, is, um, like you said, the... The harness was more was it was bigger, and 
it just, I don't know. And the thing is, though, is what what Dave what, what Dave is saying though is now they're doing it because of the learning channel thing. That's the thing. So why were they doing it in May of '99 when Sting had long quit doing that spot? You know, there's the Russo version, which I don't believe, but I, at this point, because he really, and we should, like, people who act like he's responsible, he's not. Um, I think we talked about this before a little, but, like, I think his version is maybe more bad memory and whatever guilt he does feel just for being indirectly involved. Maybe. But his version is that he was told that these riggers were going to be there. Could you write something for them into the show? So he's like, ah, well, you know what? We did the thing with Owen. Let's do that again. But what we know from court testimony and everything, that does not seem to be the case. Because they had... They had initially called the same riggers about doing it again at the TVs in Orlando. What was it, like, a couple weeks before the pay-per-view in May? So... Yeah. You know, and then when... uh. They turned it down because they had specifically asked if you could do some kind of quick release. WWF had asked. But then they were like, oh, God. Or no, 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 no. They didn't turn it down. They said, you know, same rate as usual, same way as usual. And then because it was in Orlando specifically, the riggers got worried. Oh, God, they're going to find someone to do it cheap and do it the way they want. And then told his assistant, go call, undercut me and say you'll do it at cost to do it the right way. And they told him it had been cancelled, but it was really, you know, rescheduled for Kansas City. So, I don't like, yeah, based on the, like, undisputed facts, I don't know why they suddenly did it, other than just he was going to win the title, so they wanted to give him spectacular entrance. But even then, it wasn't supposed to be spectacular, it still ends with him doing the pratfall, where he doesn't go down all the way and does the release a few feet above the mat. Although that my understanding is that was more of a byproduct of Vince and company asking for the quick release. That was not the reason for it. But still, it's like, yeah, you're right. Like, if the Learning Channel thing, bringing the Sting thing back was the reason. And, oh, no, but I mean, Dave did say that's just his guess, though. But it is, well, it is yeah, a fair point is. that Sting uh... hasn't done the gimmick in months, too. Yeah. When it, like, yeah, like, when does he, does he start doing it again, even? No. I don't remember him doing 99. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't remember him doing it. Because then there was the whole conversation about when will it be tasteful for Sting to do it again. But, you're, I mean, yeah, he hadn't done it in a long time. So, I don't know. But Well, it would have never, never been tasteful to do it again, so there you go. I mean, they did do it again, though. I know, that's the sad part, but still, it was never tasteful to do it again. Yeah, but... Anyway, yes, this is the only time he actually did this. Think about what would happen, though, you know, the other time if it would have been one of these other guys that they tried to get to play the Blazer. Oh. I mean, good God. In terms of, like, if if someone else gets killed, you mean? Yeah, what if it was Jeff? I feel like, in a way, it almost makes them look worse. Well, I mean, like, think it's about not this. for I mean, a real I mean, reason, but like it's still bad. But like, go ahead. I mean, think th- think about how you know that 
I know, I mean, Jeff and Owen were real tight, but, you know, that had to play in his mind, too. He's like thinking to myself, that could have been me. I mean, Jeff has talked about how he was diagnosed with PTSD in rehab from Owen's death. But, I mean, mean, knowing that he played the Blazer. That's what I'm saying. On occasion. Jeff hasn't said that that specifically, but it would not shock me if that plays into it. Yeah. You know, and then, mm. you know, and of course, the other thing I guess we have to mention since you said that before we move on, although we'll probably find a better pivot point. I mean, they're lucky that three people were not killed that night because they nixed Max yeah. Mini being strapped to Owen and Owen made contact with Jimmy Corderas yeah. just enough to where Jimmy barely felt it and he got a bump on his head. But a few inches in the other direction, he's dead too. Yeah. Just the whole thing, like, it's just... I still can't, like, it's still just insane also that, like, Vince Vince is like, oh, it takes too long for them to get unhooked. But it's like, when was that ever even an issue? How many of these stunts have you even done? Well, it was with Sting. Because you had Sting that would jump into the ring, and the NWO would have to wait on him to get unhooked before they did anything. It really only happened a couple times, though. I mean, that's, the, I mean, there's still, I mean, that's why you, I mean, that's is it the, really necessary? I mean, is the whole thing really you necessary know? is more the point. Yeah, but. Oh, yeah, it is, it is what it is. All right, the show ended with Vince doing an interview, calling out Rock, Austin, and Shane. It went up with Battle Royal. Most of the guys determined as the show went off the air. All right, the live heat before the pay-per-view drew a strong 3.9 rating. Quarter hours of 3.1, 3.6, 4.2, and 4.8. Yeah, pretty stout. Pretty stout. And at this point, because we did do 98 several weeks back, the Heat is now a full-time weekly show. It is no longer in limited. Yes. Yes. All right. uh, Survivor Series proper started with Mankind pinning Dwayne Gill with with a double R DDT in 30 seconds. Vince did an interview building up Gill. He was a big superstar, including a Southern Hick knock at WCW and a video package of him with long bleach blonde hair. He's shaved bald now, being squashed by Jimmy Snuka. Fans fit the mystery opponent to be Shawn Michaels and booed heavily. Yes, because he's trying. Mankind is the corporate guy in this. So Vince is uh, bringing one of the biggest jobbers they had ever to be the, the guy for the face in the tournament. Yes, I'm queuing up Vince's promo. Although I'm trying to remember, does it is it the Gill thing from the beginning or? Well, let's see. It's not that long, regardless. Oh, he's up out of his wheelchair. He's limping. I have promised you, I've guaranteed you a new WWF champion tonight. I've guaranteed you that this will be a Survivor Series you will never, ever forget. You know, we've talked about this before. Mr. McMahon, on some level, was a more effective character when he still had hints of announcer Vince in him. Well, he's not over the top yet. Right. and But that helped. But he is being over the top villain because it's wheelchair, Vince. But, like... I know, but he's not being... He's not... No, no, no. He's not that. But there's something about it, though, that, like, that the announcer Vince is still there that... I don't know. I don't know if it's just a je ne sais quoi or whatever, but it's... He just looks like he still looks like Vince. Well, that too. Yeah. He hasn't. 
his supplementation hasn't changed to the point he looks like a different person yet. Yes. With that in mind. Oh, there's a good one that we never remember. With that in mind. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to kick off the Survivor Series an introduction to the participants in the very first match. They still had the strike in 1998. An individual who tonight is hopeful of taking one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And of course, course he's got his corporate jig here. That very bizarre, very, quite frankly, magnificent athlete, mankind, the hardcore champion. But I'm still wondering why McMahon has paired mankind with a mystery opponent. And we still do not know or have any... Oh, Vince, Vince has got his cheaters on. Who the mystery opponent is. Well, I can't wait to, to see who McMahon has picked. Oh, I wonder who the crowd thinks it is. In the first round, it must be quite the HBK. athlete. Because apparently Mr. Yeah. McMahon has some prepared statements for this introduction. Remember, he hasn't had surgery yet. No, he's in room to come back. He, do, he does. But we're getting that later. Wrestler. Yeah. Opponent. Tonight... The mystery opponent to square off against mankind. This legend in the ranks of sports entertainment made his WWF debut in 1990. Over the course of the next six years, this charismatic superstar boasted a one-loss record that set new standards here in the WWF. What do you think, JR? Unfortunately, seeking more opposition on his own caliber, this natural athlete jumped ship to the WCW. Whoa! Who is it? And after suffering a massive shoulder injury, this cornerstone of the World Wrestling Federation has been sidelined for the past two years. With his career... On the line, he fought back with resilience, dreaming of this triumphant return to the ring here tonight. Therefore, without further ado, allow me to introduce to you, currently, the coach of the Pasadena Chargers, the man, the myth, Dwayne Gill. Oh, he's pointing at his entrance video. He's got a video. McMahon has had a video prepared of Dwayne Gill, who has spent more time on the canvas than Rembrandt. What? This is Mankind's mystery opponent? No time to run yet. Handpicked by Mr. Vince McMahon? Well, favor me. I'll tell you what. When McMahon told Mankind that... Just a, a second ago by our producers at the Pasadena Chargers 
is an elementary school football team. It's not as as if it came, not as, as if it came from the NFL or something. That's the best part where JR is like, I've been told that the Pasadena Chargers are an elementary school football team. Well, this is quite the auspicious way and the match, to kick off this tournament here to determine a new champion. Dwayne Gill, a perennial preliminary competitor, has been hand-selected by the owner of this company to face mankind in this first round matchup, and that's a double-arm DDT. Yeah, after Mankind put the slippers to him. Look at those shoes Mankind's wearing. Mankind got a big makeover. A cradle. Is that it? Well, I've never seen uh, Mankind use that maneuver before, but in any event. Mankind! It didn't take Mankind long to look at that horseshoe. And the 33-year-old lifelong fan from Long Island, known to his mom and daddy as Mick Foley, has advanced. Boy, isn't that a surprise? Into the quarterfinals of this tournament. All right. Um, just for the record, Dwayne Gill had one match in WCW in October '95. Before he got hurt. Yes, he. His <laughs> last WWF match before that was J- June 5th at the Raw tapings at the Struthers Fieldhouse in Struthers, Ohio, aka the high school gym. Um. Which which they they were running shows there in '83. That was one of the first first places they went when they started moving out of uh, Strictly Northeast. Yeah, and uh, he did have a dark match uh, at a raw taping in April in Richmond, which makes sense. He's from Baltimore. As the masked executioner, losing to getting a tryout, Wellington Wilkins Jr. There you go. All right, Al Snow pinned Jeff Jarrett in 331. Snow did a flip body attack up the steps. They traded moves, but Snow was a little slow, and they didn't work together as well as you would think. Deborah stole head, but Snow got the guitar and whiffed on a home run shot. Jarrett hit Snow with head to the back for a near fall. When the ref distracted, Snow got head and clocked Jarrett with it for the pin. Dud. So it, it, it took Jeff Jarrett a little bit to... Uh, get Vince Russo behind him, as you can see here. But he did. Steve Austin pinned Big Boss Man in 320. Boss Man was beaten on Austin with a nightstick. Uh, decent brawling was too short to build too much and a real weak finish. Boss Man continued attacking with the stick after the match. Half a star. X-Pac went to double count out with Steven Regal in 810 of a match so logical it should have been booked in WCW. The only thing good thing about Regal's presentation as far as his interest music and his facials. Why is that, Bix? Because he's a man. Such a man. man. And, well... Uh, so, wait a second. <laughs> that promo... Oh, no, wait. The pro- when we pulled up a promo recently, it wasn't from our indiv- specific week, or was it? Huh? Or did, was it that was. off air? Was he- it was from our specific... So, he's still on TV at this point, despite... Yes. Obviously being intoxicated on TV. That's what I'm saying. So he was gave a promo where he was clearly intoxicated like a month or so earlier, and he's still on TV. Yeah. You know, okay, so... They they ain't got nobody. Their death is bad. No, but also, 
you know, the whole thing about how guys were complaining and didn't want to work with them, which is Regal's account of what he was told when he was ordered to go to rehab. That makes me think that it was, it started as like a, you know, protect the boys kind of thing. And then it got to the point where every, where the other wrestlers just got fed up that nothing was being done. Cause I mean, if people were complaining about working with him and it, it he had been, he clearly, especially with hindsight has an issue going back weeks and weeks that he can't hide. Then yeah. His work, which had been terrible up to this point, improved where it was decent. But the match was slow-paced for the most part and had no heat. And Regal was working with the best work on the company. Regal didn't use double-arm suplex. The only big pop of the match was for the Bronco Buster. They were fighting outside the ring, and the bell rang on a double count-out. They were showing constant cutaways of McMahon during meeting the matches. McMahon looked mad because he, the double elimination gave Austin a bye. So McMahon had Commissioner Slaughter run out, and that was a sight. In order to match continue to a finish with a five-minute overtime. How can it be a finish when they have a five-minute time limit? Anyway, X-Pac was still in the injury and just walked away. Bell rang. X-Pac walked away to the dressing room instead of raising Regal's hand by forfeit because X-Pac quit. It was still a draw, and both were eliminated. So all that post-match stuff was an illogical waste of time. Three-quarters of a star. What? Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Vince I Russo, forgot about this. I mean, this is even by Vince Russo standards, this is incredibly incoherent. It definitely is. He can't even keep track within like a couple minutes in a segment. Terrible. Can't never be Goldust in five fifty six. Not much heat, but both work better with each other than any match at this point. Shamrock works some spots as if he was the babyface. Shamrock kicked out the bulldog. Gold dusted up Saturn Dream Spot, but ref got in the way. Shamrock did a slip here. Corona come out of the corner, but hit the belly to belly and got the submission. Winning ankle lock. Star and a half. The Rock pinned the boss man three seconds. Triple H had been advertised from the beginning, wasn't even there to do his usual injury angle in the pregame show. <laughs> <laughs> the storyline was that Vince sent a ticket to come. He never responded. Thus, evil Vince was false advertising him, which Dave guessed he was. And now he'll be fine for no showing, even though he has a legit knee injury. Pat Patterson and Joe Briscoe came out crotch chopping like they were in DX, which was a hoot. They told The Rock, even though he should have a bye that he doesn't have, that he doesn't, which makes plenty of sense since the man was already allowing the hated Austin to have a bye, and sent out the already eliminated boss man, ran the ring, got inside cradle the bell, and that was finish. Goodness. Undertaker pin Kane at 7.16. Undertaker desperately needs the time to heal up as he's practically immobile. Kane wasn't selling. Really bad. Both had the other by the throat. But Kane overpowered him and got the choke slam. Paul Bearer stretched to Kane. on Undertaker to come from behind with a tombstone pile driver. And Bearer held Kane's legs to keep from kicking out. After the match, Kane choked on the referee. In very untypical fashion, the, the camera... The very typical... Un in very untypical WWE fashion, the cameras missed it, and the announcers talked about a spot you didn't actually see. Dud. Hmm. <laughs> Not good. Mankind pinned out snow in 355. It was revealed in the split screen that it was McMahon who stole Mr. Sacco, and guess and Dave guess he gave him to head. Snow hit the post hard with a chair. Snow hit super kick on the floor. Mankind came back with a hot shot light maneuver, dropping snow on the chair on the floor. Anyway, Mankind saw Mr. Sacco on head and began attacking head with brutal punches. 
Snow hit a clothesline powerball for near fall, but Mankind came back with a double arm DDT and the Socko Claw for the submission. Half a star. So Mr. Socko's on head. How about that, huh? Isn't that funny? Isn't that hilarious? Sure. The Rock beat Ken Shamrock in H20. Shamrock whipped Rock's shoulders to the step. Bossman came out early. At what point Shamrock used Hurricanrana into a Fujiwara armbar into the ankle lock, but Rock made the ropes. Big pop for the rope break. Rock came back with a float over DP and a low blow hit people's elbow. When Shamrock kicked out of people's favorite move, they got pissed. Shamrock blocked the Rock bottom into a belly to belly. Shamrock called for Bossman to throw him in the ninth stick. Bossman did, but Rock intercepted, hit Shamrock, and pinned him. The spot could have been executed better as if Bossman didn't have a good throw or if Rock didn't catch it. It would have looked foolish. This was nowhere close to their recent TV match. Two and a half stars. Sable pinned Jacqueline to win the women's title in 314. Shame it, man, was the referee. Sable did the TKO early, but Mark Merrill at ringside saved Jacqueline by pulling Sable off of her. Sable hit a low blow. Romero powerballing on the floor. A lot of men at home fantasize about being married to a wrestling babe, but it sucks. If it doesn't suck at home, it sucks in your storyline role. <laughs> more things change, more they stay the same. Jacqueline was choking Sable on the ropes, and her neck came nowhere near the ropes. Jacqueline went for a powerbomb, but Sable powered out and hit her own Sable bomb for the pin. This is bearing most of the matches on the card up to this point. One star. You know, I'm curious to watch a little of this since it's short because I'm curious with hindsight, especially just how well Jackie carried her. So let's take a look at at least some of this. Well, Sable does not have the in-ring savvy that the veteran Jacqueline does. Shane is the referee, by the way, which I like from a storyline point of view, because even though that's his ongoing storyline, it's less conspic- less conspicuous when he's a ref in the other matches. That he's just doing non-corporation stuff here. When Jacqueline broke into the wrestling business, she trained with men more often than women. She is tough. Right. Why don't you just listen to me a little more often, JR? I've been doing this a few years, you know? I know what I'm talking about. I watched you when I was a kid, and I learned something from you every day. Yeah, right. Look at that. Hey, Sable. Nice up there. Good hip lock takeover by Sable. Sable's really been training very diligently for this contest. Oh, man. Marshall's kick right to the face. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Sable said she was determined. She certainly looked that way right now. What is this going to be? TKO? Yes! Sable looking for that, that TKO. Great. She should have it. That should be all. Hey, wait a minute. Woo. Merrill pulls Sable outside. Oh, and, well, you just can't. All that said, the way Jackie's leaning into her kicks and stuff, like, it cannot be stated strongly enough just how much credit Jackie and Luna deserve for Sable getting over to the degree she did in 98. Yeah. Well, as a wrestler, that is. Sable got over for other reasons, but as a wrestler. But yes. I, I think she got more over in 98 because of the wrestler side of the gimmick. Well, I definitely have definitely helped. Her being able to be the tough chick and stand up to Marrow physically and yeah, that definitely, being more that definitely than got her just over the valet. Yeah, I think that got her much more over. And also, I, I'm trying to remember. It, like, is that Sable's ripped out extensions grafted onto Jackie's hair? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Skipped ahead a bit because it's not really Sable. 
her carrying Sable. Oops. Sable got her hair cut by Jacqueline, I should say. And those hard kicks right to the ribs in the midsection by Jacqueline, really taking their toll here. Uh-oh. Sable's in big trouble. He's back up too. Was busted, uh, according to his father, to the rank of lowly referee. Has his hands full officiating this contest. It's funny to see Shane McMahon. Sable is noticeably not really like well, selling and doing facial expressions when she's not in the middle of the move. Like Jackie stopped choking her and she's just not selling it. Hear those shots right in the ribs. Oh, my. Yeah. Ribs. Oh, maybe uh, now Jacqueline may be going to use the Sable ball. Oh, Sable elevates Jacqueline. Still hurt. Tornado DDT oh. in this spot. And here it comes. Oh, man. Sable countered. Jackie is very brave for letting Sable base for her on anything. something just how much better her man how much better she looks as a wrestler against Shaqi and Luna than she does against literally everyone else oh yeah against the two of them it seems like there's something there there's potential for something against everyone else not so much like it I mean it's a shame too for the two of them that like they did not come along in an era where they could have shown more because I mean think about what a task this was she's not a trained wrestler she doesn't like wrestling there's types of bumps she refuses to take and yet you know Jackie and Luna made her look like a million bucks in Luna's case to the point it 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 fooled everyone in the back into thinking Sable was good yeah I don't think she's nearly I think I think she has the popularity I think if they make a playboy deal it's still her I don't think she's nearly as over with live crowds if if not for the Luna and Jackie feuds. Mankind pinned Austin at 10-27. Austin was selling his left arm. Austin wound up ripping the tuxedo and shoes off McMahon. <laughs> Mankind, excuse me, I'm McMahon. I got ahead of myself. Who had the rest of the match in his black McMahon socks? Kind. <laughs> Vince and the and company came out. Austin uh, went for the stunner, but Mankind... Ran away. Briscoe Patterson had talked him into returning. Austin ran out and gave him the three a triple naga knocker. Mankind bat dropped Austin on the floor. Austin closed like Mankind over the partition. Austin tried to cross Mankind, but was reversed. And Austin took a headshot to the post. It may have been nasty because there was some shot Austin took during the match. He gave him a nasty looking bump over his left eye. Austin kicked the chair into his face. And Mankind came back with a double arm DT on the chair. Austin bat flipped Mankind to a chair and hit the stunner. As the rest started to count, Vince had his miracle recovery. Jumped out of the wheelchair and decked referee Mike Yoda. Mankind put a claw on, but Austin broke it with a low blow and delivered another stunner. Shane ran in a second referee, counted the two, then flipped off Austin and started laughing. Briscoe had Austin with a love tap with a chair. Austin laid down for the three with Shane counting. It's lucky nobody takes this stuff seriously because after everything Austin has taken and gotten up from, it makes no sense to lay down for such a weak chair shot. Then they did the getaway car tease. Patterson, Briscoe, and Slaughter got in a limo and fled. Theoretically, Vince and Shane with them. 
Also stole a van and left Athrum three stars. All right, I guess we have to watch uh, watch this here. Shane forgot which uh, Shane and Austin both forgot which side of the ring Austin was uh, chasing around, but he doesn't chase, or if he was going to chase him. That was very weird just now. Yeah, something got miscommunicated because Shane and Austin just stare at each other for a good fifteen seconds. Yeah, and then Austin just gets back to punching mankind. Austin just called something to mankind too. Close line by mankind. Wait a minute. Briscoe on a chair shot. Mankind. I don't know if mankind even saw what happened. Here is your winner, mankind. Did you see that, Jim? Skipping. Go skipping gaily away. The whole group of them. The big man family has nothing to be proud of here. I think something got changed on that finish after whatever the hell that was happened. Yeah. And that, meanwhile. And there they go. Yeah, I'll pick it up in a second when Austin actually almost gets up to the limo. Man. There goes Austin. He's trying to. Well, there goes McMahon's limo, leaving the scene of the crime here. Like nothing more than than robbers. What is he doing? He's carjacking someone. What is he doing? Austin's commandeering that, that vehicle. He threw a guy out of his own. Austin is chasing the McMahon's out of here. I... Hell, I don't believe what we just... This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Shane McMahon signs Austin to a five-year contract in the WWF. I forgot that part of the storyline. Mankind's shoulders down, one, two, three, and refuses... Anyway. So now we have our first big <laughs> angle of the night in that, okay, Vince is healed, Shane is a heel with Vince, and but now we're supposed to think they've all left the building. Yeah, and Austin lost. Yeah. He's out of tournament. Mm-hmm. 
Rock began to take a bad EQ in A23. No heat. Rock, Bear hit Rock with his shoe. Rock hit Bear with some drop. Bossman came back out. Rock hit a DT on a low blow and finally hit the big people's elbow spot. Bossman extracted Rock, allowing Undertaker to sit up. Take it to Bossman and set up a choke slam on the Rock. At this point, Kane ran out and confronted Undertaker and then choke slam Rock for the DQ, eliminating Undertaker. Undertaker heard Earl Hebner for making the call, and he and Kane brawl in the crowd. Three quarters of a star. This is terrible. Well, you weren't going to drop the Undertaker. Not clean. So. New Age Outlaws retain the tag titles being the Headbangers and Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown in 10-10. There's a gigantic sign with the early entire Outlaws ring answer speech on it in huge bold letters. Actually, that was the highlight of the show. They really should have the Outlaws do the same seven-minute ring entrance every night and never have them wrestle because nobody cares once the bell rings. <laughs> there, there is truth to that. Uh, no heat. Sounds familiar. Tons of low blows. One of them got a pop, but by this time, the crowd wasn't even reacting to him. D'Lo and Nice Frankenstein on top on the Mosh. Mosh did a leg sweep on D'Lo. They all try but these three ways while Nice Marketing gave me thanks to Paul Heyman. Almost always stained due to lack of focus. Match ended up pretty well out of nowhere with gun pinning Mosh at their pile driver. One star. Yeah. The New Age Outlaws were definitely the, the entrance. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what memorable New Age Outlaw matches are there? You know? When they're given the opportunity to work normal tags, there are a few good matches, but nothing spectacular. No. No, it's a stick. It's a stick. And then our main event. Rock beat Mankind in 1710 to win the title. Vince and Shane came out. They brought in the crowd, including Rock banging on Mankind with a rubber garbage can. Mankind was badger off on the outside and barricades back in. Mankind hit Rock with a chair, with a hair chair to the back. Hair chair. Uh, Mankind ended up taking a bump with the ring steps on him. And Rock destroyed the steps with hard chair shots. I guess that's supposed to be hard, that hair, but who knows. And then Mankind gave a hard chair to the head, which even Jim Ross noted killed brain cells. I'm sure it did. Mankind did about the apron. Tried leg drop while Rock was on the English language announcer's table, but the move actually missed. Mankind back dropped Rock over the top. Back in the ring, Rock had a DDT. Jim Ross started turning on it, trying to make the, crowd, trying to make the match a classic. But it seemed too hard for a match that was good, but the crowd wasn't reacting like it was a great match. Mankind took a bump in the middle of the ropes through the Spanish table. Rock was hitting it with pieces of the broken table. Rock hit a people's elbow, but Mankind kicked out. Mankind came back with a double RDT and the Socko Claw. Fans actually booed Socko. Rock broke the claw and hit Rock Bottom and then put on a sharpshooter and Vince called for the bell. You've probably seen and heard that scene about a thousand times over the past 12 months. Shane, Vince, and Rock all hugged. When Mankind complained, about the vents, Rock hit him with mine with a belt and gave him the rock bottom. Also showed up and the McMahons ran away, leaving Rock the brawl with him and of course getting nailed with the stunner. For good measure, I'll see a man coming on the stunner to Avengers Finn follows early in the show. Three and a half stars. Well, I guess we need to watch this finish. So let's go to the clip. A long two count. Mr. McMahon sweating bullets over there. Uh oh. It's designer sweat, I'm sure. Rock is the eyebrow. Oh, sharpshooter. There's a sharpshooter. Sharpshooter. Hey, they can't say ring the bell. Wait a minute. What? You smell what the rock is doing. 
And you can also, you can also believe that each and every one of you are just as pathetic and gullible as mankind. Whoa. I'll be happy to elaborate a great deal more tomorrow night. However, one other thing, and that is I would like to publicly state on behalf of the McMahon family that we are so proud here tonight for a number of reasons. One of them is because tonight Stone Cold was utterly, totally, royally screwed in this very ring. Sickening. And if there's one man, if there's one man who has any more contempt for Stone Cold other than myself, and all of you, it has to be the man who absolutely loathes and detests each and every one of you, and that is The Rock. The Rock! Fans don't want to believe it. I congratulate you, Rock, and Shane. Shane, Academy Award performance. Thank you. And I told the world, I told the world that dad, I'm just like you after all. Aren't I, Dad? (laughs) Mankind's very confused. Poor son of a gun. All right, Rock. Rock, it's all yours. Vince, just like last Sunday on Heat, when The Rock said he'd rather be the people's ass than to ever kiss yours. Well, tonight, it's time for each and every single piece of Trailer Park Trash to kiss the rocks if you smell what the rock is cooking. Poor Mick Foley. I'm not sure I understand. The rock is a great wrestler, but, Dad, to lose this match, I either had to be pinned and submit... And The Rock didn't either. I'm not really sure I understand what the hell is going on around here. Well, Mick, you don't get it, right? Well, get this, okay? Oh, from behind. Get this. And now look at A Rock stumbling away at mankind after the war. A Rock and the McMahon family, Shane and Vince, in collusion. And here collusion. Yeah, The Rock bottom. The
McMahons screwed Austin. The McMahons have just shafted mankind. And how the people here are just stunned. Nobody wants to believe what they're seeing. But they better believe that the rattlesnake is back. What? I forgot this part happened. Stone Cold is back. We just talked about it. (laughs) I know, but I still forgot because it's... I still forgot, though, because they're acting like it's the end of the day. Here comes Austin. think this ages particularly well i think a lot of this stuff doesn't age well i know but a lot of people act like this is the one that does well it may a lot of that's nostalgia because this is the era when they're just doing on this mega business and it gets even more than next year when it really gets even worse yes i got said many times for the worse the 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 worst shit did the biggest business. Well, no, they did. Technically, they did better business in 2000. No, the 99, they did better. I better ratings. To, I, I forget which specific business metrics it was, but overall, they actually did better in 2000. I mean, rock and the rock and sock is still the highest. It's, that's the thing. It never was. That's a Vince Russo tall tale, Chris. You didn't know that? Dave said it. No, he hasn't. No, the most watched segment. It's still from the Russo era, but the most watched segment is Undertaker Austin, the night after King of the Ring. Well, yeah, but still. I get what you're saying. It's I mean, up I think... there, but, but anyway, this. Rock, Austin, I mean, Rock and the others, play, I guess I should say, play their roles well, but this, the, it's still a bit of a cluster. I can it's hear three gears turning in your head, <laughs> but it's just, I don't know if there's that much to elaborate on because it's it's just, it's not that good. I'd like to say more. I'm just not sure how much more there is to say. Yeah. It just, I mean, it was done as a, as a surprise angle and, you know, it actually worked out in the end for rock because when he did do his baby face turn, the fans were wanting it. And then it happened. And he stayed baby face. So you got that. Yeah. I mean, it, but now that you say that, it makes me wonder how much of this whole idea comes out of the fact that the fans were starting to turn to cheer him and wanting to hold that off. Because this, 
in terms of turning Rock back heel and getting the crowd against him, this does work. Like well, it's if, MJF. Oh, MJF last year. Yeah. Remember when? Remember when the fans were starting to cheer him, and they got to the point where you know they were the thing was okay. What do we do? And then they went hardcore heel again on him until the Adam Cole thing. And then that gave them the, and then once doing that, the fans just started, they got, they gave them the chance to really cheer for him hard again. And they did. And, and look where he's at now. I think long-term in terms of the storytelling, that was the right idea to actually have a reason for him to turn and one that fit in with his character. Yeah. So, But yeah, if your goal in this is to reheal Rock, <laughs> then this did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Well, remember how we were talking about uh, Shane and Austin getting crossed up? Well, well, the torch talks about the issues, the real issues that was going on here. The latest test of the Vince McMahon and Steve Austin relationship came Sunday Survivor Series, when Shane McMahon refused to count the three to give Austin the win over Mankind. He stood up and gave Austin two middle fingers. Austin got up and backed Shane to a corner. At that moment, Boss Man was supposed to take Austin uh-huh. from behind to, to keep him from getting a Shane. Boss Man, though, was nowhere to be seen. So instead of Boss Man taking Austin and costing him a semifinal match, Gerald Briscoe had to improvise and hit Austin with a Hogan-esque weak chair shot. You can tell watching the match Austin was lost for a moment and had to begin improvised response until they went to the improvised finish. Needless to say, Austin was hot about to screw up backstage after the match. He was told Bossman missed his cue. But several who heard the excuse were telling Austin that's crazy because there was no way Bossman would miss such an important cue. For a while, apparently Austin felt my man was messing with him again, trying to show him who has the power. But by the time Raw was over the next night, it was a non-issue since the Rock-Austin match went so well. Even if it was just a miscue, McMahon does seem to be in a position to get the benefit of the doubt, at least not for a while, when it comes to such incidents. Yeah, where the hell was huh. Bossman? Who has the power? That's interesting. You can see where Austin's coming from because look what just happened the year earlier with Brett. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, my memory was not failing me, though. Bruce Pritchard did talk about this. I guess it was on the Survivor Series 98, something to wrestle. So I'm curious to hear what we've got here. Right before the match, everybody is standing in front of the gorilla position. I send everybody to the ring. Just like normal. Boss man was there. But he had asked right before they went. He says, hey, I've got to go over my match with Undertaker. Uh, I'll be... Can I do that? And he didn't go out for the match. Now, why no one caught that? I don't know. Um, Because he was there. I remember talking to him (laughs) the whole nine yards. And I'm screaming in the back, where the fuck is Boss Man? And we're in St. Louis. And and, and it was just absolutely an insane moment when there's no Boss Man. Nobody knows what the hell to do. Finally, somebody says, get in it. Somebody hit Steve with a chair, to which Jerry Briscoe jumped in, and they had to do something. Steve couldn't beat up Shane. They had to do something to get Steve out of it. 
and we called it the Tink Heard Round the World because Steve's got a bad neck. Briscoe's swinging a chair. Briscoe sure as hell did not want to be responsible for hurting Steve. Steve didn't know what the hell was coming at him anyway. And we had to do something to get the hell out of this match. And you had enough guys out there to hopefully do it. It looked like shit. And then here comes Boss Man running around the corner, running to the ring. And everybody's, where the fuck were you? Um, a catastrophe. It, it was the shits. It's one of those, we know what was supposed to happen. The audience doesn't necessarily know. But in this situation, they knew that it sucked. It wasn't good. Weird. Very weird. But what, so, yeah. yeah, it does not seem like this was a test. No. So. Oh. We go from uh, that to Raw at Rupp Arena. Raw in Lexington, Kentucky on November 16th, uh, 16, 17,610, paying 326,193. It was the only regular house show of the week and merchandise is 100,568 or 571 ahead. In a Super Atros taping, it was Miguel Perez Jr. and Perata Morgan, Negro Casas over Dick Togo, and Apollo Dantes over El Maranguero Jesus Castillo. Negro Casas over Dick Togo in Langston, Kentucky. On a WWF show. That's a, that is something. Live Raw opened with Vincent Shane along with the Raw telling the story of the swerve. Austin came out and said his contract guaranteed him a title match for the November 16th Raw. Mancy already had his title shot in the tournament night four. Austin named a local judge who claimed he had ruled the contract was binding. And then <laughs> we better get this ready. I and know. then they aired a video tape of Judge Mills Lane, a boxing referee fame, ruling the contract was binding and setting up a title showdown for the main event. Oh yes, this is around the time where Mills Lane had his uh reality show. Because he had the, his judge Because yeah. he had yeah, been like a, he had been like a small town judge before this, right? It wasn't completely out of the he, he, Yes, he was a judge. That's why he was called Judge Mills Lane. But, but he was, was a referee, he a lawyer, but he was judge. Or like was it some weird like elected thing? Well, he, was, he had been a lawyer, yeah, but he was a judge. I gotta say, until you read that just now, I also had completely forgotten that Austin was supposed to get a, another title shot for being in the tournament. If he didn't win. Yes. So why was he, so why was he in the tournament to begin with? I don't know. He took it to a judge! This is a legally binding contract, and if you don't believe Judge Horn, I got one more piece of footage to show you, so, so roll that bastard right now. Mr. McMahon, I have in my hand a document supplied to me by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Even though not written on formal pleading paper, it is a binding contract. I have reviewed the exhibits as well as the contract and find that this document was signed on Monday, November 2nd by Shane McMahon, who was lost with the corporation and had a right to bind the corporation. Furthermore, this document states that on the day after the Survivor Series, November 16th, Stone Cold Steve Austin will compete for the Stone World Wrestling Federation Championship. Now, therefore, it is my ruling, based upon the evidence before me, that tonight, Stone Cold Steve Austin will have his title shot live on Raw. We stand in recess. Judge oh, Mills Lane! hell yeah! Oh, hell yeah! We've got a title match right here tonight in the McMahon! 
Right in the middle of that ring. One, two, three. You're looking at the next trip. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sits on. Oh, it's going to be a, an earth-shattering night. So there you go. Judge Mills Lane. Stone Cold. Yeah, for the record, according to Wikipedia, he attended the University of Utah's S.J. Quinney College of Law, graduating in the class of 1970 and joining the bar in Nevada. In 1979, became Chief Deputy Sheriff of Investigative Services at the Washoe County Sheriff's Office. Uh, he was one of 14 witnesses in Nevada's last gas chamber execution. And he was, elect he was elected District Attorney in 82 and District Judge in 90. The old gas chamber. And he had been a pro boxer in the 60s as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was. He had a 10-1 record. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't have his box rec page open, so I don't know what the records of his uh, opponents were. But Doesn't matter. But anyway, New Age Outlaws beat Kurgan and Golga in 253 when Shaggy Two Dope of Insane Clown Posse. They had actually a five event deal that ran out and were given a new deal. Came off the top with a chair but hit Golga and he was pinned. ICP and the Oddies continue to have their problems. Anyone who wears tights like Billy Gunn does in public is anything but cool in this world. <laughs> I don't know what Dave would say about Billy Gunn type of uh, tights now. He wears the same kind of tights. <laughs> it's just now he talks about scissoring and 69ing. And... Yeah. Oh, wait, does, do these have cutouts on them and that's what he's talking about? Or, no, or is it just that it has the, the, like, the, the you know, the lipstick imprint and stuff. The lipstick, yeah, yeah. Alright, as we continue. I mean, it's also just funny seeing outlaws booked against guys who are actually taller than them. Yes. If you ever wondered they why no realized how big Billy Gunn was. Anyway. They are to localize promo for San Jose House on November 22nd to listen to Jacqueline's defend the women's title. Well. Yeah. Vince told Pat Vince told Pat Patterson to talk to mankind to smooth things over and bring it to the office. Can't Shamrock John's boss ran to an icy title match. Val Venus pinned Mark Henry with a schoolboy when Henry was distracted by the returning China in 237. This is China had her new from, face. Yes. Her new face with her jaw, cheeks, lips, and all looking to have been redone. And apparently she's suffering male pattern hair loss as well. Dave guess he's still healing because it looked pretty weird. And I guess yeah. we need to see the returning time here. Yes. Uh, this is a reminder, though, like, I don't I, I don't think it was all of the surgeries. See, she did genuinely have a medical need for some of them. Like, she did have, like, an overbite with jaw, like, related jaw issues that actually did need to be surgically corrected. Along yes. with the cosmetic stuff. How much of that overlapped exactly, I don't know. Terry Reynolds, but that's a... For another time and another story, I guess. Look at me. Now, Venus did a nice job of taking Mark Henry off his feet there. And now some bumping and grinding by Val. Well, I tell you what, Austin, you may think Austin was a little gullible in falling for the kindness of Shane McMahon, but not to... Oh, power. Unbelievable power by Mark Henry. Venus went up well for him there, but holy shit, did that look effortless on Henry's part. And he just lost Well, him. it's Mark Henry. 
Yeah. I mean, well, we talked about that last week, too. But the rattlesnake had everything. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, folks. What is this? That's, there's China. There is China. She's back. She's still healing, but she doesn't look that different from what she'd end up looking like. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. Her face, she's still... I don't know. It's just she she does look different. She her face would look different as the next year or so went on. But she looks closer to the new China than the old China. Is my point. Well, yeah, but still, which makes me think she may have some more work done. It it settled in. I don't know. The ninth wonder of the world is back, and look at the smile on Mark Henry. He's happy. He's forgotten about everything in life but China right now. So we get a closer up shot here. You know what it is? It's her cheekbones are still very swollen. That area. That's what it is. That's what it is. I can't pinpoint who she looks like here. Mm. Um. Now, I know that my lawyer and your lawyer been having a lot of problems. But let's, let's forget about that. All I want is for me to you. To go out on a nice dinner. Huh? No sex involved. What? I just want you. <laughs> no sex involved. And just so you know, I wrote you this little poem. Oh, man. I didn't know she was going to be back. China, there's many things that I go through so I can be with you. I thought of tragedy. I thought of pain. Just so long as I see you again. Since the day we met... I fought myself to make an effort to confess my true desire and all that's true, just so I could be with you. That from the world's strongest poet. Beautiful. What a sentiment. What? Where are you going? Well, I, think, I think she needs some time to contemplate that offer. Hey, he'll take that as a rejection if you're not careful. Oh. Another hallmark moment for D'Lo and Mark Henry. Hey, there's a Oh, the nation music is still basically the rock music. That needs to change. Yeah. Well, D-Lo ain't got his new music yet. So. Yeah. So. So, uh, yeah. The, it, it's mainly still swelling in her cheeks that has not gone down. Yeah. All right. Patterson came back and Vince told Joe Briscoe to get Mankind. Goldust Steve Blackman beat Jeff Jarrett in the Blue Blazer. Dr. Tom Pritchard in 209 when Blackman pinned Blazer at the front kick. After the match, Jarrett no one hard attacked Blackman as he was trying to amass the blazer. Briscoe came back all nervous about hearing sounds in the boiler room. Slaughter called him a wimp, and they dared Slaughter to get him. Slaughter left and came back saying he seemed out of his mind. Vince said all, th- all three of them to get him. Regal versus the Godfather never took place, which is just as well since Godfather gets over doing his shtick but not wrestling, and Regal gets over with his injury music but not wrestling. Godfather offered Regal the hose. Two of them were constantly pulling their dresses up all the way and being over the show, the bend over the show, their G-string uncovered butts. <laughs> the third was a little on the heavy side and the audience booed her. <laughs> oh, boy. Godfather offered Regal all three. 
and he said he's from England, but he's not Elton John. <laughs> Accepted as he was leaving. Godfather said he didn't think he'd accept because he thought everyone from England were. F the F word. We're starting an uninspired brawl. Goldberg is a riot as long as we don't have to watch him wrestle. Goldberg? Ah, you just called Godfather, Godfather Goldberg. It was oh, yeah. well, I'm thinking about Regal. <laughs> but uh oh, all right, we gotta see this. I wanna see what, what gets kept in and what does Of the verbiage or also the uh the girls. I just wanna see it, yeah. Well, so how far how right. far should I go back? You're good right here. Biddy's okay. host for free for the whole night. Take it! Take it! All three of them. All three of them. No, no. Go on, turn around. So that's the one that Dave was saying was fat. Because she has a butt? Or on the heavy side. She's thick. She's definitely not that fat. And she's really, I mean, not extremely thick. She's just got a nice ass. But this is 1998, Big. So the, the, you know, the women at this time, you know, mainly was about, you know, skinny with big tits. Yeah. Usually surgically. Yeah. You know that was a, that was the, the aesthetic. But here we go. All right, let's let's continue. Well, hey, now come on, what you think, man? Come on, look at that. You know a working man don't get nothing like that. Easy, <laughs> no, King. At least he's not selling by the pound. That's a bit expensive. Oh, now normally. There's nothing I'd like more than to kick your head in. But I may be from England, but the last time I checked, my name's Stephen Regal, not Elton John, so I'll take the broads. That's a smart move! <laughs> well, the man's man is a thinking man's man, apparently. Not At least in the King's view. Well, apparently, we're not going to have a match between Regal and the Godfather. What a night! Oh, what a night! Uh-oh, what's up now? Hey, hey, Regal. Hey, Regal. <laughs> you know what, man? I really didn't think you were going to take the hose. So to quote what a good friend of mine, Archie Bunker, says, England ain't nothing but a place full of Huh? Oh, they bleeped it. And they blurred it down, too. I don't get Dave calling this uninspired brawling. They actually have a good little scuffle here. Yeah. He quoted Archie Bunker. <laughs> wow. I don't know if that's the person uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Sir Charles should be quoting necessarily. But, or the character, even. Yeah, eat it. He's got the hose up in here. That's not what he sounds like. Also, your WWF Rewind is brought to you by Glover for the Nintendo 64. They showed Kane choke slamming a backstage technician on the bed of a truck. 
Kate Shamrock went to WQ with a big boss man, 358, went both at the referee. Boss man didn't look good at all, and they didn't work well together. Vince came out and saw Shamrock going to join Rock and Boss and the Corporation, the WSU Four Horsemen like group. Ken and Boss Man shook hands. They went backstage with fans. That's how, that's how Ken Shamrock turned heel. Vince said, Come on. Okay. They went backstage with fans asking Kane for his autograph, and Kane started choking a plant. This one not looking much like shrubbery. The cops came, and who knows what happens next? Gang Girl and Edge, Animal and Draws by Countdown 214. Oh, no. Hawk came out, loaded, and climbed the Titantron. That's on this show? Yes. Oh, no. I, I'll, get, I'll get there. Wow. <laughs> I totally forgot about that when I did the notes. I'm also just in awe of how long they pretended Triple H wasn't injured for. Because when we were going over the pay-per-view, I had in my head that Shamrock was already a heel in the IC champ. But he's not. Right, yeah, I, I'm going back a little bit here as uh, <sighs> this happens. What the hey hey hey, what? <sighs> uh, what the fuck? Oh wait, okay. So wait, where are we here? It's got to start in a second. Okay, there he is. There's Mike. What's he doing? Hawk is here. Power bomb by Animal on Edge. What is he doing? I thought he was gonna come out. He's climbing up on the the edge of the Titantron. I have no idea what Hawk is doing. Titantron is about, I don't know, 100 feet off the floor. You know, with everything we were talking about earlier, they should not have let him free climb this. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like he it's that difficult. Him. No, it doesn't look like it's that difficult, but still, he has no harness or anything. What is he doing? Oh, probably. What is he doing there? Get inside the ring! Well, Get inside the ring! Is this guy quick. messing up again tonight? I don't know. Wonder, unfortunately, for Where this, type of, this type of condition, what kind of mental and oh, yeah, mental draws goes up there State Hawk could be in. My God, that's a little dangerous up there, King. A little. Well, Hawk had a big skywalk. Well, yes. Well, draws in. Uh, animal been been counted out, but look, this is not good. Hawk is up there, folks. He's up there without a net. Oh my God, I don't like this. And the fi- fi- some fans standing jump. He's wearing a mic. Yeah. How about that? Folks, 911 has been called apparently. There's also a camera. Threatened there to is jump. a cameraman there. Now. He's misleading you. You don't know. Calm down. Be careful up there. Look at this. There's, there's Hillary. Right. Hawk. Hawk, I wish I could say I know how you feel, but I can't. What I do know, Hawk, is that you're a troubled spirit. I know that, Hawk. And I also know that right now, you don't care very much about your life, but I care about your life. My family cares about your life. About my life. My kids still call you Uncle. Ellering was a Hawk and Animal's Hawk. first manager. Listen to me, Hawk. Years ago. Remember when you, Animal, and I would drive down the highway and you told us the story of your mother 
six months before she died, Hawk. You knew about it, and she knew about it, and every day she told you. She told you there were things where you always work out. You have to cry. By the way, if you want to feel really old, Rachel Ellering isn't even six years old yet at this time. Yeah. Failed, Hawk. Hillary, you're not alone. You are the beginning Hawk. of my end. Hawk, please come down here. I promise you, you Hawk. An animal. We'll take it. And we'll take it one minute at a time. And I can't. We'll take it wait. one hour at a you time. You stay down, Brooklyn. Don't you even come Hawk. Hawk. Don't you come Don't be careful. Be careful. Be careful up there. Mike. Hi. So what? It hasn't been our best year. So what? There's always next year. Don't worry about it. Take it easy. This is not good. Take it easy up there. Get up. Hey, get the hell away from me. You're the last person I want up here. Get away. It's all right, brother. Hawk, come on now. Be careful up there. Hey, let Draws help you. Hold on. Mike. Mike, be careful. Don't move. Brother, for so long, don't, don't touch move. Right. Don't touch, girl. Don't touch me, brother. It's all right. Don't move. Right. Get a shirt now. Oh, hey. oh. what? God Almighty! Good God! Oh my God! Good God! He fell. He fell. I forgot how much they made it look like Josh shoved him. He did. Well, folks, uh, tragedy has <laughs> on the uh, war zone moments ago. Well, let's see what Ross, angle they uh, use on the replay. To, uh, convince Hawk. Oh, well, they, it's on oh, the There you yeah. see. You know, I don't know if Draws, I don't want to say pushed him, but here's the reaction that, uh, that kind of Animal him. had when he saw Hawk fall from the top of the Titantron King, and Draws should have left this up to the professionals. Well, I, I'm, I still can't believe it. We're professionals. Have we got any word yet at all about look, look at slow this. motion. He grabs his shirt, but pushed him. Why was there any doubt over up. this? An intentional shove, but uh, we are live now, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, there's Here Francois. The, uh, of course, Paul Ellering, currently the manager of DOA for many, many years, was the manager of the Road Warriors. And uh, folks, we'll get you a report on this. We promise. We promise as soon as we possibly can uh, here tonight. Ron and Don explaining to Precious Paul that it's it's okay. They know the Jews are at fault. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was so obvious that Draws pushed him. And then, well, of course it Draws pushed him because as it turns out, when Hawk recovers and returns a few weeks later, Draws pushed him to cover up the fact that he was in fact the pusher man. <laughs> Let's review. This company has had a storyline where Hawk, who actually had a bad drug problem, was being dealt drugs by his new tag team partner. And they also had a storyline where retroactively they explained that Terry Gordy's son had been dealing drugs to Luke Gallows that to make him compliant. What a company. Mm-hmm. 
and this and and totally different regimes because this is the Russo regime. Yeah, and I guess canonically Jesse was not supposed to be Ray Gordy, but still, it was Ray. It was Ray Gordy, and you have him dealing drugs. Retroact again, retroactively, because he was long gone from the company by the time uh, Gallows got repackaged and all that. With Punk basically saying that that Jesse was giving him pills to make they keep him as Festus. Yes. Oh my goodness. And also, we got Russo doing this a few weeks before the stoop before the fake miscarriage angle too. <laughs> Yep. Well, Russo, hey, this is up his alley. He loves this shit. Yeah. Oh, this will e- easily... Go ahead. Uh, now go ahead with Dave. Dave says it's easy the lamest angle on either show. They said nobody took it seriously for a second. The announcers ignored it for the rest of the show. It's real <laughs> lame on its own, but once you do something like that to ignore the rest of the show, it's almost as weird as doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. It's never mentioned again on the show. To the back. Well, it didn't know that this was the Tennies. Yeah. Because Sable came out for an interview, and Shane argued back. Shane's a great heel. They showed clips of Patterson and Briscoe wearing shoulder pads, football helmets, going to the boiler room with Slaughter to bring Mankind back. Mankind then fought all three of them. It was funny, but it was getting old about 20 seconds in. Finally, Austin beat Raw by DQ in 79 the title match. The heat was absolutely incredible. Match was good, although nothing special. Mankind came out and attacked Boss Man. Shamrock and Boss Man were doubling for Mankind. Austin did stunner. Shamrock pulled referee O'Hebner out of the ring. Undertaker had Austin with a shovel for the DQ. Undertaker was about to destroy Austin with a shovel, but for some reason, Paul Bear stopped him. After showing off the air, Austin gave Vince, Shane, Shamrock, and Boss Man all stunners. And Austin and Earl had them celebrate by drinking beer in the ring together. They must really feel they need to work on Hebner's image as Dave gets the scene in the movie has gotten under their skins because this movie is finished. They started linking Austin with Hebner and many of the house shows with the clothes and beer drinking scene. Ain't that funny how that works out? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, we're not going to play the finish of Raw. That's not that nah. big. All right. So now let's go to Wade Keller's thoughts of Raw. The new opening montage for Raw is excellent. It's exciting but concise. Features lots of chair shots, bloody close-ups, wild bumps, and scenes from cage matches. It also marks the symbolic end of the Bret Hart era in WF. He was part of the warehouse fight in the last opening montage. With Survivor Series putting closure, we hope, on the Bret Hart controversy obsession. <laughs> Good luck with that! It seems appropriate to debut a new opening that he's not part of. For whatever it's worth, the order list of the first 12 wrestlers featured in the montage is as follows. Austin. Undertaker, Hunter, Hawk, Shabrock, The Rock, X-Pac, Gangrel, Mankind, Kane, Edge, and Shawn Michaels. Most prominent names on Vistle to the Human Isle, though they have been part of the rapid image flash at the end, where Val Venus, Jeff Jarrett, Outlaws, and Boss Man. At the start of Raw, the camera focused on two signs of the week. One read, Mr. Hat, F- Fierce Sacco, South Park, Mr. Hat. And the winner, though, is Hard 24-7. Why didn't someone think of that sooner? The shots of Russell's backstage for the match is a nice touch. Though if you used to do it for major reviews, remember Shawn Michaels' approach backstage before his match with Bret Hart? But now WF does for Raw. And WCW does for Goldberg. He gives the viewers a feeling of being backstage and has a sporting feel to the atmosphere. 
It has to be a great vindication for Jim Ross to be back as lead host of Raw for both hours during the hottest ratings run for the WF ever. Some people say this sudden accident will hold him back from being WF's main announcer, including Jess Ventura, who often harped on that as disqualifying Ross from being a worthy announcer. Well, there's where that heat is. And now he was only suited for the Southern-based WCW. Ross's accent is barely noticeable, but if even if it were prominent, he'd still be able to overcome it with a stellar announcement each week. Barely noticeable. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was the thing with Jesse and Ross. Jesse thought he was too too Southern. You know, Shivani had got that Southern out of him when he went to WF. Yeah. The crowd heat for Austin Rock was breathtaking. Wade didn't know if it was the match or if the arena was that partic- particularly enthusiastic. If it was a crowd, though, should go back there often. But it sure helped put the match over the top. The first way question given away, also to Rock for Frio TV. After all, though, it prides itself on not giving away favorite main event caliber matches to pop ratings. Well, that would change. In this case, though, by giving away the match, they actually built anticipation for the rematch at WrestleMania without losing anything. Yeah, because they, these two don't wrestle again on television till WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. All right, they take TV the next night in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, I thought I did want Before, to make clear real quick that just this is the beginning of the raw opening with the actual using the the proper mix of thorn in your eye with the lyrics and everything, and the whereas they had been using different variations of the warehouse fire intro for the previous you know year and a half plus. The tape, the next week's Raw in Columbus on November 17th before it saw 12,678, pin 261-716. Open with Sean Casey beating Johnny Paradise in a dark match. Fans hated this. Paradise's offense looked weak. Shotgun, they taped the Hardys over the Tennessee Volunteers. Steven Dunn and Reno Riggins in a good match. Regal beat Dick Togo in a total squash. Love to see in a 15-minute match for him, too. D-Lo and Mark Henry beat DOA when Ellering accidentally hit one of them with a briefcase. Blazer said be on heart this time, beat Takamishinoku in a hot match with a sharpshooter. After the camera stopped rolling for the taping, Austin came out and gave stunners to Road Dog, Badass, Boss Man, Shamrock, three to Shame It Man. Afterwards, Austin and Hebner drank their beers in the ring and the crowd went nuts. But the big story to tapings was the return of Shawn Michaels. As a new heel commissioner, which coincided with the diagnosis of his back specialist who gave him word about 10 days ago that his career was over. Michaels at 33, wants to return, but probably in a limited ring role as far as scheduling goes. He's looking for a second or third opinion. Though if a large kid on for a variety of reasons, some having to do with uh, morale, some having to do with the fact that he's not particularly good at announcing when it's supposed to be like a time. The feeling was he could be reintroduced with an angle, which more likely would not would have been to turn on DX and fewer Triple H when he was physically ready. When the word that may not be possible, those attempting to get some return their $750,000 per year contract, Michaels, by making him at least a television heel commissioner character, whose role would be, at least for the short term, to screw with the wrestlers in WF except for Steve Austin, who Vince and Shane will concentrate on, which also may guard against long term overexposure events. And there's always time for the inevitable man Michaels split as well. And then how many times does he turn within the next few months? A few. Um, if you want to hear us talk about this episode of Raw and play all that, show 123 covers that. Mm. So we did that a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're paying in that much money? 
I know that you had the issues with him, but you got to bring him back. And this is a way to bring him back, although the fans didn't want to boo him. That's for sure. All right, other house shows fest we saw Cincinnati on the 18th, draw 81-82, paying 172-790. San Diego on the 19th, drew 88-84, paying 164-219. November 20th in the new arena just opened Bakersfield, drew 99-20, and paying 239-25. The Pond in Anaheim on the 21st, drew 13,426, paying 319-454. Austin Undertaker had Cincinnati San Diego off, so they went with Rock beating Kane and Bossman playing heel ref. And Shamrock over Mankind's top matches on these shows. So, strong business. Yeah. Yep. Let's go to the torch again. Vincent Man told Mike Mooneyham of the Chost and Post Courier regarding Austin. He's very, very smart. His character is very seldom outsmarted and outmaneuvered. And dare I say, he's pretty much the way he is in real life. He's been dyed, fried, and laid to the side. I like my people like that because they paid their dues. I believe in people paying dues. I pay dues every day. My son, my daughter, a fourth generation, I make sure they pay more dues than anybody else in the company ever did. You know, I mean, they did work. They didn't just get in there and become big time deals in the company. They did do work. They did do things. Well, Stephanie was a PA. She had all sorts of duties. She was a PA at one point. Um, Even while she was still an on-screen character. uh, I mean, yeah, for like the first... Really until she becomes head writer, so the first year and a half or so that she's an on-screen character, she's still working as her day job in the ad sale accounts office in New York. Yeah. And Shane, I mean, Shane set up rings, he refed, he... He did all kinds of shit. So he did work. I mean, he did work. They worked. Gotta give him credit. He partied too much. Stephanie twenty. Well, and here's this: Stephanie twenty one has recently begun work as a manager at trainee at Titan Sports. Regarding Hogan, McMahon said there will always be some sort of bond, not between Hulk Hogan and Vincent Man, but between Terry Balea and Vincent Man. We did a lot of things together. I'm sure you did. It's about sex. (laughs) <laughs> there will always be some sort of bond there, but whether or not we will ever do business again is really a matter of conjecture. Why do you think now, he's not uh, he's Shawn... not talking about? <laughs> well, now back to God, Sean. I'm not Sean's, off. Back... <laughs> Sean's back specialist tell him he cannot return to the ring ever unless he has a back surgery. And even then, there are no guarantees. Michael's been hoping he could avoid back surgery. No time until for his return. Although in a recent radio interview, Michael said he liked to wrestle his warmer match, but a nice bow in the end of his wrestling career. He said he'd be interested in opening up a wrestling school in Texas after he retires. Well, he gets surgery hmm. in January, and then he opens a wrestling school. Mm-hmm. WF has sharp put together a con- uh, connection with Univision, Univision, similar to his connection with USA. They're trying to get their Latino wrestling soap operas and movies on the network, which has a ton of exposure to South America. And they consider tours in that part of the world. The plan right now is to keep Latin wrestlers off of Raw and other shows so they don't have to deal with the stars of the Latin show or just job guys on the real show, which killed WCW making it to the Mundo deal, to the Bundo. In particular, they're trying to market Armando Fernandez, Tarzan Boy, in Spanish shows in the U.S. to make him a heartthrob celebrity. At this point in time, the idea is to take two episodes of Super Astros during every bi-weekly taping. 
There are no plans for the president to expand the show from his 30-minute time slot to a 60-minute time slot. Okay, there's a few things to talk about here. The obvious one is that I get the point, but you're still shooting at your regular TV tapings, and most of the fans have no idea who these guys are. But, 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 they aren't trotting them out on Raw and have them lose in less than a minute to Kane or, you know... Balbi Enos or somebody like that. They're keeping them completely separate. And they're also unmasking a bunch of them. Now, what they could have done, though, I mean, they could have had a spotlight match between them on the show, just them against each other. Yeah. That's what they could have done. Which could have got, which could have got over. I mean, put, you know, Santa Negrocasas on Raw. But listen, we all know why that didn't happen. Because Vince Russo only wants to see Americans. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. Yes. Um, now, WCW does... That's why it worked. Well, yes. WCW does end up getting the Telemundo deal. I So, based on what Dave's saying here, probably the fact that they promised to do individual tapings initially, I think I would think is what got them the deal. But then they cancel that after the first taping, and those never air, and it just ends up being Luchador Nitro matches. Yes. Very weird. Back to the torch. The man-hating gimmick of Jackie and Terry Reynolds may include teases of lesbianism. Yeah. I also <laughs> I forgot that he, that wait. So did they, did they start doing the pretty mean sisters at the Ohio tapings? Is that what it is? Because there, there's no way going, they were already yes. TMS yet. At, you know, Survivor Series in the next night. Well, so. I mean, it's getting going. It's getting going, yeah. It was, it's, it's being talked about. It's not there yet. Actually, wait a second. Oh, no, yeah, at this point, it's a proposed gimmick, because Jackie's still with Marrow yeah. through the yeah. end of the year. It's not there so, yet. Yeah. yeah, it's not there yet, yeah. 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 Saga Vegas Nick Andrews career-threatening. It was. But he's, he didn't end his career, though. It ended his WWF career. In his WF career, yes. Newsweek on the 23rd had a story on Steve Austin by John Leland, which brought new ground and really delved into very little too much of Austin himself. Yes. Uh, He came across as like a normal guy who somehow is unusually popular and seemingly from being in the right place at the right time. But in the closing story, it's several quotes from a Toronto fan whose favorite was Undertaker and actually hated Austin. In discussing this early 90s fall in the trial, when my man brought up his favorite conspiracy to defraud the FDA charge, which apparently he keeps in his wallet to remind any reporter, Dave's not making that up. He actually does. They at least got it right that he wasn't convicted of the charge. It stated while he was reeling that Turner lured away Hogan, which wasn't the case. Hogan was going to have a dispute about them wanting to phase him down from the top spot and not over money. He was hired by WCW nine months later. If anyone's being factual, it's that WCW lured him from New Japan. We had to deal with Big Show starting when he was in WF and continuing after he left WF. And Savage. On this new direction, Bischoff was quoted as saying, Vince McMahon's a desperate person. To have a character simulate masturbation with a squirt gun or urinating someone's boots in front of an audience of 79-year-old kids, well, there's something demented about that. My man's reply was, I've stopped being TV conscious or policeman. I've adopted the same philosophy as Hollywood. Here it is. Do you like it or not? The story lists of pro wrestling's gross topic and inflated $1 billion annually, which is exaggerated some of the credibility of Newsweek shouldn't have fallen so easily into. The story also features Sidebar talking about the NTV show Celebrity Deathmatch. 
So this Newsweek story was on wrestling in general, and uh, interesting quote by Bischoff there. Yeah. It is called Stone Cold Crazy, though, with a picture of Austin. Stone Cold Crazy. And Torch also had this Ted Annis. A nephew of Owen Hart was fired from his developmental day of contract last week, which paid $25,000 a year. He was a discipline problem and had been given several warnings. Oh, you don't say. Teddy, Teddy Hart. Mm-hmm. 1998, this is going on. So. Yeah. All right, we're going to close out this section with a very interesting letter. Oh, boy. This, this is a letter to the Observer with the subject of WF Direction. My appearance on Court TV on November 18th, in which I criticized the current booking direction of wrestling, made prompts of comments from your readers. At the risk of sounding pompous, I'm trying to rescue wrestling from itself. I can't destroy wrestling, but wrestling sure can destroy wrestling. I truly believe the current booking direction, especially WF, has potential to do serious long-term damage to the sport. Industry insiders and other subscribers who might be concerned that wrestling might suffer if it gets too much attention from people critical of it should, if they are truly fans, be far more concerned about the long-term viability of the sport and more so. They should be concerned about what the booking we've been subject to by some of the sick minds that WF might be doing to our children. Holding a gun to someone's head and pulling the trigger? Pouring gasoline on a pile of live bodies? What the hell kind of sick, depraved minds are feeding our kids this crap? And more urgently, why aren't we letting our children partake? As bad as promoters are for dishing up this stuff and as irresponsible are the TV program execs for allowing it to air, parents are the most deserving of our disdain and disgust for allowing their children to watch it. I was disappointed, but not surprised, that so many of my fellow panelists, among them four attorney generals in Mississippi, Minnesota, Delaware, and Maryland, didn't know until I told them what was even going on in wrestling and how a sporting TV product aimed at get what gets away with attempted murder. I think and hope that the sport will get some more scrutiny now by attorney generals whom I spoke with and maybe even the cable industry, but that may be naive of me. During the break at the taping on November 10th, I asked a student audience how many of them had seen Raw the night before when Kane poured gasoline on a pile of bodies. More than half and almost all the males said they had and could recount the storyline. It was only at that point that the other panelists began to take notice, especially Michael Moore, the high-profile attorney general in Mississippi. He has an 11-year-old son who's a big wrestling fan. He was sitting next to me and leaned over and told me during the next break that he was going to watch wrestling with his son now to see what I was talking about. I could tell he didn't think what I was talking about was really happening, as it didn't fit his preconceived notion of pro wrestling. My guess is he was thinking, surely this stuff this guy is talking about wouldn't be allowed to air. It was a big turnaround oh, from no. the reaction I got earlier. Chris the other left out the guy's my- name, to be clear, so you can be uh, surprised when he gets to the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, the more I read this, if you know, you know. Yeah. It was a big turnaround from the reaction I got earlier on the show when the other AGs and Michael Medved, the conservative film critic represented the American Medical Association National PTA, all basically blew me off once they heard what industry I was from. By their demeanor, they seem to consider wrestling as a harmless cartoon, not worthy of their attention. All they wanted to talk with me about was Jesse Ventura. Although that discussion ended when Skip Humphrey walked into the room, one week from being defeated by Ventura. <laughs> the producers called me a few days before the tape and begged me not to mention anything about Jesse to Humphrey. This discussion showed me how much how out of touch most adults are with what's happening in wrestling. 
The overwhelming reaction of students was a rude awakening for all of them. After the taping, I privately chided them for not taking a hard enough look at wrestling and let them know I thought they were failing on their responsibilities to speak out about this kind of trash and were blinded by their perception of wrestling as a mere cartoon. When I told them so many people watching wrestling Monday nights that Monday Night Football ratings were being affected, they perked up a little more. I was actually brought on the show to, to defend wrestling. It was expected I'd use the old wrestling as just a reflection of society line. If I see parents let their kids watch wrestling and look elsewhere to place blame for the state of our society. Everyone who knows me knows how much I love wrestling. I wish I could have defended it, but the direction wrestling has taken in the last year or so absolutely appalls and sickens me. I'm starting to feel like an old-timer, longing for the good old days. The fact is, as an adult, I love a lot of what's on the air, but I'm repulsed by the immoral way it's being marketed to children. I'm proud to say my own sister has forbidden Raw and other day program from entering her home, but she's a distinct minority. What responsible parent can even let their children watch such inappropriate programming? And how can they defend what it presents when it knows how many children are watching? And why is nobody objecting to the material being presented? Have we all become blind in this popularity? Am I the only one who feels this way about the current booking direction? Does anyone else think Raw's content is inappropriate for children? There's just a moral depravity about wrestling, especially on Raw, that turns me off as a child advocate and uncle of four young children. As an adult, I find the show quite compelling, certainly more so than Nitro. But it's reprehensible that a show like that is aimed at kids. It's adult television. Great adult television. That makes me angry because it isn't wrestling supposed to be for kids? I feel like this sport's being taken away from the kids by greedy adults like baseball cars and comic book collecting. My nephew's nine, the same age I was when I first fell in love with wrestling. And he can't watch WF. I can't tell you how much I resent that, nor can I adequately communicate how proud I am of my sister for taking the unpopular stand. I'm no prude. In my work as a heel manager at New Dimension Wrestling in the Carolinas, wait a second. I'm as foul, I'm as foul mouth as they come. Although I realize I have to tone it down myself, I get on the kids because they react strongly in the heats in the name of the game within limits. But the way they react is appalling. It's unbelievable. The majority of them stand right there beside their parents and tell me to fuck off, flip me the bird, call me an asshole, motherfucker, and do the cross chop. These are kids as young or six or seven years old. Where do they learn this behavior? I think we all know, and their parents join in. I chew up the parents as a shoe for being irresponsible, and they spit on me, call me vile names on front of their children. There was a time when only adults were allowed to attend wrestling at Square Garden. The way wrestling is now, maybe we should go back to that policy for wrestling should book for children responsibly. On the TV show, the politicians spouted out the same old crap about parents should be more responsible. That's how we got to this point. The fact that American parents don't act responsibly is the reason for the crap we have on television nowadays. When I try to make that issue of the show, I fail miserably. Nobody wanted to hear that. Apparently, the truth hurts too much. The most distressing thing to me was how willing I found myself considering some censorship. I'm the kind of guy who believes a little censorship inevitably leads to a lot of censorship. But I'm at wit's end to come up with a solution that doesn't include censorship. It's obvious we need some kind of control because parents and TV program execs who are supposed to provide that kind of control have clearly advocated their responsibility with executives paying attention only to the ratings gods. I'm still just stunned there wasn't an uproar in the cable industry about the Raw episode where Austin kidnapped a man at gunpoint, put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger, or the episode where Kane poured the gasoline. I still find it hard to believe wrestling can get away with saying suck it on a TV show and the kids. I'm not demanding good taste from wrestling. That's ludicrous. But can we not even expect promoters to act responsibly? The promoters would say they have responsibility to their stockholders to maximize profits. I agree. 
That doesn't mean you maximize short-term profits. It expense the long-term viability of the company. Look at the makers of breast implants that leaked, asbestos that caused long problems, and the Dalcon Shield that caused sterility in women. Uh, real These quick, companies- the Dalcon Shield was an IUD that, even by bad IUD standards, um, basically tore up the uteruses of women. These companies maximize profits short-term. Now they don't exist. That are less for today's promoters to consider and learn from. But the history of wrestling is one of excess. Taking things too far. Giving the fans too much. Hot-shotting them. Then we have fans that to live through the inevitable backlash from the casual fans. are either too overwhelmed or repulsed by it all in the industry contracts and stays more bound for another decade. Had WCW done something as violent as gun and gasoline angles, I'd later than them. They're certainly guilty of racism and insensitivity and recently inconsistent booking. But sad to say, all that's a given in wrestling. The subject of the show is media violence, not stupid, ill-conceived booking. It is the WF that's most guilty of this, although since WWF has proven this booking produces numbers, I expect WWF to follow their lead in the not-too-distant future, but I hope I'm wrong about that. My guess is people in wrestling will say, you're just overreacting. Wrestling is just a harmless act, but you can't have it both ways. You can't have my friend Jim Ross trying to add realism and credibility to it in a way that no other wrestling announcer can and then turn around and say in response to my concerns, it's fake. Don't get upset about it. Personally, I think Ross should be ashamed. Maybe he is. The best announcer the sport's ever known forced to call this kind of crap. He's got to be embarrassed. I'm not advocating wrestling to go back to the way it was a few years ago, but I do present wrestling being booked in such a way that my nine-year-old nephew isn't allowed to watch it. The most pleasant thing to me is this kind of booking is characteristic of a company in trouble, desperately trying to survive. As far as I know, that's not the state WF finds itself in. Why are we seeing this kind of booking? I guess the answer is because it works, because it produces ratings, but it worked long-term costs. I hope the core TV show in this letter made people think about the future of wrestling and help make changes to the things that threaten the long-term viability of a sport I've loved for more than 30 years. Pull back, Vince. Make it so my nephew can watch Raw again. Or at the very least, stop marketing this inappropriate stuff to children. Signed, Chris Cruz, Kernersville, North Carolina. Has anyone ever been more up their own ass? <laughs> Not that he doesn't yeah. have good points here, but still. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing with Cruz. You know, we know about the shit he's pulled in recent years, yes. But right here, he the point he makes is... As an adult, I think this is. He says, "I think it's good stuff. It's it's compelling. Tell it's compelling, great television, but it's wrestling, and kids are watching it. That's what he's getting at in this, and that's the debate that 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 needs to be made here. Okay, should I mean wrestling was always kids watching it." You know, but I mean, the uh, adults were one paying the tickets. Yeah. So the debate is: Should WWF have done something to, I don't know, change, change the way they did things enough to be on a line to to market to children or? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. He's not burying the stuff because 
it's you know what it is inappropriate in, in general. It's inappropriate for children because it's a company that markets that's for children with all the toys and whatnot. Yes, yes, that's that. It, it's a very it's a very interesting you know contrast and dilemma that he's having here. That he admits to. Yes. So go ahead. Where do I start? <laughs> I mean, I do think whatever. I do think comparing it to Asbestos and the Dalkin Shield is a bit much, though. Well, I mean, I think he's comparing it to what he's comparing WWE to those companies that could possibly go under with this type of controversy possibly hanging over their heads, which WF never had to face that. I guess. And, but and I... the thing, and the, th- and the thing is, is that I mean, Chris should just come to a realization here, like I've had to tell you many times, that the media, no matter what happens, will see wrestling in a certain way, and that's it. Yes. They they're they're not going to take it seriously, more often than not. It's not. And if they're and the thing is, if they do. Then the people that are reading it ain't gonna really take it that seriously, though. Like, oh, so it's just it's just wrestling. So, yeah, we don't have the core TV thing. So, yeah. but I understand where Chris Cruz is coming from in a way, but he, he, I mean, he, but, but, but I will say this for him here. He is blaming the parents. Yes. You know, and that's where, that's where it all comes down to because the parents should be in control of what their children watch and what they don't watch. You know, they're children. Yes. They're not adults. They're children. And that's a major, that's a major, that's been a major problem in this world since the, since the 90s. Now we are in kind of the early ratings, quote unquote, V chip period where there are content controls now but most people don't have them because they're all on the newest TVs. And I mean, honest to God, did you ever know anyone in your life who ever used them once they were in TVs? Nope. Nope. I, don't, I never know anyone who used parental controls on, on anything, really. But yeah, for those who don't know, around when the TV content rating started, they started making TVs with what was called the V-chip, which would let you, unless you had the code or whatever, restrict programming above a certain rating. So you could restrict everything above TVY7, restrict everything above TVPG, whatever. But I that way, if they, that way, they, when they turn the channels, those, those shows never come up. Yes, but it works on a per show basis. It is embedded in the signal. Yeah. But most people don't so, have TVs yet, and if I don't remember there being like any set top boxes or anything, right? Maybe some cable box, cable boxes included it, but that's about it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, 
This is 1998, and you know we're talking about that. I mean, look at 2023. You know, as far I mean, we're well past that point now. I mean, kids see stuff now that I mean we couldn't dream of seeing as kids when we were kids. Um, that's one way to put it. <laughs> um. It's just a different. It's just a different world and culture, you know. I mean, and another thing too is parents have become, in general, because I'm not. I'm not saying every parent, but parents and you know parents have become so sorry. I see it all the time. Mm. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Parenting in this country has fallen so much. It's a shame. It really is a shame. Because a lot of these children, I mean, in the in, like in the grocery store, I mean, I'll see see some of these parents how they yell at their kids and stuff, and it's just, I mean, that's just it's just terrible how some of these parents are, man. You know, I mean, like like there was the other day, you know, I'm sitting in the office and I hear this 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 girl, you know, tell tell her child. Shut the fuck up. You know, it's inside the grocery store and it's pretty loud. You know, I mean, at first I'm going to beat your ass when I get home. I hear that. You know, I mean, it's just. And and then and then you had the parents that, and then you have the other side of the thing where you had the parents that want to be the friend when they want to be the parent. Mm-hmm. That's another problem. You know, they don't show any type of discipline or any type of parenting. They want to be cool, cool parent, friend parent. Yes. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's changed a lot. Everything's changed. But Chris Cruz is Chris Cruz. I mean. Yeah, he, I'm scrolling he, his uh, Facebook he, right now. He's a douchebag. He's still doing shit to the day, this day. Yeah, I'm like. He I'm, is a I see his Facebook. He does this thing. He likes to post bad indie show posters. And uh, <laughs> one of them, before getting into the design issues, he starts with, is anyone here over 200 pounds? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's become a character of himself. Yeah, he shared you a know. Yahoo Finance link. Oh, go ahead. And then, you know, just calling the state athletic commissions and shit like that, you know. I mean, it's just a silly shit that he does. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, he shared a Yahoo Finance link. Ten vintage electronics in your house that could be worth a lot of money. His post, I'm sure you rubes have some of these. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's just. <clears throat> he's Chris Cruz. But here's an early taste of it right here in 1998. Okay, so he's he's turning sixty five next year. So if he's sixty four now, that means he was how old? Twenty five years ago. Forty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, thirty nine. Yes. Sorry, my brain's getting muddy. <laughs> but anyway, thirty nine going on eighty. <laughs> he's not a fuddy duddy yet at this point, but. Uh... Hey, hey, hey. 
All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now. All Japan Pro Wrestling is off, and got big doings here. It looks at one new wrestler, Vader, to set the wheels in motion for a turnaround in the fortunes of All Japan Pro Wrestling. It's not news. First two nights of the tour sold out Cork and Hall. All Japan always sells out that small building. It is news that the final on December 5th at Budokan Hall is already sold out. Similar to the glory days, the promotion when tickets for the big Budokan shows were a premium buy, and they often sold out the first day they were put on sale. And perhaps even more significant is that on the third day of the tour, on November 16th in Kofu, All Japan sold out the 4,400-seat building without a strong lineup. A typical six-man headliner on top, plus Masao Nogawa against Gary Albright and Kamala 2 in a tournament match, largely based on the novelty of seeing Vader and Hanson as a tag team for their first tour together. On the same night, New Japan failed to sell the opening of their lackluster team tournament, drawing 3,700 fans to the 4,900-seat Yokohama Bunka Gym, despite having one of the strongest tournament matches on, as the headliner. IWGB Tag Champions Tanuka Nichiro and Shiro Koshinaka against Keiji Muto and Satoshi Kojima. The team in the tournament appears likely to be booked around. I mean, Vader and has not been in Japan since UWFI '94. He's in all Japan, teaming with Hanson of all people. D- a definite shot in the arm, all Japan business-wise. You know. Yeah, and it probably does also help on some level that it is Hanson who he had the legendary series of matches with. During the brief interpromotional period in ninety, yeah, and at this point he's still technically under WWF contract, right? That would change after this tour, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, but he was needed, and he still had enough left in the tank that he felt like Vader. Yep, and it worked. It absolutely worked. All right, Cork and Hall on the fifteenth. We have Satoru Sako and Yoshinobu Kanamaru beating Katara Shiga and Makoto Hashi. Shoshi Kikuchi over Takeshi Morishima. Haruka Ega, Masafuchi, and Masai Inoue over Giant Baba, Mitsumoto, and Roshikamura. Juni Zamita, Mitsuharu Masai, and Yoshinaragawa over Gary Albright, Kamala Tua, Masuhiro, the Kakihara. Then we had tag league matches. Bart Gunn and Johnny Ace over Takamori and Yoshiro Takayama. Junakiyama and Kenakabashi over the Headhunters. And Monokia, Mossman, Stan Hansen, and Vader over Kiyotawe, Tomon Honda, and Toshak Kawan in your main event. Yes, the Headhunters here on this Tag League tour. Mufat and Mahim. I don't think they were ever that in Japan. <laughs> no, I just felt like saying it. I forget. Did they work all Japan at all outside of the tournament? Uh, no. Okay. No, they didn't. Even the New Japan's number one company in the country, and that isn't going to change anytime soon, All Japan of late has been crushing them as far as TV ratings, which, like in the United States, are not taken seriously as a major business statistic. And for the next few weeks, with Vader and Hanson's first appearance as a team in every city, that should also be the case of the house shows. Although that wasn't the original plan. And now it's like the most logical thing would be to put them over in the tournament to create a modern version of the Miracle, miracle Power combination. Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. People forget that name for them. Because you know, everybody remembers the Miracle Violence Connection, but Brody Hansen was the Miracle Power combination. And their TV debut was Masao Nagawa on the Rim 14. That was clearly the idea. It's like Brody Hansen, they sold almost nothing as they aggressively went after their small Japanese foes. In addition, correctly booked and barring injury, and with Vader at 42, that is a huge concern. 
Vader should draw well at Budokan, not only in major tag matches with Hanson, but even better in singles matches for the first time ever against Masawa, Kobashi, and even Kawada, plus an eventual singles match with Hanson, and may for a brief period resurrect the 49-year-old broken-down legend to money-drawing status. I mean, we talked about this recently. Vader got his big singles matches, and they all, I mean, they were done well the first time. You know? Yeah, although there wasn't as much fanfare to the Kawada match. Yeah. Many for the reasons, I think. The tag turn continues to be largely successfully built around Vader and Stan Hansen, although two of the four shows this week didn't sell out. In tournament matches, on the 18th, Nakayama, Hansen and Vader beat Kawada and Tawei when Hansen Larry did Kawada and lived 42 for sale at 2900. Kumoto on the 20th before 2250 saw Johnny Ace and Bart Gunn, who called their team the Movement, beating Kamala 2 and Gary Albright when Gunn pinned. Kamala with a in that fifty seven. Kawada and Tawei beat Masao Nogawa when Tawei pinned Nogawa after a Noto Atoshi choke slam. Twenty first in Hiroshima before thirty six hundred saw Ace and Gun beat Masao Nogawa when Ace pinned Masao, which may have been Ace's first ever clean pinfall on the Triple Crown Champion in thirteen forty nine. And Vader and beat Kobashi and Junakiyama when Hanson Larry Nakayama. So there's Johnny Ace getting his first pin on Masao picks. Uh, Matoko said, do the job. Mommy says sell. <laughs> oh, man. All right. uh, in Hiroshima on the 21st, take TV. We have Namichi Marafuji, Sarasako, Makoto Hashi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaro. This time he's Masamichi Marafuji. Uh, Masuda Kagehara, Monokan Mossman, over Katar Shiga, and Masao Inoue. Ruka Ega, Masfuchi, and Shoshikuchi over Giant Baba, Mitchell Moto, Rush Kamara. The Headhunters over Junas Amina and Takaomori. Gary Albright, Kamala 2, and Yoshio Takayama over Kiritawe, Tomon Honda, and Toshak Kawada. And Tagli matches Bargun and Johnny Ace over Masawa and Ogawa, and Hanson and Vader over Akiyama and Kabashi. Bargun got over big as fans just want to see a newcomer at Cork and Hall shows since that's the smartest audience crowd. And they popped when he asked when he raised his left hand because he understood about the Brawl for All match with Dr. Dev Steve Williams. Haven't heard that worked in the other arenas, but people are expecting that would be just a Tokyo thing. Gun is also totally also has totally new look. With a very short buzz cut and one of the worst cases of gynecomastia Dave's ever seen on a wrestler. Even worse than the rock it is worst. He's apparently continuing to do well on this tour. <laughs> what do you think of Bart Gunn's guy in Obix? I have no idea. Kamala 2's changed his ring outfit from the old Kamala wear to an amateur wrestling singlet, so he looks like a matching partner for Albright. Yes, no more face paint. He has a singlet with the Kamala pattern on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh... And we should know, too, Bart Gunn is here as WWF's Bart Gunn. Yes. Because he's still got uh, the Brawl for All with Butterbean to come to look forward to. Yeah, he's not Mike Barton. Yes, he's Mike Barton once he uh, actually is done with WWF and goes to All Japan. Yes. All right, New Japan. It's expected New Japan will announce at least some of the matches for the Jammer for Tokyo Dome show this week. What has been announced thus far is that there will be five singles matches with New Japan facing UFO as a big draw of the show. That sounds double desperation. It's both the idea of UFO becoming via the silver promotion and doing its own house shows. Let's be failing miserably. And if it wasn't, it's too soon to do this angle. 
But New Japan simply has nothing fresh angle-wise for their biggest show of the year. So Torsayama was asked to pick his five guys, and while not announced, believe he'll pick Don Fry, Noyogawa, Brian Johnston, Dave Benito, and Kazunari Murakami. No world in New Japan team. There's also been nothing else announced for the proposed December 30th UFO show at Osaka Castle Hall, other than Fry vs. Kazunari is the main event. While not announced yet, there's talk of Fry and Okawa forming a tag team for the first time. The UFO over as a group that may fight each other, but it, as a unit, therefore the New Japan show on the sock on the 4th of December. Also, they will have all four titles, IWGP Heavyweight, IWGP Tag Team, IWGP Junior, and IWGP Junior Tag Team titles, depending on the show, which pretty well would give away that Tatsuki Taka Iwa would be winning, won't be winning the IWGP Junior title from Liger on the 4th, since he and Shinjiro Otani hold the Junior Tag Titles. Well, he can always wear it twice! <laughs> God, also, just to think back, there was a time in New Japan where you could say all four titles. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's count. How many titles does New Japan Well, they're consolidating two of them now, at least. Not really, because the UK title isn't a real title. Well, there's that. <laughs> the, that's the thing. All right, so we have World Heavyweight, uh, United States Heavyweight, Junior Heavyweight, Never Openweight is four, Strong Openweight is five, King of Pro Wrestling open weight is six. Television title is seven. Uh, IWGP tag team heavyweight is eight. Junior tag is nine. Strong open weight tag is ten. Uh, and ne- oh, never open weight six man is eleven. And then uh, yeah, also IWGP women's and strong w- women's. So, 13 titles in New Japan right now that are just New Japan recognized. Fantastic. That's not counting anything from CMLL or ROH or AEW or RevPro. 13. Yeah. More than three times as many as they had at this point. <laughs> and also, they got rid of one a few years ago. CIC. <laughs> but that's probably coming back and replacing the U.S. title. Monsieur Chono, 35, who was New Japan's biggest strong card this year, returned from intensive rehabilitation in Germany on November 21st, when the word being it was unsuccessful. Chono said his neck was in tremendous pain, stemming from an injury at a night 2 2 match with Steve Austin. They never left fully healed and had progressively gotten worse, and he finally made no choice to get out of the ring when his body turned on him in September. He made it clear that he wouldn't be able to return for the January 4 Tokyo Dome show, the traditional biggest show of the year in Japan. Over the past two weeks, there's been a lot of talk that Chono would need a major neck surgery to regain mobility of his neck, which he's been trying to avoid, and that operation could be such that it would be impossible to return. He returns. I mean, and that, I mean, that was a major thing, too, that he, re- that he came back because with, with his neck was nobody ever thought he could come back and work like he worked after that. And he still works at a decently high level for at least, what, five years after this? Yeah. I mean, the Absolutely. 2003 G1 that he wins is maybe the best G1 ever up to that point. Yeah. And it includes, I mean, Takayama's the MVP. Well. But he held his end in his matches. Joe, it was, it, it was one of the, it was one of the best, yes. And, but. you know, what Dave is saying here, and it tracks based on, you know, what we've talked about in the past with 
him not taking time off, that it, it, that maybe the injury initially was not so bad that he couldn't have, you know, rehabbed it, but he didn't take the time off. No, it was a different era. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a time where he's, I mean, he's getting the big push. He's the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Yep. So... All right, the tag tournament opened up on November 16th in Yokohama before 3,700 fans with two tournament matches. Tetsumi Fujinami and Shinya Hashimoto beating Yuji Nagata and Manama Nakanishi winning Hashimoto pin Nagata in 16 5 with a DDT. And Tenroko Shinaka over Mudo and Kojima in 14.56. The show also featured a retirement ceremony of longtime referee Mr. Takahashi. Real name Turo Takahashi, who lives in Yokohama. And that's, Taka- uh, that's who the Americans called Peter Takahashi, right? Yeah, Pete. Yeah, Pete Takahashi. Takahashi 57 in his speech that he was very proud that he was able to re- referee legendary matches with all-time greats like Anoki, Fujinami, Choshu, Hashimoto, Chonomuro. Takahashi was a former Japanese national champion powerlifter in the early 60s who wrestled professionally in Asia. Dave doesn't ever recall him actually wrestling in Japan from 1963-1971. He joined New Japan's referee in 73 and was considered their top official for most of the past 25 years. Yeah, if you... Watched the big New Japan matches. He was the referee. More often than not. Um, he was like their Joe Higuchi, you know what? Yeah. Oh, no, Katsetsu Yamamoto would referee some big matches, too. But Pete Takahashi was their guy. He was their head referee. So where did uh, Katsuhisa Shibata fit into all that? He was the, he was the second referee. You know, he, he, was, he was there, but he was the second referee. Yeah, and then he was kind of like uh, he was kind of like a Pee Wee Anderson to Nick Patrick in a way. Okay, and then you know later on, well by this time Norio Hanaga's a referee, although that doesn't last that long. And then you know eventually everyone kind of gets uh, well cycled out, every, and I mean everyone gets old and retires basically. Yeah, you know, and eventually Red Shoes ends up there, but Red Shoes was not a New Japan guy originally. No, he was a war guy, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. But Tiger Hattori was always, oh, yeah, I mean... I, forgot, uh, I knew we were forgetting someone. <laughs> Tiger Hattori was also a major referee player in New Japan as well. Yeah. Um, I, I did yeah. check cage match. I would assume if he wrestled in JWA or IWE or Tokyo Pro or anything... He didn't wrestle in Japan, Bix. No, I, that's what I was saying, to double check, and they don't have I any results. So. Right. <laughs> But there's right. been so much more research in the last 25 years. I was curious. Oh, he has a blog on Yahoo Japan. All right. El Samurai beat Yutaka Yoshie in your opener of this show. Hirosato and Michael Wall Street defeated Akatoshi Saito and Tatsutoshi Goto. Junji Arana and Osama Kido defeated Ken Kamara Michio Shihara. Coach Kanamoto Shinjiro Tai and Tatsutaki Iwo defeated Dr. Wayne Jr. just on the line and Kenna Kashin. And a match that Dave rated three and three quarter stars. Dave Finley and Jerry Flynn defeated Kazuki Fujita and Takashi Azuka. See, Fujita learned the shooting game from Jerry Flynn. <laughs> it's obvious. And In- uh, I, I don't. I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen these Finley New Japan tours. Was he actually booked as a heavyweight here? Him and Jerry Flynn were tag partners in a tag league. That's right. NWO Japan's Big Titan, Hiroshi Tenzan, NWO Sting, and defeated Kazuya Yamazaki, Kensuke Saki, and Tadao Yasuda. And then the tag league, tag, tag league batches, Hashimoto and Fujinami over Nakanishi and Nagata, Tenru and Koshinaka over Mudo and Kojima. 
Now, with the Tokyo Dome and apparent disarray, this Monsieur Chono and Kejimuto isn't going to happen. They worked an angle with Atsushi Onida. Onida showed up on the very 18th in Kyoto for 7,000 fans, hit the ring in the middle of the show. He took off his sunglasses, grabbed the mic from ring announcer, hit the Kazuki Tanaka, and started screaming for Riki Choshu to come out. First, Koshinaka members of Haishinshigan came out to yell at him. Finally, Choshu came out. Onida cha- hand- handed Choshu a written challenge, and Choshu ripped it up and threw it in his face and started kicking the hell out of him before the other New Japan wrestlers pulled him off. Onida ran from the ring, ran backstage, hopped in a cab, and took off, while Kensuke Sasaki, Choshu's protege, in the ring screamed for him to come back. The Japan's cover store was that knew Onida was in town because he was trying to sell a show in Kyoto, but they didn't expect he would come for their card. Some of the Japan wrestlers issued challenges to Onida. They had Koshinaka challenge Onida to a match, but told him he didn't want him bringing his gimmicks and foreign objects to the ring. Shion Shimoto said he faced Anita under Anita's rules, including an explosive match, which Anita said he wanted to debut at the New Japan Big Show. Muto said he personally has no respect for Anita and didn't like him even appearing in New Japan because he stole his gimmick when Anita copied Great Muto by doing the Great Nita gimmick a few years back. At press time, the expectation was New Japan would announce Sasaki as Anita's foe. But that would be the beginning of the angle that was probably result in Choshu against Anita. However, no other matches were announced for the January 4th Dome Show. Historic Sayama is at the biggest five-man team for New Japan against UFO. Sayama claims he's busy trying to promote the 1230 the UFO show, which also doesn't have any matches announced. And it ends up being Onita Sasaki, which is a short match that's basically just an angle to set up the Choshu barbed wire explosion match for April at the Dome. Yeah. Oh, no, excuse me, Chono. Chono was the one in April. Yes. When is the Choshu one? Is that later in 99? Yes. Okay. But, uh... I mean, it's a big deal to have... To have that, you know, to have Anita around here. You know, I mean... And this is a way to have Cho- Chono come back and not have a you know, match where we're really doing anything. Yeah, because it's a Anita Smoke and Mirrors match. Yeah. Because I right, saw so Anita and, Cho, and, uh, and Chono stay April 10th, and then Anita Choshu is July 21st. What venue was that? Yokohama Arena. Okay. That's right. That wasn't a dome show. Okay. In tag term matches in Kyoto on the 18th, Manama Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata uh, beat Mudo and Kojima when Nagata used Nagata lock on Kojima. And Sasaki Yabazaki beat Kushinaka and Tenru. Went to Sasaki and Koshinaka, and in Fukushima on the 21st, Tenru Koshinaka beat Finley and Jerry Flynn. So there's that. Oh, Choshu was the following year. Choshu wasn't in 99. Yeah, he was. No, I'm looking at Cage Match right now. It's They uh, wrestled more than once, I think. I just, unless there was in on another company, I just searched Onida's Cage Match for NJPW. It's Sasaki, Chono, uh, teaming with Akira and Chono in July against Hirosaito, Tenzan, Mudo, Muda Nida at Jingu Stadium in August, and then the Choshu match is Yokohama Arena in July 2000. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because the thing I'm looking at here, which actually has 99, that's wrong. And wrong date altogether. It's July 21st, 99. The match is July 30th, 2000. That's weird. Yeah, July 21st, 99 is the six man. 
That's where I think people are going to And Nakajima yeah. Sports Center, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, you and I just had a conversation the day before we recorded this. We had not realized that most result sites and reference sites, because of Wikipedia and stuff, have the date of the Fritz von Erich Texas Stadium retirement show completely wrong. Well, there's a lot of wrong dates on these sites. That one is weird, though. I know, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot the of Like, if you were looking in newspapers or anything, you'd have the right date. I know, but a lot of people have wrong dates for stuff. Wrong, wrong TV. I mean, the one of the worst is um, trying to date, trying to figure out what Crockett uh, TV venues. Because I mean, you got some of these results sites; they're way off. Wrong venues, um, yes. wrong shows. I mean, there's a lot of wrongness. So they'll say something's in Sumter when it's in Rock Hill. Yeah. So that, that one was that was a stadium show in Fritz von Erich's retirement, though. It's a bit weird that every, almost everyone. Well, that came. Everyone, from, I think. I think that came from the Observer. That the Observer had listed it at some point as June yes. as June fourth as, as a Friday show. Yes. Oh, that it was a replacement for the Swordsorium that week. Yeah. I guess directly. No, nothing is. They ran but the Friday Observer Friday. didn't exist yet in eighty two. Yeah, it did. Wasn't it 83 that the Observer started? No, isn't the first issue of the, the Observer? The first match of the year is 80. That's before there was an actual newsletter. That's just Dave and his friends. Well, that's what I'm saying. That stuff did get in the in the, in the other publications. Uh. Sure, sure. But there's no contemporaneous issue of the Wrestling Observer newsletter, though. The, like, first, I, I, the first issue of the Observer is the 82 yearbook. But still, I mean, it, it probably got put wrong date in there and, and something, and that's where people got it from. Maybe it's in the 82 yearbook. Maybe it's in the year in review. Yeah, well, back in those days, they ran Friday and Sunday that in Dallas. They the Friday, they, Friday, they would have um, Friday Night House show, Sunday TV. And then sometimes it was Sunday Tuesday. In fact, that's really what it, that's really what it was. And, and it became, it was Sunday Tuesday. With Fort Worth in the middle on Monday. Sunday would be the house, Monday the TV, and Fort Yeah, Worth they weren't Tuesday. running Friday nights yet. No. So that's that, started in 80, that started in 82. Yes. It started in 82, but not, yeah. It's, but, again, it's all weird. All right, so back to this show. All right, so Bam Bam Bigelow did count his appearance. Appearances on the FNW pay-per-view on November 20th. And the Ballard Sumo Hall show, as it turned out. It was announced in Japan that Gen Station Zaki would be taking his place on both shows. However, ECW was sending One Man Gang over as his replacement. And you'll know why Bill Goldberg canceled when we get to WCW. Alright, Battle Arts. They ran on the 17th at Ishikawa Professional Industrial Exhibition Hall Number 1 in Kanazawa. Minoru Tanaka of Ryuji Jakata. Minoru Fujita and Hakoda Adaka over Masaki Mochizuki and Mak Junji. Kasumi Usuda retained the Big Japan Junior Heavyweight title over Carl Greco. Hayabusa and Daisuke Akeda defeated Masaru Ihara and Takeshi Ono. And Victor Kruger and Yuki Ishikawa defeated Alexander Otsuka and Muhammad Yone. Hmm. Interesting looking about Arch, though. Yeah. That's something when you you look at this, the worst worker on the on this show is Victor Kruger. And he was good at the Battle Arch stuff. He was good. But that's what I'm saying. That tells you how, how, how talented this show is. Yes. Although this is the era before people fully appreciate it, at least among Western fans of Japanese wrestling, before Ono and Orihara were fully appreciated. 
Big Japan ran Kanagi Town Farmers Training Center in Gushkawara. We have Ryuji Yamakawa Rijun Kasai in your opener. Tomoka Homa over Ryu Ichigo. Yachola and Kyoko Ichiki over Marcella and Shiro Nakano. Kishin Kawabata over GK. Fantastic and Shun Masazaki over Takakuba Benke and Black Shadow. Jason the Terrible over Gerasuke Kobayashi, Happy Junior. Shadow WX, Shadow Wing, and Masashi Mategi over Tomoki Hama, Minoru Fujita, and Ryuji Yamakawa in the main event. Imagine telling yourself in 1998 that three of the wrestlers on this card would have U.S. indie matches 25 years later. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Because as we sit here, Kasai, Shadow WX, and Abdullah Kobayashi have all had U.S. indie matches this year. Yeah. And Kasai's going to have the Nick Gage match, too, New Year's weekend. DDT. They ran Kitazawa Town Hall on November 17th. We have Yuki Nishino over to Torkomoi. Exciting Yoshida over to Namasakotoba. Takashi Sasaki and Final Funakoshi over Kurakaji and Survival Tobita. Mitsunobu Kikazawa and Yuchi Noguchi over Super Uchu Power and Yusaku. Sancho Takagi, Kyo Mikami, and Kengo Takai over Keisuke Yamada, Akanori Sukiyoka, and Yoshia Yamashida, Yamashida, and Super Uchu Power and Kyo Mikami over Sancho Takagi and Sky Shishikaki in your main event. Very early DDT here. I mean, they're... Yeah, Mikami isn't all cap shit. Uh, really? I mean, I guess we should give the caveat because this is between the sheets. Uh, th- this promotion is not on the radar of anyone in the West at this point. No. It's in, it's in like shows. late 99, early 2000 when we start to spot it on the early uh, Death Valley driver board. FMW, there were lots of strange occurrences leading up to the November 20th pay-per-view in Yokohama Bunker Gym before I saw that crowd at 5,900, real number 4,900. On November 17th, the story basically got out that Mr. Pogo and Shoji Nakamaki Big Japan were scheduled on a press conference for the next day in Tokyo to announce they were leaving and joining FMW. It probably the USO part of the company. What was USO? It's some faction. Uh, FMW is going to split into different groups that each run their own shows. Since in reality, all the wrestlers hate Onita, and their ideas are that wrestling should be fun and entertainment, and Onita can't get out of his sick brutality mindset that originally got him over, and he's desperate to get over again since he's largely dead to wrestling fans. Although New Japan thing may get over just because he has mainstream name value, and it's a big story him wrestling on New Japan car because of an emotional deal. And there's always an emotional deal down the road where two sides feud. Anyway, the press conference, Pogo wasn't there. Shinya Kojika, the 55-year-old owner of Big Japan, whose background was was decades pro wrestler, canceled his November 18th and 19th house shows in Morioka, era hours away, and showed up in Tokyo, and we were reporters watching, got into a confrontation with Nakamaki, literally in the street, and proceeded to beat him up. With Nakamaki basically getting pounded and not being able to offer the slightest bit of resistance. Nakamaki, who's 41, has no athletic background, as he was famous as a writer for a controversial inside baseball book, who didn't get into pro wrestling, and literally just takes punishment and slices his head open. That is true. The reporters, for the most part, said that that it looked real, not like an angle, although most people around wrestling figured something like that had to be an angle. As it turns out, both Pogo and Nakamaki shut up the pay-per-view in, the, in an unannounced Onita-Pogo match with Nakamaki in Pogo's corner. Despite renewing something of a legendary feud with Drew Greatness Day and with the big jumps on Miss All the Media Pub, it got no heat. It was said to have been bad. It wasn't the only change. It's not only did Bam and Bigel not show up, but not only did Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch. 
Shuichi Arai, the FNW president, asked Candido Sitch weren't going to be there on November 19th and said FNW was mad at ECW of what happened and hinted they would cut off all relations with ECW. Things for it have been smoothed out as ECW sent Sabu and the one-man gang as replacements, and Sabu's a much bigger star in Japan than Candido. Although FMW had Sitch booked for public appearances in Japan, as she's very marketable in that culture. Oh, I'll say. And as they have a thing in Japan for blonde-haired models. Sabu ended up uh, winning a three-way dance over the gang and Yukio Kanemura. Gato and Jado and Candido and Bigelow wound up being changed to an eight-man, with Gato and Jado team with Takamichinoku and Shuichi Funaki to beat Nohiko Yamazaki, Riki Fuji, Mahamiyone, and Daisuke Ikeda. Ray Bucanero of CMLL was the only other foreigner to work the show, being Flying Kid Chihara in the opener. In the main event, Hiromichi Fuyuki captured FNW version of the World Heavyweight title from Hayabusa in 2511. After the match, Fuyuki, who began his career in Knowledge Fan and years back for the team with Toshiro Kawada, said that since he won the title, he won the rest of the top stars of all Japan. Mr. Amasawa responded, There's no way. And Baba basically called him foolish for bringing it up. There is tremendous heat in all Japan for when Fuyuki originally left with Tenru to form the old SWS promotion. Yeah, because they just turned him babyface and we're going to push him. Then he left with the guy that turned on him. Sure. <laughs> yeah, ten, I mean, Tenru turned on this man and then, and then like a month or two later, he leaves to go with him to his new promotion. Kind of exposes the business there a little bit. Well, it's sports entertainment, brother. All right. Uh, the results, Bukunero Vechihara in the opener, Hito and Goito over uh, Riki Fuji and Kari Dakiyaba, Kojinakagawa over Hiskatsu Oya, Jado, Gato, Taka, and Funaki over Akeda, Fuji, Yone, and Yamazaki, Sabu over Gang Kanemura, Ganosuke over Tetsuya Kuroda, Onido over Pogo, and then Fuyuki over Hayabusa. So, there's that. If you're looking for evidence that the Kojika Nakamaki deal wasn't an angle, it may be there is word out that Kojika is going to file a breach of contract lawsuit against both men. Kojika and Blind was able to lure Takashi Shikawa, 45, who he worked with seemingly forever in all Japan, out of retirement, and he starts up Big Japan in a few days. Well, that's quite the uh, <laughs> trade-off. But you got to do something. When does Kajika end up out of Pig Japan eventually? In the two thousands. Who who does own it now? <sighs> you know, I can't even tell you who owns it now. I wouldn't even know. Alright, for Yuki Gun ran a survival war team deal at November fifteenth at Araki Coliseum, where for Yuki's team of Yuki Jado, Kojinakawa, Yuki Kanamura and Gato Defeat Hayabusa's team, Hayabusa, and there comes Mizaki, Hitsukasa Oi, and Riki Fuji, and Flanky Tichihara, and a seven-minute series of battles that lasted 68 minutes and nine seconds. Dealers, they started as tag matches, and the loser of the match was eliminated and would be replaced by a new member of the team until everyone on one team was eliminated. It wound up at the end with Hayabusa wrestled six straight matches, left alone with Fuyuki, Jado, and Nakagawa before losing. Alright, the rest of the show had Hideki Asaka over Hayato Nanjo, Tetsuro over Bad Boy Hito, and then the come out and play elimination match. Which is what they called it. Because they were coming out to the offspring. Well, they came out to a bad uh, cover of come out and play, which they did the, but they did the team no respect dance to it, which. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, which, of course. For, yes, for those of you not familiar with the team no respect dance, um, 
I guess the first half of it would be that thing that Wheeler Yuta and Claudio do when they team together during their entrance. But then there's a wacky. I don't arm. think they do. No, they don't do that no more, do they? They did it at least. They did it a few weeks ago. Okay, I just hadn't noticed it. But it's then after you do that, you do. I can't even describe the arm thing, the arm crossing thing. You would have to look it up. But anyway. No, my favorite is when they did did it at uh, IW Mid South. When came in. Had the crowd doing it and stuff. When was that? That was in 2002. And between that and the time that they did it at uh, Corkin, where they had the fans part of it too, it was like a one big line of motherfuckers was doing doing the dance. Oh, and by the way, the the current owner of Big Japan is uh, Eiji Tosaka, who was one of the. It says one of the founders, this thing says, well, he he was 38 whenever this was posted, so I don't know how old he is now. But apparently he was one of the co-founders, he was a referee, he was a ring announcer. I guess he's the owner now, at least if Wikipedia is accurate. Who knows? All right, uh, Kakegi, they ran Oki General Gym on the 15th. From you get me on th- all these names all the time, and yet every, you, every time you get Kageki wrong. We need I've a always pronounced on that, but it's I, I've always pronounced it Kageki. You d- no, you keep saying ka- I've always ka- pronounced ka- it Kageki. You keep saying Kageki. No, I said Kageki. You keep, you keep switching around the G and the T and the K. No, I said Kageki. Now you're saying Kageki. I've always said it the same fucking way. Anyway, they were in Oki General Gym number fifteen for eleven sixty four. I know because I'm right. Keiji Kawano over Dayukawuchi. Asian Cougar and Basara over. Question marks and Takashi Okamura. That's always a good sign. Hiromi Yagi over Esther Moreno. Guerrero Diablo went to double count with Shinobi. And then Shinobi beat him in a rematch. <laughs> and then Cosmo Soldier and Kasuka Masada, Japanese Masada, over Azteca and Tadayuki Fujisaki in your main event. Where else do I know Tadayuki Fujisaki from? That I feel like I've heard that before as a masked wrestler's real name or something. He's one of the indie scum guys of the era, so he worked different places. Let's see if I search. Do we have any other? Oh, Fugo Fugo Yumeji. There you go. All right, SGP. They're in the Goya TV Tower Toy Port Park Site Square on the 21st for 700 fans. The Mummy over Osama Harai. JRF Lion over Hiroshi Watanabe. And Ultraman Robin retained his IWA World Midheadweight title going to no contest with Great Takaro. Total match, total match uh, time on this show was 23 minutes and 51 seconds. It was right. outdoors. It was yeah. outdoors. Um, you know, we've got our Shinobi, we've got our Azteca, we've got our Great Takaro, we've got Ultraman Robin. I'm disappointed that we don't have any results with Shiba, at least not yet. SPWF. They ran Nagata Faze, Faze, on the river 19th from a 375. Hiroshi Osumi over Rojo de Sol. Miss Mongol over Yasue Iwata. Osamu Taitoko, Tachikari, over Dangerous Uchida. I love it. Great Sensei over Shinru. And then Masahiko Kochi, seven match trial series, match number two. Arashi defeated Masahiko Kochi. And then Crusher Ray Vaughn and Yoshaki Yatsu defeat Ichiro Yaguchi and the murder. And Crusher Ray Vaughn is Crusher Takahashi. 
Yes. Why is he Crusher Ray Vaughn? Why was he also Blackjack Punk? That was another one of his gimmicks he did. Uh, okay, well, the official li- the official list t- and on- also Terry the Funk. He did that too. Yeah, the official list on Cage Match: Crusher Takahashi, Idiyuki Takahashi, Father of Showa, Crusher Ravon, Masked Falcon, Masked Halcone, Dragon uh, Sasa Nishiki, Alien Guts, Black Baron, Blackjack Funk, and yes, as he said, Terry the Funk. Not to be confused with Terry Fuck, because that's been said. Wrestle Dream Factory. They ran the Kumagaya Civic Gym on November 20th for 180 fans. Hirofumi Miura and Masakatsu Fukuda over Masaki Mochizuki and Masashi Oyagi. Azteca and Cosmo Soldier defeated Makoto Saito and Tadahiro Fujisaki. Shinichi Shino over Oinro. Shigeo Kato and Shinagami over Hirofumi Miura and Masakatsu Fukuda. And then Masaki Mochizuki and Masashi Oyagi over Shigeo Kato and Shinagami. So another Dream Factory show without Motegi. Yeah. Huh. I wonder why. No. So no Shiba this week. All right. Uh, Rings ran, ran the second of first round matches in its annual Battle Dimension tournament for 4380 in Osaka on the 20th. And a huge surprise to the favorite Japan B team, which has the two biggest stars in the company, Shoshika Saka, Kirshitamura, and Masuki Naruse, lost to Russia B. Vladimir Klimentev, Andrei Kopolov, and Nikolai Zuev, and was eliminated. Wait, wait, wait. So they're doing it as a team thing? Well, just listen. After Zuev beat Tamara in 317 on armbar, left Zuev and Kosaka, and they went to a 10-minute draw. The judges ruling over the five matches and award the overall decision to Russia. The other first round saw Gruzia, <laughs> uh, which was ring heavyweight champion Bisazi Tarillo, Bisazi Amelan, and Gram Zaza beating Australia. Daniel Higgins, Troy Innocent, and Christopher Hazeman in three by three one score. Before we saw the upset with prelim fighter Hazeman beating world champion Tarillo in one fifty seven before losing to Amelan. This put the Netherlands and Japan A in the match. Grizzly and Russian B in the semifinals. So there's are semifinal matches on December 23rd in Fukuoka. With the finals on January 16th for the Budokai. Oh, and that uh, February 21st, Akira Maeda, Alexander Karelin match, Yokohama Arena is being scaled for sellout to be the biggest indoor game of the year. And the sellout will be about $1.7 million, which they believe would be more than WrestleMania scale for in Philadelphia. Wait, does he mean biggest arena gate, or the ticket prices are scaled high enough it would beat the dome shot? Biggest indoor gate of the year? Because that's indoor. Okay, let me see if we have a gate for the dome. Because of the ticket prices. Yeah, it is his retirement, I guess. But, okay, do we have a gate for the New Japan Dome show? Okay. Yeah, okay, he must... He means arena. Because uh, the gate we have for January 4th is uh, 5.3 million. And we only have one Joshi show to talk about this week, but it is Neo Ladies no. Pro Wrestling. Oh, they ran Neo Energy, 98 at Cork and Hall on November 20th, where we have Yuka Nakamura over Hiroyo Muto, Mima Shimoda and Masai Genki over Sai Endo and Tanny Mouse. Oh, my God. Yoshiko Tamura over Crushameo Damari. Etz Komita over Chaprita Sari. And a TWF World Women's Title match, Kyoko Inoue retained over The Bloody. That could be good maybe i forget when kyoko actually got actively bad but that's something 
as Neo shows go, it could be worse, I guess. Um, Mima Shimoda and Masai Genki in 1998 against Tanny Mouse. Hmm. Also, no attendance listed. I'm sure that's a great sign. Just all that great business Neo did with its great wrestling. <laughs> um, we we have Eurasia now as we close out this section with uh, Otto Vance's show. In Bremen, Germany, on the 21st. We have Robbie Brookside over Eric Schwartz. Franz Schumann over Kip A.B. Wait, is that Kip B as, do, as Kip A.B.? <laughs> yes. W7 job guy Kip A.B. working as Kip A.B. Rico de Cuba over Mad Dog McPhee. Ice Train Tony St. Clair won a steel cage match over Bruiser Mastino and Cannibal Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Uh. So you had Ice Train and Tony St. Clair beating Mantar and PN News. And then your CWA tag title match, Christian Eckstein and Uf Herman went to tournament draw with champions Joe X Legend and Rhino Richards. Was he already Joe X Legend at that point? I thought that was after he had the WWF run. Joe E Legend, Joe X Legend, it's all the same. Joe Legend. There John was a, Legend. Wasn't he just Legend at one point? Why not? And then he was, was in Puerto Rico, he was Nord. Why not? You can't call him Brody, so you call him Nord. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, uh, and this is part of the Catch Cup, although we don't have anything about tournament stuff or anything like that. Oh, and again, yes, Rico de Cuba, since we get confused on that sometimes, is Tony R.I.C.O. Rico, a.k.a. Rico the Gladiator, Rico Morales. Not Rico Suave or anyone like that. Um, wait, Mad Dog McPhee, uh, we do not have another identity for him. Oh, but he, he was a hammerlock guy from England. All right, well, that is it for the first half. The show is halftime. Oh, so some God. great 1998 commercials with Pivots and Halftime segment where we'll talk about Patreon. We'll talk about our streaming friends, hit the plugs, and we'll come back where we'll go to Mexico, where we have a big AAA show to talk about. CMLL's uh, deal with WCW. Um, Io De Santo having more issues as a continuation from last week in a way, although it was two years earlier, and all kinds of other stuff. All that more after the break. Mexican pizza, crispy tortilla shells, luscious tomatoes, and a mouth-watering blend of cheeses. Mexican pizza, crispy tortilla shells, luscious tomatoes, and a mouth. I think I'm in love. Right now, get a crunchy, cheesy Mexican pizza for only 99 cents when you buy a large drink. That's over a buck off. Better hurry. Cut the fuss. Get new Almay One Coat Lip Color. All the color you want, plus vitamin E and aloe. In one coat. No feathering, no drying, no fuss. Get rich, creamy color in one lightweight coat. New Almay One Coat Lip Color. Put wings on an ordinary pad, and it's still an ordinary pad. Put wings on Stay Free's four-wall maxi, and you've got something new. Only Stay Free has four-wall protection and wings. Superior protection against leaks. 
Tonight, he promised new roasted garlic. Tomorrow, who knows? Broccoli au gratin, chicken and vegetable. Only Uncle Ben's could satisfy his appetite and mine. Allie gets down and dirty with the king of radio shock jocks. Is there any way I could see you naked? An all-new Allie McBeal, next on Fox. No two women are shaped exactly alike. That's why a woman gynecologist designed the first tampon with individually wound layers that expand to fit each woman's individual shape. A tampon that was different from all the rest to give you truly personalized protection. The OB tampon, also available with an applicator. OB, protection fit for you. They're enchanting, breathtaking, bewitching sisters. Magic isn't just spells and potions. Now it will take all their power to make love come alive. I'm a bitch, I'm a Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman. Do you ever put your arms out and spin, spin, spin? Well, that's what love is like. Practical Magic, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, October 16th at a theater near you. Yeah, baby! I like it. He has guns. It just tastes better. Stop by aisle five for Clairol's herbal essences. It takes you where no shampoo has gone before. With all natural botanicals and organic herbs and pure mountain water, it will leave your hair looking beautiful. Yes! 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 If you think that's great, try the body wash. <laughs> Clairol's Herbal Essences, a totally organic experience. Landing soon in perfect fashion. Ladies and gentlemen, please fashion your seatbelts. Magic fashions in the air at Old Navy. First class fashion. <laughs> Woof. Woof. For me, it's Paris, Milan, and Old Navy. Shop there often? Darling, it's a fashion dynasty. Large cheese? Somebody order a pizza? What can I say? It's college. So it's not like I have a ton of time or money to shop for a car. But I heard some pretty good things about Saturn's website. I could actually pick out a car, play around with options, figure out monthly payments. And Brian, my sales consultant, treated me great. <gasps> Considering the first time we met was when he stopped by with my coupe. Hi, I'm here with the Saturn. Somebody order a Saturn? Hello? What if your worst fears came true? Bailey, is everything all right? A brand new Party of Five. It all happens Wednesday on Fox. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoy those great 1998 commercials as we pivot to halftime seven of the show. Where we're talking about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And yes, we've already started on the new Patreon show. And what a show it's going to be as we talk about the One Warrior Nation, Ultimate Warriors run in WCW in 1998. And 
we've recorded the first segment so far as we record this. We'll record more after we do this section. But boy, what a doozy this is going to be. <laughs> as uh, We're going right up now to um, Fall Brawl. And that's what we'll pick up as we start recording next. But yeah, we got the debut and we got uh, some of his other appearances on TV before Fall Brawl. And we've already noticed, you know, at least one injury from the trap door. And just, man, a, a lot of insanity so far. And uh, boy, that we played it before in the main show, but that first promo was something else. And <laughs> then he did and just. Just the atmosphere of everything going on there. But we also talk about other things, too, as far you know, of how he got – well, not how, but signing with WCW a lot earlier than you may thought, may have thought, and the reason why they didn't put him on television until they did. So there's that, and um, we'll have other stuff about him as well. We're, like I said, we're just really getting started with the show. So there's not a whole lot more I can say, but of course we'll have all the the main stuff, the fall brawl, Halloween Havoc, and stuff the like mirror. that. Between the mirror, all that stuff, all the stuff in between. But yes, it will be quite the show uh, this month on Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. Five dollars a month gets you access to that and all the other shows that we have done in our eight plus years of the Patreon. Well, seven plus years of the Patreon now. We're on year eight, and. Um, yeah, you definitely want to get involved now on the Patreon because we have some big stuff coming and we'll have more on that as we go along. So we're going to have exciting times on the Patreon. So $5 a month, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks to this seven, which we'll do in just a second. $25, a last speaker show for the week, like William Lanham did this week. Um, if you wanted to uh, do that, have uh, your show in mind, probably have another one uh, j- ready just in case. The show that you may want us to do could be something that we can't do for a couple of reasons. A, it could be something that uh, somebody's already picked on the calendar, or it could be something that we've already talked about already that you may have forgotten about. Uh, let us know why you want to do the show. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website, and we'll try to make sure that we get everything ready and get your show on the air. Now, um, follow the protocol there. Of course, you got the uh, 10-year rule in effect. You got 30-day rule in effect to get their show in. You got your Wednesday, Tuesday on the timeline, all that stuff. So you uh, check all that stuff out, and you should be good to go. Fifty dollars, not just in for a second of the show if you choose, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. You don't have to, but it's part of the perks. At Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think? Who do we have to thank this week as our new and/or returning patrons? All right, first one we'd like to thank. I believe he's a returning patron. Uh, I think retired independent wrestler Pat Cusick. Well, thanks, Pat. I don't think he's wrestling anymore, is he? Oh, who knows? It's wrestling. And, oh, he has a Twitter. But, uh, yeah, a mid-Atlantic uh, indie mainstay Pat Cusick. Yeah. So, thank you, Pat. Uh, then we'd like to thank, uh, I'm going if it's a first name, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S is usually pronounced Marcus. Marcus. Yes. Marcus. Marcus Crouch. Thanks, Marcus. Then we have, uh, Jeremy Jones. Thanks, Jeremy. Jason Donahue. Thanks, Jason. And our dear friend, Will Tricity. 
Ah, yes. Our, one of our favorite Aussies. Thank you, Will Tricity, for uh, coming back to the Patreon. We think on your new patrons, your old patrons, patrons that have uh, left, came back, patrons that have been there for the whole time. We thank all you patrons for being uh, with us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And like I said, exciting times coming. So, yeah, get on that. All right, Bix. Who do think? All right, Bix. Now, we let's talk about our streaming friends, shall we? At IWTV and Fight TV. What's going on with them this weekend? All right, IWTV. Looking at the on-demand stuff that's gone up since last week. Uh, I see a few things. It's mainly the live streams and whatnot. I did see though. Uh, a show did go up from Southern Honor Wrestling in Georgia, which I'm mentioning mainly because this show, uh, Southern Honor 56, includes what has become a regular feature, which is Matt Griffin as the evil IWTV representative. Yes, our good buddy Matt is uh, going back to his J.C. North ways here in Southern Honor Wrestling. Yes, yes, the evil representative of IWTV. I guess, I guess Dylan couldn't be evil. I guess Matt, Matt, with his experience, has to be evil. Well, he's got that bald head. Yes, yes. Everyone used to take great joy in talking about him looking like a penis. Especially Dan Wilson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's there. And also there's an action title match with uh, Adam Priest defending against Ashton Starr. So... People check that. Oh, I didn't see the the new action show. Also, the 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 brewery show went up as well. I almost missed that. So that's action uh, bus barn brawl, uh, which features a uh, a scramble with various action regulars and uh, some people who aren't necessarily regulars but are you know friends of action. You know, Rob Killjoy, Nick Iggy, Manders, Bobby Flacco, and more. Uh, Features the action wrestling debut of uh, AEW uh, inaugural match participant Sunny Days. Yes. Well, Which is not a thing I ever expected to see happen. Well, I mean, action's working with Southern Honor. Yes. And, uh, Everyone's sunny, friends now. Sunny, yep. sunny Days is part of Southern Honor. So, yeah, I mean, if they're working together, it makes some sense in that regard. And these shows, and the thing is, is that these brewery shows are kind of different shows. They're supposed to be wilder. Yeah. Yeah, because they're actually serving alcohol. Yes. And the, uh, yeah, the main event is Adam Priest defending the action title against the debuting Brandon Kirk. So, fun show. Curious definitely to check out that match. And, uh, yeah, so that those are the notable uh, on-demand editions this week. Livestream-wise, Monday, of course, is Uncharted Territory Season 5, Episode 3, at 8 p.m. Eastern. Only match listed right now on the IWTV site is Marcus Mathers defending ETU's title against Action Wrestling's Braid in Tune. What else do we have here? Uh, H2O running on Saturday with last November at 8 p.m. Eastern for a show that includes uh, Bam Sullivan defending the Danny Havoc hardcore title against Christian Ross and uh, 
What else do we have here? Oh, Tony Deppin in H2O taking on Kennedy Copeland and various other matches featuring the H2O regulars. Uh, TWE has a show also on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern featuring, featuring mainly the, you know, the local regulars like Tank and Jaden Newman and all those folks. And those are the main things coming up on IWTV this week. So if you are not already a paid subscriber, use code BTSPOD at sign up and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay. A paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now on Fight TV, on Fight Plus, what do we got here? Uh, so on the 21st, which is... Wait, this must be a preview. Yeah, it is. If it's going, if it's airing on a Tuesday, uh, there's an epic pro wrestling show, which I'm still confused as to whether or not that's the Gary Yap one or not. The reason I mention is because I'm curious to ask you. There's a Super Astro Junior listed. Is that any actual connection to? to nah, I don't think so. Okay, I wanted to make sure. So I found that interesting, though. So. There's that. What else do we have here? As I accidentally scroll. Oh uh, no! You're, no, no. Miss him. That's his son. son or just all. That's right. Okay, because I missed that. Yeah, I missed that he changed his name. Oh, um, we've been working under a non-super astro gimmick, and then. Well, no. Okay, no. He had. Okay. Damn. He changed his name years ago, but it did. I remember Miss Kingstar. And then he did become Super Astro Jr. when I still when I was doing lucha stuff, so mm. it just totally just lost my mind. Has he been working SoCal a lot, or mainly in Mexico? Um, Mexico mainly. Okay, but he, as far as I know, I don't think he works a whole hell of a lot. Hmm. Um, but it's 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 the sun. Hmm. Well, anyway. Also, uh, Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern, meaning obviously live from Australia, Renegades of Wrestling Breakthrough, which uh, includes among the more notable names, uh, Robbie Eagles in action, uh, Caveman Ugg defending his uh, title, which he apparently had a match with Janela on the GCW Australian shows that I keep forgetting to watch that I heard was quite good, but... He's one of those Australian guys who, like, the gimmick is obviously a bit over the top, but, I mean, I saw him wrestle on the some of the IWTV and collective shows, you know, at the first collective in 2019. He's he's really, really good. Well, my but, thing about this is we have an actual wrestling show on Thanksgiving Day. Well, yeah, technically. Just because, not in the I mean, U.S. <laughs> and, and it, well, no, and I was going to say Thanksgiving Day used to be one of the biggest... Uh, days of wrestling every year mm-hmm. all, all over the country. I mean, it, yeah, most most companies did double shots on Thanksgiving Day. And you now you don't have that no more. And it's just that's interesting that we actually have some wrestling on Thanksgiving Day. Yes, the big show though of the week on Fight is a GCW's Wrestlecade weekend show on Friday at. So, yeah, Black Friday. Oh, yeah, because, right, holiday weekend at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, I think there's stuff on the Twitter that's not listed here, but let's see. 
mention the description, we've got Blake Kirsten defending the title against Billy Starks. Jordan Oliver versus Masa Slamovich. They had a ter- terrific match with each other I saw last year in Atlantic City. Uh, Maki Ito against Kenzie Page. Trio's match of George South, Kerry Morton, and Ricky Morton against Insane Clown Bussy of Bussy and Violent J. Uh, Matt Cardona was Steph Delander against Speedball Mike Bailey in a match with wrestlers in it. And did I accidentally close the GCW Twitter? Give me one second. I apologize for this. Where the hell did I put it? I had the I had their Twitter open. I, that, well, okay. The one I can remember off the top of my head, I believe they also announced uh, Mance Warner. Is this the twenty? Is this the twenty fourth? Yes. All right. Let me run down the card. All right, so uh, we got Mike Jackson against Santana Jackson in the Battle of the Jackson Family. Yes. You got Joey Janela and Mass Warner, Jordan Oliver and Masha Slamovich, Makito Kenzie Page, George South and the Mortons against Insane Clown Bussy, Matt Cardona, Mike Bailey, and Blake Christian defending the GCW title against Billy Starks. That's definitely an eclectic card. Yeah. And, of course, that'll be on uh, Fight Plus. For subscribers. Um, yeah, Santana Jackson versus Mike Jackson. Makes sense to me. Well, yes, he's a Michael Jackson impersonator against Mike Jackson. Mm-hmm. Alabama junior heavyweight champion, Mike Jackson. Yes. Did he ever lose the title? Yeah, he's he's lost it before. But, I mean, does he hold it right now? Probably. You should defend it then. <laughs> Well, anyway, so that's what's notable coming up on Fight uh, this week. You're not already a subscriber or you want to order one of their iPay-per-views, tinyurl.com slash btsfight, that's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. Again, tinyurl.com slash B-T-S-F-I-T-E. And yet again, I have a show I need to plug involving friends. Absolute intense wrestling. AIW is running uh, the Four Sports Arena in East Lake, Ohio, I, I on the November twenty fourth. I forgot to check their Twitter again. Jesus Christ! Fight, get get your shit together. <laughs> All right, on, in a six way scramble, we got Doc Simmons against Mikey Montgomery, Dex Royal, Kaplan, Vic Vice, and Austin James. So wait, what Mag- day in time is this again? November twenty fourth. Then you got Magnum CK against Eric Taylor. Got a four-way featuring uh, Do Infinity and Beyond. Of course, that's Cheech and Colin Delaney against PME, Marino Tanaglia and Philly Collins. Members only, Calvin G. Lewis and Malcolm Cambridge. And Latinos must want Coda Hernandez and Sabin Gage. You got Josh Prohibition against Tyler Jordan. Wes Barkley defends AIW Intense title against Sam Holloway. AIW Absolute title match, Isaiah Broner defending against Derek Dillinger. And in the main event, a yes. dream match. Kenta against Dominic Garini, the bone collector, our dear friend, getting a uh, major dream match. And, uh, yeah, that, that's that's an awesome match for him. I'm glad that he's uh, going to have that opportunity yes. on this show. Uh, what happened to the GCW Tag Team Champions, Dominic Garini, as well? Yes, yes that's right. I think so, we mentioned uh, that last week, but I was, couldn't remember. So, yeah. So, there you go. So, that is... Uh, 
Yes. AIW, a, 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 you know, our dear friends, John Thorne, Tom, and all the crew there. So uh, yeah. should be quite the show. Yes, Black Friday on 5 Plus at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Which, again, fight, get your shit together. <laughs> the show's a, show a week away as we're recording this, and there's nothing on, on fight schedule. Just wonderful. It's a good all service, right. but what the fuck? No. <laughs> uh. Anyway, all right, today's episode Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even using Cognito mode, your service provider storing your browsing data in the meantime, even selling it, but Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. It was serviced in over 75 different countries. You can get unrestricted access, geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes to easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up Private Internet Access right now, you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. We have three pl- plans for you to choose from. You can go with a straight monthly plan, $11.95 a month. You can go yearly at $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year, or you can go for the best package of all, Three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month. $79 for the first two years. You live there after 83% off. An amazing, amazing deal. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you take advantage of private internet access right, uh, 30-day risk-free challenge, excuse me, yes. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So you get that in US? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we're going to 1989, where we'll talk about Survivor Series 1989. And we'll have that. We'll have also um, Dave's thoughts on wrestling on Thanksgiving Day and how it's changed. In just a matter of a year, basically two years. So we'll talk about that. We'll have uh, Jerry Lawler really getting his heel turn going in Memphis. We got uh, some big shows in Japan to talk about. We got Ric Flair and Great Muda wrestling each other on the World Championship Wrestling. Arn Anderson returns to the NWA. We got all kinds of house show results, all kinds of stuff next week. On Between the Sheets. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, what a show we got this week. Eh, we're just going to sidebar our uh, thoughts on anything other than that we normally do in this section. Because there's also really a whole hell of a lot going on either. But next week, we'll definitely uh, have some time because by this time next week, we'll know who's going to be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the last couple of years. Had, was the announcement the week after ballots closed, or is this the first time it's that quick? It's quick. It's been, it's been a while since it's been this quick. Dave must be getting some new help with counting those ballots. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see because... Uh, I'm going to say it here. I think it's pretty darn uh, concrete that the young bucks got in. 
I I didn't see what the exact quote was or listen to the show, but I know people got the that impression from how he was talking that the Bucks so, went in and that Roman Reigns did not. Which I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. So, but anyway, we'll have more on that next week, and I guess we'll be talking about. AEW after full gear. We'll see how all that goes because there's could be some big happenings on that show. So uh, you we'll, mean we'll uh, have... some money happenings? Well, you may think that, um, but anyway, more on that next week on Between the Sheets. But anyway, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to Mexico now and start with Triple R. The uh, <laughs> I love this. The PAPSA, which at the time Dave was saying, pro, the Promociones Antonio Pena, um, S.A. He didn't realize that S.A. was like a, uh, you know, like incorporated or whatever. But the reason why he's calling it this is this is the time period where Televisa and Antonio Pena were on the outs in ways and uh, Televisa owned AAA. They own the name. They own the name and Pena was starting to put other branding out there in case he needed to make a switch. Yes. Yes, which also was the big reason behind LLL as well. Or trip, what am I saying? Triple L. Yeah. So the La Zona de Guerrera War Zone Spectacular on uh, number 15 is up upon near Guadalajara. Drew this one crowd blamed because there was a big soccer game in the city. Although no one, although anyone who knows about booking wrestling knows that's an excuse. If you have the show people want to see, you can compete against any event in the city. The main event was a cage match for the Scandal Trophy <laughs> with Sangre Chicana and Los Vatos Locos beating Cibernetico and Los Vipers when Paraguayo Jr. feared and stopped Cibernetico from escaping when he and Nigma were the final two men left. Vipers all attacked Perito for costing the match, which brought up Pedro Sr. for the save, but they destroyed him as well. Pena came out to restore order, but Cibernetico, who's feuding with Pena in the same American angle, is setting this case promoters to babyface, attacked Pena and destroyed his glasses. They also had a match with Pedro Sr., Octagon, and Alabrije, beating Devastador, Pentagon, and The Killer, when actor Huicho Dominguez told technical referee Tropicas about a foul that Rudo referee Tarantes overlooked, and they wound up having another three-way brawl. Dominguez, when he gets involved physically, is totally lame, but he's over like Steve Austin in the buildings. An earlier six-man veteran Cabarde did a run-in and hit Latin Lover over the head with a pail, and he did his church a job to start a new feud. All right, results of the show. We had a uh, lumberjack match. Granapachi La Rata and Titanic over Dolar Maravilloso and Oscar Sevilla. Ada Moreno, Linda Starr, and Princesa Shugi over Miss Janeth, Rosa Moreno, and Soshiamara. Perito, Heavy Metal, and Latin Lover over Visma Negro, the Shock and Kick Boxer by disqualification. Ada Brije, Octagon, and Pedro Aguayo Sr. over Devastador, the Key Letter, and Pentagon, and the War Games match. Uh, Los Vatos Locos, Charlie Manson, May Flowers, Nigma, Pacudo, and Sancre Chicana over Mosca de Donacen, Maniaco, Hysteria, Cibernetico, and. Psychosis number two. So, yeah. Triple A. Not good. (laughs) Uh, It's hit and miss. It's got its fun moments. But, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not 94, 95, 93. It's not that era. 
but they, but there's a lot. There's some really good talent on these shows, and I mean, it's just hit, it's just hit and miss. He's starting to rebuild. Pain is by this point. Well, he's it, what what it is is he's building up gimmicks and characters that are getting over, but maybe not. You know, the, the most spectacular of workers. Sure. Although there are some great workers on this show, but it's just different. It's not the golden age, but they're still doing well, considering. All right, similar. The current plan is for the beginning of WWE's invasion to be on December the 4th in Mexico with Hector Garza, Vampiro, and Dandy on the show. It appears Vampiro has cut his own deal apart from WCW, and he may be coming in the worker program with Real Daily Scudu for the CMLO heavyweight title over the next few weeks. Bossy Lucha reported this week that Conan, La Parca, Silver King, Tarzan Boy, Psicosis, Juventus Grada, Mascarona Set, and Vampiro were all being talked about as coming in. And that Conan and Paco this week are scheduled to have a meeting to come up with booking ideas for the program. Oh, I'm, oh yeah. Uh, sure. It appears, it appears that Sonny Ono will largely coordinate the angle for WCW and work as the heel manager of the WCW crew. Ideas have been given for Ono to few Paco Alonso, but Alonso is an old school promoter that doesn't want to be involved in angles. Alonso has claimed WCW that neither Negro Casas or Santa have signed their WF deals. Meanwhile, WF sources have indicated that they have signed. Yes, this is a interesting deal here because CML at this time is working out. with both American promotions. Yeah. Yes, and and this and the crew comes in. Um, it's a very short-lived deal, but they do come in. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, how all that happened, but um, but yeah, they did show up, and uh, it was cool to see them there. Um, it just because it was that whole WCWF, you know, mix up there. All right, yeah, okay. There was a match that took place. We had Silver King, Bianca Tercero. No, Viano Quattro and Viano Five. So three WCW guys against Negro Casas, Il De Santo, and Felino. All guys that worked in WWF. I think they built it as WCW versus WWF. Or some of the matches they did. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yes. And then they had a rematch. So they had two mat- two straight weeks where they faced off with each other. Yeah, I, I, just as you know, a starting point, I pulled up Hoovy's cage match, and I searched for Arena Mexico, and he doesn't work. He not does, until, but it's not televised, if I'm mistaken. It was Super Viernes on uh, December 11th. I don't think that made TV. It was uh, Dandi, Rayo, and Garza over four years of Hoovy and Vampiro in the main event. Yeah, don't think that made television. Yeah, and also uh, had the quarter and the semifinals of the uh, World Trios title tournament. You said December 11th? Yes. No, just the tournament t- made TV. Okay, interesting. Yeah, the, there's the quarterfinals and semifinals. Yep. So, yeah, it is interesting. But, again, that's the only one he works, right? Until he's Until done with everything. Familia de Tijuana and, and the yeah, other guys exactly. come in. Yeah. 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 So I tell you, that's why I say it's very, very short lived. 
this little deal here. All right, um, Lady Apache defeated Tanya in CMLO's first ever women's hair match in more than five, well, first women's hair match in five years, more than five years on November fifteenth at Arena Coliseo. After Apache won, the scene was really weird because people speculate that Apache may be leaving wrestling either temporarily or permanently. After she won, her parents hit the ring along with her husband, Brasa de Oro, uh, in a standing ovation of the crowd, which threw some money in the ring. Several women's wrestlers who weren't booked on the show came out, including Shoselin, her, her main rival, Rudo La Diabolica and Lola Gonzalez. They gave flowers and bowed to her. It was never explained why there was such a celebration simply for winning a hair match. Do you have any idea what the deal with this is? I think it's just for winning the hair match because I don't remember her. I mean, she didn't step away or anything. Okay. They, just, they were congratulating for winning the match. I just pulled up her cage match. She's younger than I thought. She's only 53 now. Yes. Yeah, she's... She was very young when she started. Hmm. So, yeah, what year did she start? Yeah, she started in, ni- in 90. It, or That's the earliest results we have. So, basically, she was 20 years old. Hmm. So, not... So, I mean, that's actually... <laughs> older for some of the people starting in Mexico, so... Yeah. I mean, I don't... Do the women tend to start later, or do they usually start... No, like, they start young. Okay. They start young just like men. Hmm. She's someone who... She's not a Hall of Fame or anything like that, but, like, she's someone who probably does, at least in, like, the English-speaking lucha world, deserve a little more credit. I mean, certainly... For a stretch there, she is by far the best worker of the women in Mexico. Yeah. I mean, she, she had a great run when she was on, you know, on top, but it was during an era where it just didn't mean a whole lot, so to speak. Yeah. Women were always, you know, second match, basically, on the card. So... All right, uh, the rest of the show at Coliseo on the 15th. Ala Grande Durango in Filoso over El Cafre and Heque. Dr. Oborban Jr., Rico Latino, and Reyes Vellos over Atlantico, Olympus, and Tajiri. Yep, dead Tajiri. Uh, Brother Oro, Mascara Magica, and Pantera over Fishman, Carlos Fagarde Jr., and Mano Negra. Then the hair match. And then Fuerza Carrera, Mascara Año, Rosmina, and Satanico over Brother de Plata, Emilio Chavez Jr., and Liz Mark. Then on the 17th, the Tuesday show at Coliseo, we had La Flecha and Sombra de Plata over Cafre and Fierro, Damiano Guerrero and Fugaz over Alacón de Durango and Pegaso. Of course, Damiano Guerrero uh, was uh, one of the Guerreros with Guerrero Maya and um, what's the other one? I can't remember now. Uh, Gure- 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 that's right. Yeah. Asari Jr. Mascara Mágica and Torero over Chicago Express and Otisera. Mugger in Mayo. Oro, Rigo Mendoza and Shocker over Akana de la Muerte, Negro, and Zumbi, 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 And then Bluvanta, Satanico, and Viano Tercero over Milo Chavez Jr., Red Lelisco Jr., and Tenebles Jr. And then we get to the Friday night show. On the 20th, which is headlined by Bestia Savaje, Scorpio Jr., and Black Warrior over Ia de Santo, Negro Casas, and Felino when Savaje pins Santo after a mask game. After the match, Santo and Casas challenge Savaje and Scorpio for a uh, CML tag title match, which should take place over the next few weeks. They did a match already in Pueblo on the 23rd with Savaje and Scorpio winning. 
In the semi-main event, first got to pair off Bertrand Universal de Smil. As they were facing Solomon Grande, Elantis, and Lise Mark, and went tag in, causing him to get pinned in both falls. After the match, Moscow Anya Dosmil did a run in and attack both men. And the results of this show Kid Guzman, the future Tigre de Blanco, and Olympus over Heke and Reyes Veos. Elantico and Oriental over Dato Boren Jr. and Herco Latino. Olimpico and Pantera and Tony Rivera over Calabria Jr., Ultimo Guerrero and Violencia. Yes, Ultimate Guerrero is still working the Terceras in this era, but that will soon change. Atlantis, Lise Mark, and Solomon Grande over Mascarino de Smil, Padoff, and Universal de Smil. And Best of Seven Hate, Black Warrior and Scorpio Jr. over Ildo Santo, Felino, and Negro Casas. Now, um, Solomon Grande is uh, on this show, and um, he's not in a good way right now. Yes, uh, I was about to bring that up. There's a GoFundMe set up for him uh tim haygood's his real name it, and you'll find it if you just google solomon grundy uh go find me yeah his mother passed he's going through dialysis he's having a hard time and that's a guy that you know he he worked a lot he worked a lot in mexico and uh you know he, he worked in world class in the 80s he worked in memphis so, I mean, he's a world traveler, worked in Japan. He, he may not have worked for any of the major organizations, but still, I mean, he was he's around and a, and a, and a good talent. So um, it sucks that he's going through some hard times. So check that out if you can this time of year, the holiday season. Anything else on, the, on these shows that catch your eye? Uh, I did want to... Remind everyone that Damiano Guerrero, probably not his best gimmick, because he was also Tierra Viento y Fuego. Yes, Earth, Wind, and Fire. All right, we had a Promo Azteca branded show in Aguas Calientes on the 19th, where we have Extraño and Superpunk over Otomico Ramirez and Cato Bravo Jr., Mascarita Magica and Mini Star over Espiritrito 2 and Perafito, Super Peñoco, Super Breton, and El Zorro. Over Alequin, Guerrero de la Noche, and Maniaca by disqualification. Parata Morgan, Violencia, and Zumbido over Rekka Latino, Starman, and Tajiri. In our main event, Lise Mark, Mil Mascaras, and Mr. Niebla over Best of Scorpio Jr. and Tejano. Hmm. And Promo Azteca at this point, for all intents and purposes, is not much of a thing anymore, right? No, but, but you see, it's still a, a place where. You had CMLR guys, but you also had guys that weren't regular CMLR guys mixing it up with them, like Moscovus. Yeah. And Parata Morgan. Yeah. Um, as far as some of the people on here, Superpunk is Zooligan, right? That's right. Yes. Uh, there was someone else I wanted to mention as I look through this again. Oh, Espectrito 2 is La Parquita, right? If I'm not mistaken, that is correct. Yeah. They're brothers, but he's the one. The easier way to distinguish them is that Espectrito 1 is the famous Espectrito, and Espectrito 2, and they were tag team partners, by the way. It was not a replacement thing, because that was the way the big Espectros did it. But that was uh, the original La Parquita, or at least the most famous La Parquita. And I think everyone else on here is fairly self-explanatory, but... Yeah, when does when does the branding of Promos Tekka die? Uh, basically the end of ninety eight. 
because like, right Conan's there, still right. using it for some of his Tijuana shows, right? Yeah. You know, like, I remember when, like, the riot happened with the Cybernetico match a few weeks before this. Like, I remember everyone calling that a promo Azteca show. But, I mean, what, outside of TV tapings, were there even any, like, quote-unquote, office promo Azteca shows in the first place? Not really. Were they even the ones booking the guys out for the other shows, or were they basically independents? Like you I mean, they, they, they kind of they had something going on there, yeah. Interesting time in Lucha with all the weird American stuff mixed in. All right, let's get back to the USC now, and we start with this. The Learning Channel ran this one-hour special called The Secret World of Pro Wrestling on November 15th with the brilliant foresight to run ahead to head with Survivor Series. Although it aired in the replay showing later that night after Survivor Series had ended. That's how I watched it. Uh, there wasn't much in the way of new ground on the show, but as far as appeared, the recent A&E and NBC specials, both in presentation and in regard to accurate portrayal of the pro wrestling industry, both in history and in current form. The main problem with the show is that pro wrestling itself moves so fast that a show largely put together in February, showing clips of the angles going on at the time, looks dated now, and a lot of the current stats used regard pay-per-view TV ratings, with WCW in the lead and both, quoted by Dave, were accurate in February, but altogether different today. The show was both fair and accurate, almost amazingly so, regarding the business with the best part of the story not being the major league promotions, but the plight of a lot of young kids, including a tiny ninth grader from Southern California, training in a local wrestling school doing Ray Mysterio Jr. inspired moves. And their long shot dreams to be pro wrestlers. It showed kids learn to be wrestlers at both Billy Anderson and Jesse Hernandez's wrestling school in San Bernardino. And at Gary Key School near in Los Angeles. It was filled with clips going back to carnival wrestling all the way to Raw. Explosive matches like Onita and Pogo in Japan. And a great deal about Lucha Libre is explained by Sergio Torres, Superboy, Los Angeles indie wrestler, with a lot of clips of the Rey Mysterio Jr. who took it out of the WWE welterweight title match in 1996 from the Palenique in Tijuana. There's not been one match this year in the United States, and very few in the world that can even touch that match. The show was dirty, dirty chatter style, which is a documentary designed to teach students about a different world. There weren't the usual assortment of lies and mistruths about history and current product that plagued most features. Which one probably has credit the producers for because Dave Dows the rest of the promoters interviewed and everyone from a man, Bischoff, Hogan, Savage, Austin, Shamrock, etc. was interviewed for the piece. All suddenly decided to be 100% straight. The almost surprising revelation is WC referee Nick Patrick, who knew that his earpieces used for television where everything's on strict time to get time cues, which he in turn gives to the wrestlers in the ring to make sure everything ends when it's supposed to. It's probably hard for Dave to give an unbiased reaction to a show where which Dave ended up with more airtime than Vincent Mann or Bischoff, and where one of the indie wrestlers featured Phil Flanders as Dave's lookalike, but he thought it was very good. Most people who Dave knew and generally been very critical of most pieces on wrestling were very complimentary to this one. And yes, in, in my mind, of all the wrestling deals in this time period that we had, this probably was the best one. Yes, absolutely. Because it didn't insult the wrestling fans. At all. No. It was respectful. It showed the larger wrestling world. It was fairly truthful and accurate. It 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 worked, and it was an entertaining show to watch, and... Whole thing is on YouTube. Um, I'm gonna play some clips, I guess. You know, not the, not close to the whole thing, but 
let's see, as I scrolling through, where do we start? Yeah, one of the talking heads is Johnny Legend, for some reason. Who will? Well, it's California. Well, yes. Second only to news. For someone who's never seen wrestling, it's it's kind of like the whole human drama is being played out in this really strange universe. It just occurred to me as I was playing that clip that for someone listening who's not seeing what Johnny Legend looks like, he just kind of sounds like Dan Farron. Well, and I can't see it either. Oh, I thought I did second screen. Still, you know what Johnny Legend looks like. Well, I know what he looks like. With the long hair and the beard and everything. Um... Oh, we've got Dave. Oh, and we've got Dan Farron. <laughs> That's right. No, Danny Wolf. Excuse me. Sorry. That's Broadway Danny Wolf. Yes, yes. I should have known. Dan Farron is. The, oh, now I remember. Dan Farron's in the NBC special, though, as the referee. But here's Dave coming up here. If it'll play the way it should. People suspend their disbelief, but. Deep down, they know that the end of that cliffhanger end of the soap opera is something that was, you know, thought of and pre-planned. It's not like this is actually real life and professional wrestling is no different. But while there are characters in the ring, wrestlers are still just flesh and bone. It's just physical. As it looks, there are no strings attached. The injuries are real. Um, I'm, I'm a prime yes. example. Uh, I wrestled 19 years, and uh, right before I turned 40, I herniated a disc in my neck. Doctor said, if you ever get dropped on your head, you know, you could end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. I said, well, I think that's enough. I'm done. The worst injury I've had is uh, my neck. I have um, two discs that were just shattered. I, they had to go in and replace them all. Case in point, up front, they're like, wrestling fans know it's not a real sport. They watch it because it's entertaining. And still, these guys are taking a lot of real punishment. Here are some examples. As I'm skipping ahead, even, there's a graphic talking about how each rest, each year a wrestler can spend the equivalent of six full weeks on airplanes. Yeah. So from the beginning, they are grounding this in respect for wrestlers and wrestling fans. Yeah. And now here's Eric with his backwards cap. Followed by Red Bastine. That he's a coward or not. You need to have great storyline. You need to have issues that people are interested in and can relate. And you can just keep finding variations in the, in the main storyline. You can take, you know, real life flesh and blood people and just and just keep going with it. You don't have to stop. You don't have to be accountable to the ugly uh, fist of reality in wrestling. In a big match, even if you're the best darn I wrestler no in the world, if you don't have any that. charisma, there's nobody going to come to see you. And it, it really boils down. You got to put butts in seats. And that's Red Bastion saying yes. that, who, like, physical talent, technically speaking, was one of the best workers of his era. Now, he did have charisma, and he was a big star in a draw, but still, you know, I feel like it hits extra hard coming from him compared to if it was someone else. Yeah. And yeah, they interviewed everyone. We've got Jimmy Hart. We've got Alan Sharp of World Championship Wrestling. Oh, 
I, I would say that the fact that we're live every week really keeps it fresh, but it also allows a lot of flexibility for, um, for different maneuvers and things to happen each and every week. And, and that's really something that, that other shows really don't have. We are live, live in your face every week. With wrestling's oh, revenue soaring, the fans seem to be saying they're content with things just as they are. Primal. How about Alan Sharp making sure uh, to have his contacts in for this interview? Can't have those glasses here. No. Oh, but okay. So now we go to one of the L.A. wrestling schools. I think this is uh, Jesse Hernandez and Billy Anderson that we start with. And we get a title card that says, in the pile driver's seat. Wrestlers are not born, they're made. Is that the Peace Festival, Matt? Looks that way. Huh. At least that's the prevailing thought at the dozens of wrestling schools across the country. Training, coaching. Also, you know how you know it's Jesse Hernandez's school? Paul Opperstein's AWF banner. Yeah. Because he was one of the referees. And molding the stars of tomorrow. At the School of Hard Knocks in San Bernardino, California... A handful of students step into the ring three times a week to learn the right moves from Jesse Hernandez and Bill Anderson, who have worked with superstars like the Ultimate Warrior, Sting, and Louis Spicoli. We train guys to uh, achieve their, their dreams of becoming a professional wrestler. Still a part-time pro wrestler and a referee, Jesse has been teaching for close to 20 years. He knows what it takes to become a wrestler. Okay, throw him in, leapfrog, drop down, bend down. Two sets on the, on the last one, do the sunset. The guy running does the sunset. So the secret to being a good wrestler is knowing this ring like they wove their own... Oh, it rooms UWF, babe. You have to know how many steps it takes from one end of the ring to the other. Good job, good. Wrestling is like an art. When you go in there, it's like it's almost like making music. Everything that you do, it's got to have a meaning behind it. I mean, you just don't get in there and start doing a bunch of crazy, stupid things. You got to build a storyline with what you're doing. You got to go down. You got to go down. Again, like, we have to stress, none of the other features and documentaries on pro wrestling around this time were close to as respectful as this. No, they weren't. And talking about wrestling as an art form and everything. Like, it really, like, it was such a breath of fresh air. And that they're talking about Lucha Libre and all that, you know? Like, um, oh, this is Phil Lander, who Dave said was his doppelganger. <laughs> There's a similarity there, not, but the, just the hair, mainly. Looks kind of like a cross between Dave and Reckless Youth. Oh, hey, it's Moondog Wenzel. Mark Wendt. Yeah. Um, the average pay for a wrestler on this level is $25, about $25 a night, sometimes less. There's Danny Wolf again. Oh, now we're talking about Lucha. Uh, oh, here's Superboy. You see a masked wrestler, you understand him right away. Here in America, you see a masked wrestler, you, you're figuring out what is he trying to hide. When you lose this mask, it's like you lose your identity. Without this mask, I'm just another person in the crowd, you know. But when I 
put this mask on, I, I do a lot of the high-flying stuff that um, normally a guy that's lighter than me won't do the half of the stuff that I do. Superboy's uh, a heel, a rudo in uh, Mexican, and uh, people hate him. In Lucha, the rudo is the bad guy. Oh, hey, look, it's Kurt People Brown. hate him. In Lucha... There's Randall Drummond. Recognize the hair. Who do we have here? Oh, oh, there's Kurt. I forgot he was in this. Did you have any recollection of that? Yeah. Okay, I did not remember he was... I mean, it makes sense, since his friends are in it. Gil. Together, they tangle in non-stop action that implements as many spots or moves as possible. When I was learning American style, they never really taught me a high spot that was more than four or five steps. Like, you tackle guy once, you hit the ropes again, he drops to the mat, you hit the rope again, he hip-tosses you. That was usually it. But when I started learning Mexican style, the high spots they're teaching me are like 10, 12 steps. And you have to have really good timing to get them down. The really good wrestlers can do these spots. They can have almost a sixth sense of what the other person's about to do. I just see how detailed the spots they do are, and I couldn't do it. I mean, look at how detailed they're getting with, like, process and mechanics of pro wrestling, too, you know? Yeah. This you wouldn't get a lot anything like this to a degree like these days. No. Daniels. Oh, okay. So wait. Oh, is this the part where we talk about incredibly strange wrestling? Because they're okay a little bit. There's one part I want to play where they treat like the type of stuff uh, Johnny does for ISW is like routine. Like, how is he gonna hold the next show? Oh, it's a. Tortilla death match or whatever the hell it is. Oh, here's the Nick Patrick thing. Might as well play that. Uh, where are we? Okay, here we go. These two stinking yellow to come on down here. The referee, part enforcer, part enabler, has no choice but to stay with the action in the ring. The secret to being a good referee is uh, being aware of what's going on around you at all times because in many instances there's things happening outside the ring as well as inside the ring. The key to it really is trying to get a feel for the wrestlers and mainly staying out of the way of the action but in a position where you can see what's going on at the whole time. With all that's happening, the referee is often given an earpiece for a special purpose. The earpiece is uh, someone, the timekeeper, keeping me abreast of how much time has gone. That way I can let the wrestlers know because on television they only have a certain time limit. You know, when they get engaged in battle, I let them know. So, you know, okay, five minutes are in. They, if they know they've got five minutes left, then somebody better kick it in. usually a couple different ways to end the match by pinfall i'm recognizing that guy in his voice but i don't remember who that is oh that's dan farron okay that's young dan farron okay there we go he looked it's he looked different without the uh well you didn't recognize his mask mask on (laughs) yeah club 
So yes, you can see a lot of this is the uh, Johnny Legends click here, which is fine. But it's funny to see all these people that we know in this documentary. Uh, so, yeah, and you got your pay-per-view graphs and stuff. So yeah, just, you know, a lot of stuff won't be breaking news to people, but it, it, it it's worth your time if you want to check it out on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it doesn't insult you. You learn. Keller Kowalski. Oh, they've got the old uh, Danny McShane poster of all of his injuries from his career. I forgot about that they even talk about Destroyer's fame in Japan. Like, they packed a lot into this 45 minutes. Yeah. They really did. It was pretty impressive. So, yes, the secret world of professional wrestling and the Learning Channel. And the curious if there's anything of note in the credits. I'm guessing not, but, uh, but good stuff here. Oh, yeah, so footage provided by. Let's see who we've got here. So we got Bob Barnett, Dick Byer, John Black. Don't know who that is. Kurt Brown, Dan Farron, Jesse Hernandez. Good days of our lives. Fred Jung from Calgary. Dr. Michael Lano, DDS. Of course. Ted Lewin. I don't know who Marcel Mercia is. George Napolitano. Was it the mime? No. Um, Marcel Mercia. Wait, so... Elephant Boy provided footage. Bill, all of all of us. Uh, Anastasia Pontios. I don't know who that is. Uh, and then who else? Al Revenant. I'm sure some of this is local lucha stuff. Sergio Torres, Superboy, Cameo Wallace. Don't know who that is. Danny Wolf, Archive Films, Inc. Fish Films, Good Mark Foods, National Archives, Pacific Coast Sports is APW, right? I think so. Texas All-Star Wrestling. Okay. Uh, WCW, WWF, Wrestling World Magazine, I guess. So so there you go. So, interesting show. Weird that they aired it opposite Survivor Series, but that's also a thing that keeps happening, like with the Jesse Ventura movie airing opposite a pay-per-view. So, who knows what the rationale was for any of those. We talked about this earlier in the show, but here's more. Let's go to ECW. Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch are officially on a leave of absence to tend to personal issues after missing the FNW in Peerview. The two canceled several flights to Japan as Candido had said his grandmother was on her deathbed, and it wound up after the last miss, and with FMW already hot about Bama Bigelow canceling, that Paul Heyman got Sabu to do the show. All of Sitch's merchandise was removed from the gimmick tables, and they are no longer being advertised as appearing on for any upcoming shows. Uh, ECW shows or FMW shows? ECW. And I forget. Didn't They're back this, in January. But didn't this turn out that Chris's grandmother was not actually sick? Yes. It was all, yeah, it was all an excuse. Think about how bad things have to be at this point, because really, there weren't that many stories of them missing shows. Granted, this is a 14-hour flight and all that, but... But then they bring it back in January. Yeah. So, Yeah. That turnaway crowd of twelve seventy three paying twenty one nine oh three in November November fifteenth in Revere, Massachusetts. How the show was to be Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn, which went nineteen twenty four. Paul Heyman is grooming Van Dam for the spot for a top bait face spot, and the crowd already thinks he is Shawn Michaels, and he wants him in long matches, so when he gets to the spot where he has the main event, he can do a strong title match. Well, yeah. That was the plan. 
Uh, one man game missed a show after injuring his ankle in the match with Van Dam a couple of days earlier. They also messed up the finish as Gang failed to catch a chair for Van, Van Daminator and actually caught the chair with his face. And then Van Dam couldn't get the chair, but with Gang hobbling, they went home anyway. They continue to strip Tammy Lynn Bitch down to her bra and panties on, 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 the, on every night. When fans chant for Tammy Sitch to show her stuff, she pulls down her top, but Chris Candido blocks the fans' view. While Francine plays main event heel bitch because she won't take whatever limited clothes she's wearing off at all. Dreamer wrenched his back in Revere, but no doubt be wrestling this coming week. Balls Mahoney broke his nose for the second time over the past two weeks in Revere. Dudley's and Tanaka and Balls, you have basically the same match every night. Tyler changed from National Queen there on TV, and Dave Phelps probably stepped down in quality from the pay-per-view match, which is only decent. It got over great because the Queen's crowd seemed to be any brawling, whether the brawling looked bad or not, and they did a lot of brawling. On TV, it looked worse than their previous matches. The dually chairs establish hideous two counts in succession, make every match the same. And since fans have seen these guys deliver brutal chair shots, when the chair spots somewhat are somewhat weaker, it's almost disappointing. And the damage is still unsettling. Joel Gurner took one of the sickest chair shots you'll ever see in Queens. Although Dave's told a weekend he was taking them just as bad. They're trying to push the idea of the Dudley's as much as tag team ECW history and trying to push the idea of them being the best team in the world. The other team matches Van Dam against Dreamer, which was 1806. Van Dam looked great in the final four minutes. Matched all the excessive run-ins towards the finish to make it like a longer version of a Nitro match. But the big show of our week was on the 21st at ECW Arena before the regular packed house. Said to have been an average or below average show. It opened with Shane Douglas offering Taz a title shot if he could eliminate Sabu from contention. And also Douglas asked for Taz to be his partner in the main event against Sabu and Van Dam. Despite Dudley beat Mr. Hughes, it was said to look bad. Chris Chatty, Supernova, and Blue Meanie beat Roadkill, Doring, and Skull Von Crush. Van Dam kept the TV title beating Rob Price in a match described as okay at best. Little Guido beat Mike Lazansky in a bad match. The two best matches followed with Storm beating Lynn when Whipwreck interfered, followed by Storm beating Whipwreck when Lynn interfered. John Cronus and New Jack went to no contest. They had an angle stemming from New Jack doing a TV interview saying he carried Cronus the whole time they teamed. They had an angle where Lance Wright and Cronus were to bring that up and set the match, which apparently made sense on paper, but was executed so poorly it killed the match. Just scrubbing the Dudley's beat Balls, Masato Tanaka, and Tommy Dreamer. And the show ended with Sabu and Van Ammer, Taz and Shane, when Sabu beat Douglas with a Arabian face buster, followed by the Camel Clutch. After the match, Taz dropped Sabu in his head with his Kachacha May, dropped into a move, similar to the Cobra Crutch suplex, and they played it up huge with Sabu going out on a stretcher. And yes, we ran down the results of this show, so... There's that. Um, you know, ECW, ECW this time is in a bad in a bad way. Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to get at the same thing to a degree because which... because and I, and I made this statement on Twitter the other day. It's it's not talked about enough how basically Tajiri and Super Crazy saved that promotion. Yes. Because I mean they were they were just basically running on fumes. The the TV shows were bad. The the pay-per-views were okay. So it's bad. just, there, there was no, I mean, the wrestling was just not good. It was all bad brawling and shtick and stuff like that. But Sigeria is super crazy. And, and Rob Naylor brought the point too. And can't count Sid out in this too. They, they saved the promotion. Yes. Sid coming in when he did was a huge, huge, huge deal. 
At least he was fresh. Yes. He wasn't getting overexposed. Nope. And of course, the increase in the wrestling quality, which I mean, even Paul admitted at the time was needing to have good wrestling in the middle again. That was huge, too. But, you know, the thing I was going to get at initially that ties into all this, you know, we talked about this on the Todd Gordon Patreon shows, and you really think about it, it makes sense. Maybe Paul on his own wasn't that good a booker, or at least is burnt out having to do it on his own. Because Todd, you know, he was still, he wasn't the owner anymore, but he was still involved until he leaves after the mole bullshit. And right when Todd leaves, it's pretty much exactly when the booking completely falls off a cliff. Yeah. And we never talk about Todd's role as, you know, part. we never talk about his role in the booking of the promotion because it never was talked about. Paul was always talked about as the sole booker. Which was by design, as Todd talks about. And, you know, mm-hmm. even when he does that shoot promo at the NWA New Jersey show, what's... What, what is the one, like, genuine thing that he actually, like, with ECW that he brings up, he kind of sneaks it in there, is he talks about him and Paul as, like, the greatest booking duo of the last however many years. Like, he yeah. really took some pride in that, and it I understandably bothered him that, you know, he wasn't getting credit. And, like, do I necessarily think Todd would have been much of a booker on his own? I mean, he did some pre-TV, but that's just booking in Nindy. Um, but there's something to be said for just being a good person to bounce things off of and adding in that way. But I mean, it seemed like he was more than that, but still like, cause that, I mean, that team WWF stuff ramps up like immediately after he's gone. And that's the moment where it's just kind of like ECW jumping the shark. So yeah, things are not great at this one. I mean, has November to remember happened yet? Or is it right after this? It's already happened. So yeah, on top of everything else, I think. Regardless, it's in this time. It's you know within a week or two of this. They have yeah, this, November first. November first. They had this highly anticipated Sabu Sandman match, which then ends up being maybe the worst match in the history of the company, and they have this big high profile failure, to the point that when they do their pay per view rematch, they pre taped it to make sure it wasn't a disaster. Think about that. That wasn't November 98, though. Oh, that was 97. Shit, you're right. November 98 was uh, the new triple threat against the triple threat. Well, that's not good either. I was thinking about, oh, I was thinking about 97 with the Team EC WWF stuff. That's that's what I was thinking of. I feel stupid. But I'm not going to edit this out because I know it'll get angry at me if we take any more time. So. Yeah, because, I mean, that's new triple threat against triple threat. So and Jake, but still, it it goes back to the point I was making though about how bad things got in '97. Though, regardless, that here the stories and the booking are getting so much worse, and nothing's clicking. Regardless, so they like they've been in a tailspin for a year. You know, the Al Snow gimmick getting over gave them a little bit of a respite, but then Vince wants him back and. Resentment builds up just over how all that's handled, too, from the fans. It's just, and they've been doing the more overt WWF developmental stuff, too, in 98. Yeah. With Brackus and all that. So, this, it, who knows what happens with ECW? Like, they're still around, but, like, you know, and also that's when the money stuff for, gets 
like kind of hits its like point of no return, but then the, you know they get the fixes and all that. Like just things are bleak in general for ECW around that time, but they've been getting there for a while. I guess is the overarching point. They seem to hit on TV of an impending Dudley's versus Public Enemy feud. It was brought up the Dudley's fifth tag title reign breaks the record set by Public Enemy. At this stance now, there is no deal to bring Public Enemy Ed, who bid released by WCW. And Public Enemy themselves are hoping for more hoping more to be picked up by WWF. And anything's possible. But since WF already has the oddities, Dave couldn't see it. Paul Heyman stated many times he'd bring Public Enemy in for a short run with the Dudleys, but is interested in using them long term. This past week, Eric Goodsey mentioned Lance Storm against Mikey Whitbread, dude, also have from Jerry Lynn, and a bad title match with Shane Douglas over Spike Dudley. And the public enemy comes in and works a short program with the Dudleys in 99. So and that's it. There you go. And then they go to the WWF briefly, and then back to WCW. Jersey All Pro Wrestling, early show for them in Bayonne at Charity Hall on November 20th. We have Biggie Biggs over Lord Zaig. New Jersey State title matches Flash Wheeler retained over Nick Burke. Glenn Strange over Kevin Knight. Hukaki Kevin Knight, not to be confused with the current Kevin Knight. Tag title match Homicide and Kane D retained over Trent Aston and Billy Real. Light heavyweight title match Chino Martinez retained over Reckless Youth. Low key and Pennywise, not the clown, went to a no contest. Although Low key is a clown. <laughs> Jersey for heavyweight title. Dom Montoya retained over nine one one. That must and have been an interesting <laughs> height difference there. And then our main event was Dave Desire and Rick Silver beating Lou Diamond and Jay Lover. Did you take this from Cage Match or your own results file? This is from uh, Wrestling Data. From that. Oh, so they don't have uh, Dave Desire and Rick Silver's proper name there. The big unit. No. So, yeah. Terry Funk and Abdullah Butcher went to a WDQ on November 21st in Kaiser, West Virginia for 550 fans and continue one of the all-time great legendary feuds in pro wrestling history. Yeah. Now, in uh, Kentucky, Ohio Valley Wrestling ran a big show in Louisville, the Louisville Gardens on November 17th. Tarek the Great over Jason Lee. Jebediah Blackhawk and Cousin Honor over David C. and Juan Hurtado. Aaron O'Grady over Chad Collier. Cousin Crazy with K's over Rasputin. Flash flying and trailer park trash over Rod Steele as Scott Sadlin. In the OVW Heavyweight title match, Doug Basham beat Rip Rogers by disqualification. Rip retain. Sean Stasiak over Matt Bloom. Southern Tag Titles match, Nick Dinsmore, Rob Conway defeated the champions, Vito and Guido Andretti by disqualification. Oh. And then trailer park trash won a 30 man battle royal. All right. So they are not WWF developmental yet. No, they're not. Cornette does not own part of the company yet, but obviously there's a relationship of some kind with WWF or at least Power Pro because you have Aaron O'Grady, Matt Plume, and Sean Stasiak there. Yes. Um, if I remember right, they're running the Louisville Gardens despite the iffy TV deal and all that because they got it for like a ridiculously cheap price. That, like, you might as well just run because it's Louisville Gardens. And they were yeah. able to make money on it. Yep. Yeah. 
Aaron O'Grady, Chad Collier sounds good. Only got four minutes, though. Yeah. All right. Uh, Power Pro, speaking of them, ran November 21st on TV. Aaron O'Grady kept Young Guns style on triple threat over Kid Wicked, Tony Williams, and Derek King. Brandon Bastard showed in the parking lot calling Randy Hales out, but Hales didn't respond. Seeing a TV show to run. Don Bass returned. Zarja badge off of Hales bringing the syndicate. Vic Grimes, Sean Stacey, and Baldo outside to take care of Baxter. But when they got out there, Baxter was on the roof of the TV studio and threw a bucket of water on Hales. Also, wait a second. So did he work OVW as Matt Bloom, even though he's Baldo in Memphis? I guess. The Irish Sash and Mick Tierney, another wrestler in the WWF development deal, debuted doing a shooter submission expert gimmick. Tierney's done some MMA fighting, including a match in Russia, losing Oleg Tartaroff. Maybe on TV was Jerry Law and Stacy against Bill Dundee and Samantha. Oh, boy. During the show, Dundee said he was tired of always wrestling Lawler. Lawler, during the show, had mentioned he just returned from New York shooting the final scenes of Man in the Moon. He and Jim Carrey shot scenes reprising the famous Lawler Andy Kaufman angle on the David Letterman show. Sean Stasiak came out and started hitting on Stacy, and Samantha had them rub his abs, and he puckered up, but both slapped him in the face. Lawler and Dundee stopped fighting each other, and both attacked Stasiak and ran him off. After Stasiak left, Lawler and Dundee were shoving each other around. Hmm. So there's Memphis. Yes, All- they're doing some fun TV at this time. All pro wrestling. Roland Alexander and their bi-weekly gym war shows at their school in Hayward. The last show was October 31st, which was due to ticket demand. The gym holds 136 and sold out five of the previous seven shows, was moved outdoors and drew to about 228 fans. At present, they only have one house show booked for their man this year on November 21st in Pinole, California. Even though they've hired Alan Barry to work in expanding the schedule and to help get a TV deal going. Uh, there is no Alan Barry. That is our dear close personal friend Al Getz. Yeah, that's his gimmick name. Yeah. Or is it? Um, I'm trying to remember. He's talked about this on here, but it didn't last Either on air or off the air, one or two. I think it may have been on the air. I think he talked about it on the one where he talked in detail about working for Burt, because didn't he leave Nashville yeah. for this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, there you credit, go. Yeah. Credit to Roland, I guess, for trying to give Al an actual job here, but yeah. it just doesn't work out after he's driven across the country to move here. Yeah. And not, not just like direct, straight line across the country, left to right, you know, right, right to left. He, he, he went from the southeastern U.S. to northern California. Yeah. Alright, the plethora of mainstream media stories and appearances by pro wrestlers that all, by all the Jason Ventura stories continued this past week. Perhaps the most amazing sign of wrestling's mainstream appeal came in one sentence in the November 16th issue of Sports Illustrated. On page 29, in a small item called Wish List, it said that Goldberg and Dennis Rodman don't get any ideas from the campaign of Jesse the Governor Ventura. What's so notable about that? The name Goldberg is listed on its own, not preceded by the term pro wrestler or WCW wrestler. It's one thing if it was Hulk Hogan, who was a household name, but this was Goldberg, who a magazine of the caliber believed was enough of a mainstream celebrity to have his name stand alone. That's an interesting point. Goldberg was named one of the only hardly wrestling on the issue, which had a story called Body Language on Ventura. That was one of the most perceptive stories they've seen to this point. One note stood out. Four days for the election, his poll numbers rising om- ominously. Ventura called his KFAN producer and honor for Joe Palan. JP, what am I going to do if I actually win this thing? 
The story called Ventura and Unapologetic Homer as a sports talk show host, but it was never owner-friendly. Probably from lessons learned from his own relations with owners and corporate execs like Rory Gagne, Vincent Mann, Bill Watson, Eric Bischoff, and Pro Wrestling. Ventura invited Rock Legends Aerosmith to perform his inauguration in January. The Newsweek story of Ventura was also good, but there's little too many self-serving quotes from Hulk Hogan, who, quite frankly, despite his trying to coattail the issue, is of no relevance whatsoever to the real Ventura story. <laughs> The Sporting News noted Ventura last summer and asked former baseball star Ken Herbert to run with him as lieutenant governor. Herbert turned it down because he missed a planned hunting trip the weekend of the election. <laughs> Phil Mushick on the New York Post ran another scathing column about Ventura on the 15th. Of course he did. Mushick at large took the task. All the incredible journalists that have been having their fun doing comedy about the Ventura election and know that none – after this point, Mushick's been the only one and brought up his past as a performer and what was going on in during that time. It should be noted that during that period, Ventura was a wrestler for a short period of time and announced for a longer period of time. He never went in company management, at which point some of the activities that allegedly and not so allegedly were going on. It noted Ventura's nickname as The Body comes in part for the fact he at one point used steroids, and the WF during that time period was built on steroids. Knowing that Ventura was in the WF during the period where Dr. George Zahardian was convicted of selling steroids to WF wrestlers. Ventura himself has claimed he stopped using steroids in the early 80s. And judging from, from his physical appearance, that doesn't sound like one of those fake I used them when they were legal but stopped when the law changed timelines. As mentioned in his first column about Ventura, Mushnet wrote that Ventura would have no celebrity status, so not enough to see him elected governor of Minnesota without his admitted steroid use is at the very least a distinct possibility, but no one wants to go there. It would ruin a very amusing story. Mushin brought up how many Ventura's colleagues went pro wrestling died young, and then brought up nobody has asked Ventura if he was aware of the alleged sexual advances in, initiated by male WF management against underage males. In addition, the A&E Network is now working on a detailed biography special on the life of Ventura. Well, Vix, what are your thoughts on uh, Phil Mushnick's uh, column about Ventura there? I don't get the point of this one. It's Phil Mushnick. That's what he does. I'm, well, yes, but like, what's the point here? Like, he's Phil. It's Phil Mushnick. He's admitted steroid use. He's gonna. He's got. He's gonna grind that. He's gonna grind that axe as, as much as he can. Well, we should know too. Like, in terms of bad faith with Phil Mushnick on wrestling stuff, this is the peak of it. This era. Because this is also the the era, or was it the year before, more so, but still, this general time frame, where he's also going in on wrestling fans regularly, which he would later apologize for. But, you know, he's not just going in on actual issues at this point, and so it's it's not exactly near as easy to see his side as it would be with other wrestling-related stuff. And I specify wrestling-related stuff for reasons that should be obvious if you're familiar with some of his columns. Over the years, particularly the more infamous ones. Um, so yeah, okay. The the Newsweek thing, by the way, that ran, that ran the week before the uh, Austin story in Newsweek the previous week. Yeah. So, I do think people don't really grasp anymore what a big national news story this was for weeks. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Let's close out with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. And Dave's got some thoughts on the state of the promotion and a little state of the wrestling in general here. Despite putting on its best Nitro in several weeks, World Championship Wrestling seemingly lost sight of what 
the pro wrestling business is all about and a panic over the Monday night ratings. Even with that, as the primary goal, WCW has fallen thir- further behind than at any time in the history of the Monday Night Wars, as the company's paying for its lack of developing new talent when it was on top and creating new storylines this year when it was losing its grip and relying on a pat hand of tired old faces and suffering from the residue of a year of largely bad television. As this is being written just five days before World War III in Auburn Hills, Michigan, there are only two matches announced for the show with no episodes of Nitro left to promote them. A 60-man three-ring battle royal, which has become known in the industry as an annual atrocity, and a rematch of Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash, stemming from a weak match with an even weaker finish at Halloween Havoc, and a most recent Monday angle that made little sits in building the match up. This is coming on the heels of three consecutive disappointing buy rates at the same time that WCW stopped promoting anything but the main matches on the pay-per-view show. WCW's policy of announcing three or four matches and hoping fans trust them enough to buy the undercard after the quality of shows generally this year has been a flop and not changing that policy in the wake of, on, of this is either a sign of complete stupidity or a total lack of organization to the point the company can't map out a card a few weeks in advance. Even worse, on the flagship shows, Nitro and Thunder, there have been no interviews with talent building up win the Battle Royal and getting a shot at Goldberg at Starcade, leaving all the promotional pay-per-view to the announcers who simply can't do it alone since their credibility has already been destroyed by a company philosophy where the announcers' roles to both look uncool and gullible to the point fans don't take anything they say seriously. The wrestlers on interviews seem more intent on getting their shtick in than building up a show. And pay-per-view, when correctly done, should be the biggest revenue stream in the industry. It's that probably won't be much longer at this rate for WCW. Only one of the matches is even known to be definite for the show, and that's Diamond Dallas Patriots and Bret Hart for U.S. title, and they probably won't be officially announced until three days before the card on Thunder. One presumed from watching TV, the new Cruiserweight champion, who was a good at it, who captured the title on Nitro on November 16th, and probably the best WCW match of the year for Billy Kidman, defending his Rey Mysterio Jr., who earned a title shot in a match aired on Thunder on November 9th, However, press time indicates are that angle's being forgotten, and they'll go into another Hoovy Kidman match on the pay-per-view, which even if it makes all the previous booking irrelevant, should guarantee at least one great match on the card. The only match previously announced, and it's Astro to making, with four people who have no business in the ring right now, Scott Steiner, Buff Bagwell, getting a shot at the WCW Tag Champions, Rick Steiner and Judy Bagwell, fell victim to reality as Judy Bagwell was hospitalized this week due to appendicitis, and nothing was announced in his place. As a cover story, they announced that Buff had given Scott the okay to basically jump his mother and beat her up so badly she was sent to the hospital, which was one of the poor-tasted angles in a year loaded with them, by a company complaining long and loud about the poor taste of its opposition. The fact is, they were advertising the match, despite Buff being months away from being ready to wrestle, and Rick Steiner, who just underwent another shoulder operation after the previous one was unsuccessful, and he's a long way from being able to return to the ring. Even without those problems, the angle due to Judy Bagwell was dying a brutal death to begin with. And don't even get me started about how little everyone cares these days about the WCW tag titles when people pass passing around the belts of logic that makes the most insane bookers of the past look positively brilliant. The bookers scripted angle for the Saturday Night Tables on November 17th with Selena Kansas when you Booker T and Scott Norton set up every match. But since neither one did the angle, it wound up being Knicks and it doesn't like to be wrestling either. We'll have more on that later. So despite having the match of the year, an outsider angle that usually works, a show that had some lame points as well, Nitro took its biggest drubbing in history to a very good Raw show featuring Austin The Rock. Raw drew 5.766 million viewers, largely its largest audience in history, to Raw's 4.508 million viewers. 
Over the final two hours and four minutes, Nitro had 4.129 million. The breakdown of a head-to-head two hours and four minutes saw Raw with 464,000 males, 18 to 24. 1.713 million males, 25 to 54. 444,000 males, 55 plus. 228,000 females, 18 to 24. 746,000 females, 25 to 54. 257,000 females, 55 plus. 807,000 kids and 1.154 million teenagers. While Nitro had 412,000 males, 18 to 24. 1.393 million males, 25 to 54. 388,000 males, 55 plus. 139,000 females, 18 to 24. 604,000 females, 25 to 54. 336,000 females, 55 plus. 357,000 kids and 500,000 teenagers. For ratings, that means Raw did a 5.5, 5.38 first hour, 5.62 second hour, and 8.4 share. Second highest rated Raw in history. And the highest ever in a competitive situation. Nitro did a 4.25, 5.01 first hour, 3.85 second hour, 3.91 third hour, 6.4 share. It had, had two hours plus. Um, Nitro did a 3.88, which means Raw's record head to head margin of victory was 1.62 points. Yeah. And. As we've been doing the Ultimate Warrior Patreon show, Bix, we're we're three months from Nitro and Raw being in a spot where they're alternating weeks of winning. Yes. And now we're here. And now we're here at this point. But even then, Nitro's still doing a steady four-plus million viewers each week. I know, but Raw has now just really surpassed them now. Yes. So They've what still been getting wins, that? though. They've still been getting wins, though, because, you know, there was the DDP Goldberg thing a few weeks before this. That's so what they know. I mean, that, that, yeah, but that one, that was pretty much obvious what that was going to be. Still. Because of everything that happened. It still shows the interest but, is yeah. there, is my point. Plus, we need to remember... Yeah. We also need to remember when we're talking about these ratings, and it's not something that was talked about enough then... Raw is a combination of the East and West Coast feeds. The rating. Nitro is not not a combination of the live and the replay. TNT only has one feed at this point. So people on the West Coast are not starting to watch the show at 5 p.m. So we need to keep that in mind when we're talking about... How big of a a difference do you think that would make? Look at how big the replay ratings were in this era. Do we have the replay rating here? Um, they didn't list it, not yet, at least. But you get what I'm saying, though. We do need to remember, like, we are not really calculating the full Nitro audience here. Because of so the do you think lack that some, of the but do, Okay. But the, the question is, though, do you think that now somebody needs to go back and redo these ratings? You can't just add the replay and the other rating together. That's not the same thing as the raw rating. But I do think it's well, something you, that everyone needs to consider. Well, how do you? Oh, but yeah, okay. But how do you do that? I mean, how, so how making you're trying to make your point? How can you compare the two shows? In you can't. That's my. I mean, I I think we're on the same page here. <laughs> so you can't compare. You can't compare the ratings for the two shows. They're not directly comparable. No, they really are. But everybody at the time. But by the time, though, was doing it. And I mean, that was I don't the big think deal. TNT, I don't think TNT even had the split feed until after WCW was closed. I don't think they were... Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd be curious to find out when did TNT inter start having a West Coast feed. I doubt that's online, but I think it's for the entirety of. I mean, well, okay, so here's something: Directv didn't add. Oh, well, that was HD. Never mind. But still, they didn't add the HD West Coast feed of TNT and TBS until 2019. Yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's when they had their. They made it its own deal. It's one of the few things on there that has a East, a East Coast West Coast feed as far as channels on Directv. Very, I mean, one of the very few, if very very few, because everything TBS is usually one one straight feed. Well, and TBS and TNT are among the network apps that actually include the West Coast and East Coast feeds. You can watch both wherever you are. People on the West Coast can watch the AEW shows live if they want. They just need to use their cable. One of the big. Again. But one of the big hooks in putting that West Coast feed on there, believe it or not, was the people that wanted to watch the West Coast feed of Christmas Story on Christmas Day so they can get another three hours of it. <laughs> I'm not lying on that, by the way. I'm not lying. That was a thing. I remember reading about it, that people were you know, complaining to Direct TV about, about that, and then Direct TV added it. Regardless, though. But regardless, like, I think we're on the same page here that, like, realistically, these are not direct comparisons because maybe some of the West Coast audience is dipping in in the latter part of the show. But still, it's the lot Nitro in this main feed we're doing the rating of starts at the end of the workday on the West Coast. People, These people are watching the replay. So basically... In your mind, should the re discussion of these ratings even be a thing anymore? I think you need to at With, least include the context. And if you have the replay number, mention it. But you can't combine them either it, and say that's the audience. But here's the thing. You got the people at the time on, on both shows, though, that knew of what the situation was, but still treated it as, as a head-to-head -head battle. I mean, it was a head-to-head -head battle, though. It's just what we... Yeah, what, but... The West Coast feed of Raw is going head-to-head -head with the replay of Nitro. Yeah, but nobody talks about that, uh, Big. It's all about the, 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 the East Coast. They should, though. I know, but they weren't doing it. They were worried about the, the, the final ratings, which are not indicative of the true viewership of the show. Which, when you think about it, really does make Nitro's ratings much more impressive. But the, thing is, but, but the thing is, they're just failures after they start losing. So, which again is ridiculous with the numbers. The when, but when you think the Air Bischoff or somebody from WCW would have come out there and said, hey, there's a difference here. We can't, WF is claiming this rating when they have this type of edge that we don't have. No one is. It's You're right. It's kind of amazing that he was not routinely pointing this out. Exactly. Because you'd think he wouldn't know this, what the deal is. So so why weren't they out there saying, you know, when they started losing, I mean, when you're winning, it's a different story. But when, you, when you're losing, you try to find, the, you know, stuff to say, hey, this is why we're losing. And they probably know, would be able weird. to get unique viewer numbers across. Like, I would think you'd be able to. Certainly now I think you'd be able to. So... Yeah, you're right. I I hadn't thought of it that way, though. But it is weird that, like, again, the way Eric is, especially, that he's never brought this up 
as far as I know. Maybe he has on 83 weeks. I don't listen enough to know, but at the time, certainly it was not a narrative he tried to put out there. I know. That's just, that's just the weird thing about it, because you think he would be shouting that from the heavens, you know, but... Eh. And we don't have the replay rating in these notes, so I'm assuming it was not in the Observer, at least. I guess not. All right, so... It was a total eight-segment whitewash with Nitro never coming close to one full ratings point down. The biggest disaster was for the Bill Goldberg-Bam Bam Bigelow confrontation, which was built up for the last 75 minutes as a world title match involving someone who didn't even work for the company. The outsider angle that usually works. Match never got into the ring and was a lame ending to the show. But fans wouldn't have known about that in advance. But despite doing a great pull-apart brawl early on, the competition of Rock and Austin title match led to Nitro suffering a total embarrassment with a 2.74 rating for the segment. Rocket Austin, which went about two minutes long on the other end, did 5.46 final quarter to Nitro's 4.10 for Brett and Benoit, and a whopping 7.31 for the overrun. The last two minutes or so went unopposed, but even without it, the overrun probably did high sixes. There were two quarter hours that Raw won by nearly two full ratings points. Raw did a 5.6 for Austin confrontation with a man and company in the Mills Lane video, plus the Outlaws and Oddities, while Nitro only managed a 3.7 for... Eddie and Ray, and the Judy Bagley interview from the hospital. The other big period was Raw peaking at 5.8 for Regal and Godfather, and Shamrock Bossman on Nitro did 3.9 for Buff and Steiner. And Ric Flair, where Eugene Spirit Wyndham got beat by 1.6 points by McMahon's opening monologue. The closest WCW came was a pair of 5.2 to 4.2 margins. Once when Raw had an apparent ratings disaster, pairing of Goldust and Blackman against Blazer and Jarrett, while WCW had Conan and Saturn, and the other one Raw had that totally lame Hawk suicide angle, Going against almost lame Hogan for President rally with a Monica Lewinsky lookalike. The first episode of Nitro Extra on November 10th, a one hour show, Tech Night 4 as a fill in for the NBA playoffs, did a poor 2.676 rating and a 4.1 share. Although still beating the follow up, much publicized Chips Reunion movie at a 2.3. Ah, yes. <laughs> Eric Estrada, Larry Wilcox brought back together for the Chips Reunion movie in 1998. I remember that well. WCW doesn't want to do the shows for all the reasons that made logical sense as the overexposure of the Prada has become another problem and it wasn't scheduled for November 17th. However, TNT has put another Tuesday Nitro in the books for November 24th. <sighs> Nitro Extra. Yes, just what they needed. I had forgotten that existed until just now. And there's not even any reference to this on History of WWE. There's oh wait, there oh it's spelled E X T R A. Okay, let's see. Of course, because uh, they're cool. Okay, so it was taped the week before in Nassau because it actually the the one that's here is listed as Nitro Extra Eleven slash Question Mark slash Ninety Eight, but I'm assuming this is the eleven seventeen show because the next one is eleven. I'm saying 11 like that. Nitro. November 24th. Uh, Ray over Dandy, Saturn over Sick Boy, Booker over Disco, Mongo over Finley, and Goldberg over Ming. Nitro Extra. And then the following week, which they taped the night before, Scott Norton over Kazayashi, uh, Disco over Scott Putsky, Chavo over Tokyo Magnum, Stevie Ray over Van Hammer, good lord. Prince Ayukea over Hoovy, and Wrath over Horse. <laughs> Sounds like a glorified Saturday night. Yeah. 
So they they weren't bringing in all the big guns, that's for sure. It's just part of the nitro taping, anyway. Which nitro extra? I, I can't. I, I can't think if I've ever seen these online anywhere. I don't think they are. I don't think they're on the network. Oh, I'm sure they're not on the network. Uh, let's see if I look on YouTube. Nitro Extra WCW. Um, is this someone playing around in the WWE 2K game? Yes, it is. Okay, so the actual shows are not on it. <laughs> of course. Can I just say, by the way, oh, everyone you know? who do, everyone who does those videos, especially the ones with the thumbnails and the labeling that tries to make it seem like the actual match, go fuck yourself. Oh, it's, um, oh, you I'm, just don't know. You you just don't know. It's worse with the NBA now. Oh boy! Because the because the NBA got so fucking hard on these channels that were posting full games up. So now what what people are doing is they're pretending like the games are the original games and it's two K games. Some I'll make it known this two K. By either in the title, or the thumbnail, but some, but some don't. And yes. this looks like it might be someone's like 2K League, or their like their GM mode thing because it's 99 and there's no actual dates. So like, this one might not be as yeah. bad, but a lot, a lot of these there are, are some total bullshit. Some that's bad. It, yeah, it's some that's bad, man. Uh, yeah, but anyway. not, like no one who wants to watch like. They know that, like, you're not going to make any money or anything off of someone seeing it and turning it off immediately. Like, they know this, right? So why do you, what's the point of even doing it? No one who's looking for the actual match is going to watch your stupid 2K Let's Play. Who knows? But anyway, alright, so let's continue here as we go back. The Los Angeles Times ran a six-page cover story in the entertainment section on November 16th called The Ultimate Grudge Match. Basically about the war between Vincent Manier and Bischoff, with reporter Paul Lieberman covering the wrestling scene based on attending a live Raw from the Nassau Coliseum and a live Nitro from Phoenix. There's no new ground broken, although at this point, with so much coverage, it's hard to break new ground, at least you consider the revelation that the Corvette also destroyed on Raw wasn't really Vincent Man's prized car, but one that was bought that day for the skit, and it's planned to be used as a decoration for WF Hotel in Las Vegas. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> the story didn't hit the havoc run overtime was a ratings ploy by Bischoff. The brief revised history of McMahon and WF now claims the reason McMahon's tenure on TBS was short-lived was because Turner was intent on buying the company. Ashes because ratings have fallen and Turner wanted McMahon to do his show from Atlanta rather than sending tapes from Ontario. It was noted in his own legal papers written in the lawsuit against WCW and McMahon's lawyers wrote, Vincent Mann established himself as arguably the greatest promoter this country has produced since P.T. Barnum. In McMahon's new version of history, he once again claimed he was convicted of one charge, conspiracy to defraud the FDA in his 1994 trial, which of course wasn't the case. Wait, what? <laughs> and claimed at the time there were predictions that pro wrestling would disappear like roller derby, which makes the comeback seem like a good story, but nobody seriously predicted the total death of the profession. Although Dave did hear some roller derby analogies when things were at rock bottom in 93 and the trial was on the horizon. Although the entire business was losing money hand or fist during that time period. McMahon claimed Turner again tried to buy him during his time during this time period. Not true. Although Bill Shaw, who ran WCW Division for a time after Jack Feature, did once propose to Vince a few years earlier the idea of doing the Interpunch pay-per-view show, and were so desperate for the idea they were going to allow McMahon full control of the booking of the show, but McMahon turned down the idea because he was far ahead in the time and didn't want to give the competitor any credibility. 
It noted Raw was attracted more than 12, 34 males than ABC, CBS, and NBC from January through September. Since Nitro was so much stronger for most of the period from 1834, it no doubt was as well. He said he hopes to do a midnight talk show from his Vegas hotel called Strip Club. Yeah. A, show ba- a show based on a man and a woman host who have obvious sexual tension and a little confrontation and where they never talk about politics. Oh my God, I wish we'd have got that. And he talked about his new Univision show, named it the Spanish Market, which debuts next week. Where the story got lost, where the story lost a lot of points was in the presentation of the photos. Bret Hart got the cover photo with a sharpshooter on Dallas Page, but so little care was um, taken in the presentation of the photos inside of Bret Mercedes DDP was referred to simply as wrestlers pounding home their point. And a photo of Goldberg was referred to simply as a bare chested wrestler. So much for his mainstream celebrityhood that SI believed in. Even though there was much talk about Goldberg in the story. The only rest of the characters whose photos were identified as if the people writing the cut lines actually knew who they were were my man, Bischoff, and Hogan. Okay. <laughs> I have I have both the newspapers.com and LA Times.com versions up. Um let's go to the most relevant portion, I guess. Uh In 1984, or actually, wait, or do I need to go back a little? Okay, here we go. Um, All right, McMahon's grandfather put together boxing cards for legendary promoter Tex... They spell Tex Ricard's name wrong as Tex Richard, or Tex Richard, maybe he's French, uh, before turning to wrestling. His father staged wrestling across the Northeast in an era when the sport was controlled by regional fiefdoms. You know this is just coming direct from Vince's mouth. (laughs) Because <laughs> of the use of the word fiefdom, you know? Yeah. Television was used then, much like infomercials today, to advertise the live shows. McMahon's legal papers in the Turner case recall how, quote, the stars would not wrestle each other on free television, but would traditionally wrestle and pin, quote-unquote, jobbers, end quote. As pitiful as the those cards might be, they worked for stations like Turner's TBS, as cheap counter-programming to Bible shows on other channels. In 1984, McMahon purchased Georgia Championship Wrestling, which applied TBS's shows. But the arrangement was short-lived, he said, because Turner seemed intent on buying out his operation. McMahon dumped the Georgia offshoot, which became World Championship Wrestling, and went on to make wrestling history. Exploding the regional fiefdoms, McMahon took his World Wrestling Federation National, developed ties to the music world, MTV even, and filled 90,000-seat stadiums for pay-per-views featuring Andre the Giant and Hogan. He also figured out that the TV shows might do better, even in prime time, if you allowed your top attractions to wrestle each other, not patsies. I (laughs) guess that discovery he made for his weekly TV in 1996... He was still using John Guys in 97. Uh, McMahon established him, and then quote, McMahon established himself as arguably the greatest promoter this country has produced since P.T. Barnum, his legal paper state. Then came the 90s and the scandals. A Pennsylvania doctor admitted in federal court that he sold steroids to wrestlers, including Hogan, and to McMahon himself, who wound up with a conviction for quote-unquote conspiracy to defraud the FDA. <laughs> <laughs> Two executives and an announcer resigned after a 20-year-old man, one-year-old man, alleged he was sexually harassed 
more than that, but okay. When he was working as a ring boy, they don't explain what a ring boy is either. Andre the Giant died. Other stars aged. There were predictions wrestling would quote-unquote disappear like roller derby. It was during this time, McMahon says, that Turner again tried to buy him out. I don't remember this story, do you? No. This is a new one. Rebuffed, Turner quote-unquote paid millions to sign Hogan, he alleges, then stole Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who stepped <laughs> from one show to another in the very personas as Razor Ramon and Diesel. I wonder if Diesel knows Glacier. <laughs> that uh, that McMahon show had developed, with Turner's people claiming they enticed away the wrestlers, not the characters. The quote-unquote unfair competition suit is pending. I do not like Ted Turner, McMahon says. <sighs> it's just major media. And, and you think, I mean... Uh, now, I you, should say, I should note there is a correction, by the way. That, uh, is this the next day? Uh, let's see. Hold on. Let me search for... But but I'm saying, uh, I mean, this is a major media store. It's stuff like this where we see how little research they do in wrestling. It just makes you wonder how much little research they do in other mm -hmm. major topics. Okay, so, correction. For the record, a November 15th article in, su in Sunday Calendar incorrectly reported the disposition of a New York case in which McMahon, Vince McMahon, the head of the World Wrestling Federation, faced steroid federal steroid conspiracy and possession charges. That's also not the most accurate way to refer to the charges, but whatever. McMahon was acquitted on all counts in 1994. Now, in fairness to Vince, which I hate to say, I don't think this is coming from him because didn't wasn't is my mind getting mixed up or is the Newsweek article we talked about that was early in the show that was not last week right? yeah early in the show that was that was Vince talking about having a card in his wallet that explains what the conspiracy charge was so he gets it yeah right. that's, we talked about that in the, and it in doesn't the seem yeah that's what I'm saying it doesn't seem like he was saying he was convicted that that seems like it's the L A Times making that mistake not Vince lying about it you know. Yeah, but again, I mean, how much, how much other stuff they are they getting wrong? Oh, I agree with you. You know, I mean, that's the way <sighs> the media for, for for as long as the beginning of media has pushed their narratives out there as much as possible, you know, and trying to be puppet masters. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh, there's also a yeah, great I mean, Bischoff it's... quote that closes the story. Although, should I read it myself, yeah. or should I queue up AI Eric to say it? I'll just I guess you can queue up... Well, well, I would have to log in. I'm not even logged in. I haven't used it in a few weeks. <laughs> but, um, but also, like, we know... We, we haven't talked about that much on the show, I don't think. But, like... um, at the, In 85, Vince was not saying... Um, he was not saying that's why the deal ended with TBS. His people were telling electronic media that it was because of a dispute over commercial time. Stories change over the years. But that was the official version. That was not... I know, but stories change over the years. I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, I get what you're saying, but still, as I 
switch to Safari. Okay, yeah, let's see. Okay, generate. Let's see what AI Eric has to say. This is about DDP Goldberg. That closes the story. You know, if I really wanted to milk it for ratings, I would have put it on at the end of the show. Then we could have talked about it for two hours, really built it up. Okay, that's that. Why does that sound nothing like Eric this time? Did it adjust my settings or something? Maybe. That was weird. Uh, okay, maybe I need to change his stability a little bit. Of oh, he's voice. definitely not stable. Oh, let's see. You know, if I really wanted to milk it for ratings, I would have put it on. A- that doesn't sound like Eric either. What the fuck happened? This always sounded so good. You screwed something up. I didn't change anything. Some did. Uh, oh, wait. Okay, it's speaker boost. We've the similarity of the synthesized speech and the voice at the cost of some generation speech. Okay, maybe this is a new setting and I have to turn... Okay, I see they added on another setting. Style exaggeration. High values are recommended if the style of speech should be exaggerated compared to the uploaded audio. Higher values can lead to more instability. Okay, let's try. Let's try this at least with that checked off. Because I'm pissed off that this didn't work. It should have. You know, if I really wanted to milk it for. Oh, fuck off! (laughs) Okay, I'm done with this for now. I'm going to have to tinker with this later. But yes, Eric said if he was doing it just to milk it for ratings, he would have put it on at the end of the show, which is fair, I guess. Yeah. Oh, wait, we got, oh, we've got some great Bischoff quotes here. I can't believe Dave didn't run these. Uh, Bischoff says the effort to position wrestling as mainstream entertainment is one reason he's worried by the recent turn in McMahon's rivaled show towards quote-unquote adult-oriented content. This past Monday, they had a plant in the audience, a female plant, perform simulated oral sex on an Italian sausage. They had Vince urinating in his pants. They've had the <laughs> F word. Has it worked? Sure, it's worked. Every pimp on every street corner in every city knows you can sell (laughs) sex. In a backstage backstage lounge, the WCW's announcers, the WCW, are waiting for marching orders. The normal practice would be to tease the live TV audience with few details about the match, but not spell out what happened. Hell no, says Larry the Legend Zabisco. There's an encore presentation this week. Two pay-per-view replays to sell. We're we're going to kind of tell them what happened, interjects Bobby the Brain Heenan. We're not going to tell them shit, quips Zabisco. If you do, I'm leaving the set. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Anything else? Oh my god, this is great. How did Dave leave, not go into this more? So, okay, minutes later, the higher powers send the announcers a surprise. The TV audience will learn exactly what happened. They're going to show the Goldberg match this evening. Oh, so they hadn't even decided on that until right before air. <laughs> Which I guess makes sense because I don't think they hyped it on WCW.com, right? I don't remember. Okay. They're going to show the Goldberg match this evening. The announcers will open the 8 p.m. telecast with a call-your-friends pitch, stating the match will come on at 9, the exact time, of course, when McMahon's show comes on. In the TNT control truck, associate director Mark Sanders is on a headset to Atlanta. They're getting phone calls up the wazoo, he says. A week earlier, McMahon had lamented how TNT has, quote, 
a whole hour to promote what's coming up before his show airs. He, in turn, tries to time his own biggest pitches for moments when Nitro is in a commercial break. His producers keep an eye on the, on the enemy's show, and Turner's people have one screen in their trailer set on his. At 8.50, there's a change of plans. We're going early, Sanders announces. Another match is being pulled, so the Goldberg tape can start at 8.56. This will give them four minutes to the viewers before McMahon's show starts. The assistant director tells Atlanta through the headset, Apologize to people who call in. Y'all may be getting some irate, irate calls from people who started their VCRs exactly at 9. <laughs> oh my goodness. In the TV control truck, Ed, Edward, so this is, uh, but, but why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Tommy Edwards? I get, yes. Uh, the good news is it's an 18 minute tape. And he steps out to grab a smoke. In the <laughs> rest of his lounge, basketball's Charles Barkley yucks it up with the guys, asking Ric Flair to join him for a drink across the street. First, the platinum haired nature boy will have to do his bid in the arena, give a trademark. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! Do you think? Oh, man. Do you think? Do you think Joey Lawrence ever had a mushroom infused uh, <laughs> energy drink? No, he did not. And confront the show's evil wrestling boss, who, in the WCW storyline at the moment, has been conspiring to keep him from wrestling. Oh my god! <laughs> WCW, everybody. You know that the way this 1998 WCW. How is Dave not going into how we have documented proof of how haphazard and last minute everything is there? Yeah, if people want if people want to look this up, it is on the LA Times website. The Ultimate Grudge Match by Paul Lieberman, November fifteenth, ninety eight. Oh me, silliness, silliness, silliness. Well. Let's get to Nitro now. Nitro on November 16th took place in Wichita, Kansas. Dressed up 89.08 and 185.109. Humatu Guerrero beat Billy Kidd with the Cruiserweight title. Yeah, with a 450 and won the Best American Match of the Year. These guys can't win few of the year since they've not not draws and they had never had an interview or a storyline. But this other end, there's no series of matches this year in the U.S. that is on their level. They did have a strong uh, series of matches in 1998. Absolutely, put them both on them, you know, on the on the map among people that, you know, may not have been paying too much attention to their stuff. Yes, and this probably is the best one. Yeah, if I remember right. Um, and then if I remember right, the rematch of World War Three, where Kidman wins the title back, is the worst one. Yes. Like, doesn't he mess up a spot and kick Hoovy straight in the groin legit at one point? Something like that, yeah. Raph was scheduled against Raven, but Raven went wrestle and walked out. Canyon then began delivering his shit, but Raph gave him the meltdown. Glacier came out, and Raph gave him the meltdown, too. Both guys stayed on the mat asleep through the commercial break, and they rang the bell for the match. That was really dumb. They woke up and had the match with Canyon using a flatliner 259. Raph used a sit-looking rocker dropper with Glacier landing face-first on the ring steps. This is the Raph combat run where he looked about as good as he ever looked in his career. Yeah. And yeah, getting over that with out. the winning streak. And then uh, Kevin Nash felt... Kevin Nash... Yeah, happened. 
Yeah. Nice winning streak you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a shame if something happened to it. I can't tell if that was more mobster or raven. <laughs> Sonny Ono beat Kasayashi in a minute 31. This oh, sucked. Hayashi came out as a gringo. He was supposed to lay down, as Sonny indicated, he paid the guy who laid down for him. The guy didn't lay down, unmasked, revealing Hayashi. Of course, nobody knew or cared, which killed the entire gimmick. Ernest Miller came out and kicked Hayashi and Sonny Pendon, which makes Hayashi look even dumber, or as he was out outsmarting the manager and still got beat anyway. This angle slipped the first time on WCW Saturday Night. Amazing, ah, by yes. the way, how after working there for months, Kaz Hayashi is suddenly in a storyline right after he gets his work visa. Yes. Well, he's actually starting to get paid now. Patreon.com slash Between the Shoots. Stevie Ray and Horace Hogan beat Dean Malenko and Mongo and Michael by DQ in 345. Uh, I poor, poor Malenko. Uh, uh, <laughs> Stevie hit Mongo to slapjack, but Arn Anderson ran in and clocked Stevie. Horse and Vincent with a tire iron. Arn was arrested and taken to jail, so we're told. And you know what those announcers would never lie to us? A tire iron. You mean Arn Anderson's tar iron? Tar iron. What, 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 why I, is this match happening? <sighs> oh, Mongo's tagged in. I, I guess I guess to set up the segment that we're about to get into right now. Okay. So get ready, Bix. Ric Flair has brought an old friend back to help him in his battle against the NWO. Let's go to Nate, shall we, as uh, he introduces his friend here. It ain't gonna happen. I'm gonna get to you another way. I didn't save all my money. You're right. Because I'm a horseman, and I lived a great life. But I saved enough to get at you tonight because I'm Ric Flair, and you're not. I'm going to introduce a man who, in my estimation, one of the greatest wrestlers alive, a horseman of yesteryear, a horseman of today, Barry Windham. Hey. Come on down. Come on, Barry Windham. Horseman family? That's what I thought he said. Yeah, he whoa, said Barry. Look at this. <laughs> oh, how long has it been? Come on down here, BW. Bischoff would know nothing about Barry. How weird does it feel that we are both now older than Barry Windham is here? <sighs> Bob, because, I mean, how old is Barry here? 30 what? He had turned 38 in July. So I am now uh, five years older than Barry. Oh, excuse me. No, I'm six years older than Barry Windham is here. Yes, where <laughs> I am less than a year older than he is here. But. Jesus. But he's wearing a polo shirt. He's got his uh, jacket on pant and jeans on. He's not aging himself with the black Jack Mulligan mustache anymore. Oh, no. That made him really look old. Wyndham, because Wyndham is a talented, hardworking... Although, also, we should say, in general, the facial hair aged him. Because when he's clean-shaven again... I mean, granted, he's in better shape, too, but still, like, 
when he has that run working for Dusty in 2001, like, he looks like younger Barry again. And some of it is just being clean-shaven. Yeah, he's in the, really here. Jack Flash, real live wrestler. And Bischoff, you return our Mr. No Manhood himself. Come on in, your BW. Say hello. Woo! To Wichita. Barry, Barry Wyndham, I don't know if Bischoff knows you're in this building, but if he does, I'm certain he's got to have some real concern. Well, Bischoff had better figure out right now that things are as they should be in the WCW and with the four horsemen. <laughs> what, 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 guys, you've got to tell me what all of this means. Is, is Barry Wyndham here to stay? What do I have to say? I'm standing right here in front of you. And we are about tradition. Rick Flair. He's here because whether Bischoff likes it or he doesn't like it, Wyndham. Oh, boy, wait a minute. Hey, before you two guys throw yourselves a party out there, <clears throat> let me remind you, Rick Flair, and especially you, Barry Wyndham, if memory serves me correctly, I fired you a couple years ago. I'm more than happy to do the same thing again. And Ric Flair, before you open that trap of yours, let me make it real clear. You cannot hire anybody. You cannot spend Ted Turner's money. I, on the other hand, can. How? Again, then, Bix, I mean, that's been long forgotten. I know. Like, I... When did they start giving him storyline power again? When did that actually start? 97? When? Like late 97? Like Hogan Stig lead up, maybe? Something. So I, it lasted, what, six months, maybe? It may, it, I mean, it may have went in 98. I don't know. You know, my WCW timeline is, yeah. is what it is. They shoot this big angle, and then... Does it surprise? It should surprise you. No. Also, like Eric, Eric needed time off, like a year before he actually got it. Like he looks worn out. Well, wrestling promoters who who have a lot on their plate and uh, try to do too way too much age, don't they? Yeah. But you act like we know someone personally who that's happened to recently. Well, I'm just saying in general. He just. He, 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 it's just a general thing with some of these promoters. It's like being president. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Just with the shoe polish to cover up the gray hair. Yeah. Upper rope, my friend. Bischoff, if you can hear me, understand this. I'm going to spend my money on who I want to spend it on. And Barry Williams going to tear up your girlfriend tonight. What the fuck? <laughs> what, Kimberly Page? Oh, that's not nice. Whoa. <laughs> I was looking at Barry's reactions. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I can't do He's going to fuck your wife. Just like, just like Diamond Dallas Page. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god. 
pay. You should have come out and said, give me infringement, brother. Aww. <laughs> we don't know that Paige or Kimberly were actually involved in anything. To be clear. <laughs> we, we we know we just know about uh Mrs. Bischoff and uh Ms. Pellness <laughs> at the Gold Club. I don't really want to know where Eric's Pellness was at that moment. <laughs> oh, yes, Ed, oh Barry says, Whoa you tear up your girlfriend tonight! Whoa! Yeah, I'll tell you what! That's Ooh. the most expensive wrestling ticket anybody Ooh. will ever buy! You your money is going to take Liz. Oh, it's Liz. Woo! Oh, that's right. This is the era where Savage isn't around, and Liz's main role is like being Bischoff and Luger's ballet, I guess. Right? Well, no, because Luger's. Oh, well, it's not Luger yet. Yeah, wait a second. So it's just she's just Bischoff's assistant, basically. Yeah. Liz, wherever you are, Liz, get ready because BW is a town. Barry Wendell the horse better on fire on TNT. What a night this has been, ladies and gentlemen. So glad. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Goddamn, Paladin, he thinks we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this Dave said uh, Bischoff uh, argue and Bischoff act like he didn't want to win them around and people said Bischoff's made nothing but bad decisions this year <laughs> Eddie Guerrero beat Ray Mysterio Jr. 455 after Hoovy screwed up trying to get Ray, at Ray, at Eddie and instead let drop Ray causing Eddie to pin him because he lost Ray had to join the LWO ah yes Ray and that LWO still uh, bad things happen to this day. Yeah. Chavo Guerrero Jr. went to no contest with Scott Putsky in 316 when Bam Bam Bigelow, who signed that three-year deal with W7 November 11, showed up as an outside and destroyed both of them and challenged Goldberg. Goldberg showed up and they had a really wild pull apart. Bischoff yelled at J.J. Dillon for being at fault for all this happening and they argue with Bischoff firing J.J. and him driving off. Well, we're going to have to watch this. I got a cue. And there's Ray. <laughs> There's Ray is uh, celebrating uh, being the LWO. Also, I'm not, curious. He's actually not okay, I'm curious. Okay, Scott Putsky, for what it's worth, is actually taller than Chavito. We may be wearing this. Yeah, actually, he might be. Let's see. Uh he definitely might be. <laughs> All right, so let's see. So now we got to go to. Uh... The debut of uh, Scott Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh yeah, Bishop Bishop and JJ just coming up side by side. Well, we're going to get into that as we go along. All right. Because that, Bigelow's that is first a appearance, point. right? Yeah, he's an outsider. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and it starts uh, during the match. Okay, so which Gene just happened to be at the door too. Shocking. As we've got these two great. Uh, Second and third generation Texas wrestlers competing. Something has occurred backstage. Yeah. We've dispatched a cameraman, and I believe Mean Gene is going to be back there as well. Does this have to do with the motorcade? Can we go back there? What's going on here? I don't, I don't know, Tony. I, I don't think it's a. Okay, okay, that explains why Gene's in the back, I guess. 
that he okay, thinks it might Hogan be Hogan's thing. motorcade for the election nonsense. Motorcade, yes. we've just seen a Cadillac pull up here, and uh, rumors are flying fast and furious back here in the holding area. Secret Service men, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, he's Chef Doug Dillinger. He's going for Goldberg's. That's for not Man, giving any of the black kids free, free autographs like you do the white kids, Doug. <laughs> yeah, boy, he took a bump there. That's back. Yes, it is. What the heck is he doing here? He just walks right in the back of the building here. He's 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 not even a, I can't. He's not employed by World Championship Wrestling. No, not he's gone right into Goldberg's yeah. room. Goldberg's dressing room. This yeah. man is the he is really yeah. one of the most dangerous yeah. men in the history of pro wrestling, and he's running wild in the back. Three hundred and ten, twenty some pounds. Gene, you better get out of there. You better get out of there. I know we've said this before. It's a shame that this is just Goldberg's TV program before Starcade. Yeah, and the fans, you know, don't have, there's no monitors in the building, so they don't so know they what's don't know going, what's on, going yet. on yet. But like, this is the first time Bam Bam's ever really been booked as like Memphis Bam Bam on national TV. Yes. What in the world? Hey, stop he's, him! He's walking. Don't let him go in there. That's the entryway towards the ring area. Nobody's going to stop him. Oh, he's stop that gorilla. Him. Well, no one's going to stop him. No he's one on, can stop he's this on man. He's on his way. One of the most dominant forces in all of professional wrestling, Bam Bam Bigelow, is on his way to the ring. Fans, we've never witnessed anything like this in the history of Mike Throw before. A man just walking from the outside in, unannounced. Not a part of this. But not just any man. This is Bam Bam Bigelow. One of the toughest men in the history of this sport. If not the most dangerous man in our sport. You know. After watching the Warrior stuff we've been watching for recording the Patreon show, it's really striking how Bigelow just sprinted to the ring the way he did and basically sprinted across the whole building and is not blown up at all the way Warrior was just after well, he's, like. Well, he's probably. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but Bigelow's probably in as good a shape as he had been in this. this is a, yes, he is. No, but still, like, it shows, you know, it shows kind of a difference there in terms of show versus go. Yeah. No and doubt about that. Listen he's, to him. It's to put in. Goldberg, get your ass out of here. He's caught up, Goldberg. On a piece of these. He's taking over the strong enough. I want you out of here. Come on out of here. He has taken over this program. Come. Oh, here we go. Would you look at this? I, look at the concern on the face of Eric Bischoff. And why is he walking to the ring? You're out of here. You're out of here. That's Who do you think you are? And obviously Bischoff didn't either. He just said, you're out of here. Bischoff out with JJ together. You know, when you're used to security and all that on wrestling these days, just being a bunch of indie wrestlers, it's weird going back and watching these nitros where it's very obviously actual local cops. 
Uh, well, yes. <laughs> Actual police officers. Yeah. So, JJ's got the mic. You do not work for WCW. Getting Oldberg sign. Yeah. You can't just barge in here like this. You're disrupting a live television program. You need to leave the ring Get immediately. I want him out of here. Yeah, he is. And we need to get him out of here. Get him out of here. Good luck. You won't get him out of that easy. Uh, he truly is one of the most notorious. He's a bad, most, bad man. Yes, he is. One of the most feared, one of the most dangerous men in all of professional wrestling. And the whole world is what he is. And now security backs him in an explosion. And here comes Goldberg. The world heavyweight champion is on his way to the ring. The man. You don't need to call him out more than once. And now look at security holding Bigelow back. And Goldberg runs in there. You call Goldberg out, he'll come out. And when he comes out, you'll wish he'd never come out. We have never witnessed anything like this ever. This is great. Look at the security forces trying to keep these two warriors apart. It's the man and the beast from the east. Bam, bam, Bigelow is here. It's 35. Tito Ortiz is in there getting in the mix. It's a car. When you came here, I would give you an opportunity. And I gave you an opportunity. And all you've done is screw it up. You tried to pump yourself up by finding Scott Steiner, making yourself important, and you screw up everything you touch. You were fired. I didn't send him out there. You were fired. You can run this madhouse any way you want. And you know what? You can't fire me because I quit. Oh, my. Thank Uh-oh. you so much. And I don't need the to help find him away. A professional you wrestler. You can run this madhouse any way you want. You know I will. No, he's the you only know I will. force in the back. And Bischoff has fired James right J. Dillett. You know why? He has too much power. And he knows can, too much what's going on business. with that man right there, Eric Bischoff. All right, fans. It, uh, as James J. Dillon gets in his car and leaves, and that's and the that startling sight. It really, in, in many ways, kind of pales no, in comparison to what went down moments ago. Yeah. It was one of the shocking, most shocking events. Okay, to wait, what let's see. startling sight? Can we see a plate? It really, in, in many ways, it's kind of. Well, ba- you never saw the plate on Bam Bam because he came in from the front. Okay. Pales in comparison still, to okay. what. Oh, is that it for Bam Bam now? Or should, do I, is there anything I need to keep playing? Or uh, no, I think that's it for the moment. Okay. They have this hot because, angle that gets overgrade and. Well, I mean, yeah, the crowd, the crowd was hot. They're into it. I mean, they did a tremendous job of setting it up with Bam Bam coming in as an outsider. You know, he doesn't work here. Blah 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 blah. Yep, it's the same I'm, car. <laughs> of course it is. W say everybody. Um which makes it you know what? That makes it even look more like JJ was maybe in on it. But that's a whole nother story. Um It's just they had the job Goldberg to Kevin Nash. You know, Kevin Nash is the booker here. 
he's not officially booking yet. Well, yeah, but so, and we all know the past history there between Bam Bam Bigelow and the Click. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they did his hot angle, man. It was hot, but yeah. That be everybody. Saturn B. Coney and Buddy Q in 704 when the LWO attacked. It was a complete mess. So nobody had a clue what they were doing. Saturn was fighting 10 LWO guys at once and not selling. You haven't lived until you've seen Saturn hit the guards as attempts at brawl, brawling. Then Conan challenged Saturn to come back, and he did, and basically jumped all over Conan and kicked his ass. Conan took a stiff punch. It was not silly, legit, and had taken a stiff kick earlier in the match and just laid there, so Saturn had to stay on top of him, making Conan like a total fool. Well, at least that made it everyone near the ring in that match. Holy shit. Sounds like Conan had quite the experience here, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and during the match, we got a visual promo. Yes. Continuing. I don't know if anybody is ready. We are right outside of Bill Goldberg's oh. Goldberg's uh, dressing room. Eric Bischoff, you are the president of World Championship Wrestling. Why did you fire J.J. Dillon? Well, it should be obvious. J.J. Dillon screws up everything that he touches. He's tried to run this company. He's tried to follow in my footsteps. Obviously, the shoes don't fit. He's out of here. End of story. Bam Bam Bigelow is in the building. He wants I Goldberg. Know, You've got to... I'm Somebody's got to Goldberg. step up. I'll talk to Goldberg, but it's real simple. He doesn't work here. Bam Bam Bigelow does not work for this company. There are 60 men this Sunday in Detroit that are going to compete for an opportunity to meet Bill Goldberg. Bam Bam Bigelow will not be one of them. Bill Goldberg is a WCW World Heavyweight. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. They haven't actually set up the Nash match yet because he wins World War III, right? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Why is this when you introduce this? champion he's got more important things to do than oh, make himself available for any joe blow that comes walking in off the street thinking that he can walk into wcw and take a shot at our world heavyweight champion hey Bill, wait a minute i want bigelow tonight and you're gonna feed him to me no, no look you're Uh-oh. the heavyweight champion of the I world i want him tonight and you're gonna give him to me right you're the heavyweight champion of the right. world he's got bishop on the neck thank you I think he said yes, didn't he? I I think that is made. Goldberg just grabbing Bischoff. Tony, back to you. We'll keep you covered. That that match match has been made. And Goldberg wanted the darn thing. And he forced it on Eric Bischoff. And we got it. We're going to have that match? Well, Bam Bam Bigelow struck a nerve with Goldberg, didn't he? Don't touch the clicker. This is mind-boggling. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. It's... It's Bam Bam Bigelow and Goldberg tonight. And Bischoff, you noticed as he walked, as he walked towards that door, he said, "Hey, he shook his head. No, he didn't want it. He still doesn't want it." But Goldberg says that's the way it's going to be. And I don't want to agree with Eric Bischoff, but I, we got to agree with him when he said, "You know, there's 60 men who are vying for a shot at Goldberg. You can't just one, two. You can't just give it to anyone that walks off the street." But in the same breath. Bam Bam Bigelow's not just anyone off the street. You just can't you you can't blame Bischoff for being hesitant about this situation, putting the WCW World's Heavyweight Champion Goldberg into a match against a wrestler that's he's not even employed by this company. All we got to do is sit back and watch. This is going to be great. Let the fireworks begin. You're right, Mike. It's going to happen. One, two, almost got a three count. Who's the rep? Is that Brady Boone, or is he dead? <laughs> dead. Saturn that. That's Brady Boone. Okay. He's not dead yet. 
Okay, I couldn't remember when he died. I'm also curious to see the Saturn somehow accidentally shoot punching Conan thing. Brady Boone died December 15th of 98. And he had not been a referee long, right? No. Dean Peters, yep. And uh, didn't Okerlund go on the hotline and, like, apparently, like, really not like Brady Boone and was, like, and said, like, who, Brady Boone died for, like, whoever cares or something like that? I forget something exactly what the like line that. was. Yeah, it was, it, there was some things about somebody, which may have been him, but, yeah, that that was rough. Okay, it's punch exchange time, so I'm guessing this is where the concussion happened. Of what may happen? Of what may happen to our world title? What may happen to uh, Goldberg in this street? Uh, it's going to be interesting. Oh, it's going to be. It's going to be. Just... What? What a chance here! What an opportunity for Bam Bam Bigelow to walk into Monday uh, Nitro and make headlines yeah, if he were able to defeat Goldberg. Right. Well, we see members of the LWO to hold Saturn for K Dog. And K-Dog didn't hit Saturn. He went right into the parking. So when does he shoot punch him? I think he's already done had it. Because he mm, looked like he was, think it was early. loop. He does look he a got, little off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. We got all kind of stuff going on here. It's yeah. going to be hard to pinpoint. Well, well n- yeah, now we got the promo. So, yeah, he hadn't, hadn't happened yet. Wait, so was it on the floor? or? I don't know. I don't know. He's on top of him, but anyway, I. Right. So, all right. So, uh, Buff and Scott Steiner came out with their own referee, a local lifter who actually was pretty charismatic. They brought on a guy in drag as Rick and Scott's mom, and Buff started beating her up because Scott said it'd be okay. Rick came out, said it wasn't his mom, pulled the wig and dress off. Scott Norton showed up, and the three and then beat up Rick and counted to three. Oh my goodness! Oh, look at that guy. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that dude was pretty charismatic. I remember, I remember that dude. Wait, is that Mark Johnson? I think it is Mark Johnson. Is this the first appearance of Mark Johnson? Yeah, you gotta be, yeah. But he has a goatee and he's wearing like makeup. He's got something on and some paint on his head. <sighs> so he was always this much of a attention seeker. <laughs> he's war. he's a hand bone. Uh. <laughs> he is entertaining. <laughs> I give him that. That that has to be Mark Johnson, right? It looks like him. Oh, that's definitely Mark Johnson. Yeah. Uh, at least he doesn't have his shorts yet. Let's see this guy, this uh, drag uh, guy in drag playing the mother of the Steiner brothers. Uh. <sighs> Scott Steiner is massive. What else is new? <laughs> I think he's angry Flyer did a shtick earlier <laughs> oh. oh here's Mama Steiner Yeah He gave him permission to hit his own mom Now Buff As you know Wrestling is no place For a woman But mom It's good to see you This is, is Mrs. Is Steiner everybody uh, Scott Steiner's mom No it isn't she never looked that now good. Buff, when you gave me the favor and knocking your mother out, I'm going to return the favor and you can knock my mother out. Oh. Let's, cut, let's get out of here. Hey, you okay, Bob? Count it down. You okay? 
And notice how Bagwell and Scott Steiner split. Get out of here! This is our segment! (laughs) Yeah, that's not... Not bad. Give me a dollar. Well, we're pretty much speechless up here. Shut your mouth. This, my mother, you two are a couple of dirtbag scumbag whores. This ain't my mother. It's your dad. You know what? If it was your mother, I'd have done the same thing. Yeah? Well, you can bring it on right now. Oh, I guess now we know why Rick has such issues with gender nonconformity. <laughs> I guess. It's Scott Norton holding Rick Steiner. The big man, Scott Listen Norton. Here. I put referees out. I put J.J. Dillon out. I put Judy Bagwell out. If you show up in Auburn Hills, I'm going to end your career. Brother to brother. He's talking to him. And there's no getting away from Scott Norton to the clutches of Scott Norton. Look at this. At the mercy of three members of the NWO. Just another NWO plot. What a pathetic display. Oh, fans. Where's Mumsy? We're coming right back. It's bring you shut up. Oh, man. WC, everybody. We follow that up with Bobby Duncan Jr. being Chris Jericho by count out in the TV title match 434. Jericho really did a great job here as he made Duncan look good, which in time will become obvious. It is an easy, easy job. Jericho finally walked out after bumping all over the place for him. And then we get Hulk Hogan. Oh, no. Well, let me get Hogan. ready. Hogan came out still running for president. Actually, Dave hopes this continues and Hogan gets on the ballot, so they have to take him off wrestling due to equal time provisions. That doesn't count on cable. They brought out a chunky Monica Lewinsky lookalike as Hogan's intern, and she pulled a cigar out of her bra. She went to leave, and Bobby Heenan made a remark about having to roll her out in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) Oh, we got to see the Monica Lewinsky. Start to start it from the beginning? I mean, I guess start when we Skip ahead to Monica. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. You know... I've seen people point out in articles over the years that I don't know if it's what people were willing to talk about or what sounded most extravagant, that at the time everyone's talking about the uh, cigar and not the references to oral anal contact. <laughs> well, the cigar is just such a – oh, here we go. Oh, it's such Doug a wild, wild story. Aye. Well, also that it's such a Clinton thing that, that it's like and – then, and then President Clinton took it out and said, taste good. <laughs> oh yes, slit Willie. I wonder if he was biting his lip. <laughs> oh, there's a giant American flag covering the entranceway. America, open your arms to Hollywood and my whole campaign team. We will not let you down. Monica, America shall be the richest country 
every child to have an education, and we shall make the whole world a peaceful place to live in. Oh, me. I present America and all my NWOites, my brand new intern. <laughs> Shut up, bro. Heenan. <laughs> he just Heenan is just ready, so ready. <laughs> you know he is so ready to pounce on this one. You know I'd like to nah. shut up. You know shut up. Let's. He's the man. Hollywood, I'd like to be the first one to congratulate you. And everybody knows that a president loves a good cigar. <laughs> oh my. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll enjoy this cigar very much. <laughs> I have no more I have no comment about this. I do. Gentlemen, please escort my personal intern back to my office, please. I'm a wheelbarrow. Now, before I go back and enjoy this cigar. I would like to get Mr. Bischoff out here. I would like to let all the NWOites know that Hollywood, the campaign trail, is just as solid as all the NWOites out there, brother. Oh, oh boy. The black and whites in the back, we've talked about it. We can handle the presidency of the United States. We can handle professional wrestling. But right now, enough about Hollywood, your next president. Now, we're going to talk about NWO business. Mr. Bischoff, if okay. you would please step this way. The man, you're not, I tell you, we got some serious stuff going on here. Enough of this intern stuff. Right. Bischoff coming to the ring. So, all right, so this somehow leads to Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff arguing and Hall attacked Bischoff for no reason. Hogan then jumped Hall. Nash saved Hall, which really makes everyone want to see Nash versus Hall. This week's idea is to build up putting Scott Hall and Nash back together as a team. Since it's clear from the crowd reactions that nobody wants to see them wrestle. And nobody's ever gotten to the feud because nobody wanted to see the split. And since the split, because of Hall's problems, it's all been screwed up in execution. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So. It is what it is. So what do we get next? Chris Benoit beat Bret Hart by disqualification at 639 when Bret destroyed his bad arm with a chair. Malenko ran in for the save, but Hart destroyed him as well. DDP came out of the audience and made the big save, and he did an interview. Wow. And they ain't going to let it to the pay-per-view. What a concept. This is this is the first one, right? It's the first Bret Benoit match. Ooh, I'm not sure. Let's see. Because... I got to think so. They have a few. I don't remember this one. I remember the longer ones. That's what I'm saying. I think it's the first one. Okay, I'm pulling up Gage Ranch. Usually this is quicker than going through the encounters menu at Wrestling Data. Ca- casual encounters? No. Uh, this is the second one. The first one was June 22nd, Nitro, in Jacksonville, which went 15 minutes. Okay, I forgot that one. They come back March 1st. Uh, in Chapel Hill with one that goes 19 minutes. And then, of course, there's the Kansas City match on uh, October 4th. 
99, the Owen Tribute in Kansas City. And uh, that went that went almost 28 minutes. Oof, and then, yes, you know, they did. had the match at Mayhem. And forgot they also had a match on Thunder uh, right before Brett got concussed, too. Or right yeah. after. I forget which day Starcade was. So they had quite a few matches. Quite a few. Yes. And when Brett got a chance to do something, which was mainly, like, the Benoit and Booker T matches, he still looked like Bret Hart. Oh, yeah. Those were just far and few between. Yes. Alright, uh, next. Finally, after plugging for an hour, Goldberg and Bigelow came out and started brawling outside the ring for about 90 seconds for everyone broke it up. Real bad finish to the show. But luckily, a few people were watching, so not many where people were pissed by it. The bad news is they brought Bigelow in to give Goldberg a new contender by the looks of things. Thus far, nobody cared. Alright, well, let's watch this. It ain't gonna be long. Watch the whole thing, or...? I mean, it's not long, is it? How long is it? I mean, we've got the whole Goldberg... Well, I mean, we don't need that. That's what I was saying. Okay. Oh, yeah, we did. I mean, it's only... Took, it's only a... Yeah, play it right here. It's only a minute. Oh, start it here, right before Bigelow. Yeah. So, yeah, Goldberg's in the entrance. Oh, my. The explosion... You're still not sure what's going to happen. It, it is, but it's 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 actually a good thing because the way I mean, this builds it up because you're not going to give anything. You don't need to give anything away on TV. I mean, I just mean the finality of making it clear the, that the match has been thrown out. And not necessarily have done that though. Hmm. They didn't necessarily do that. The bell never even rang, Bix. I know, but there was it wasn't even a match. And then they proceed I mean, to, during this program, not actually have a match on television or pay-per-view. Because yeah. when they come back on December 7th, it's listed as a no contest, but there's no match time listed. Yeah. On Cage Match. So that's presumably just another one of these. And they have house show matches. They're on December 14th, Nitro. There's a Goldberg-Bigelow-Nash three-way that goes five minutes to a no contest. But... That's it, you know, and then you have, you, you know, you have Bigelow getting involved with Goldberg and Scott Hall in January, and you have more house show matches, so he's, he is Goldberg's house show opponent for the next little bit. Yeah. But that's about it. Just a waste. 
I listened to that crowd. It was getting over. Yeah. The, the the brawl itself, when they're brawling, looks really good. Yeah. People bought him as a threat to Goldberg. There, and also, you know, credit to whether it's Sullivan or even Terry Taylor or whoever, like, he's being booked as Bam Bam Bigelow should be booked. Yeah. Like, it's it's the lack of follow-up. Well, that's WCW. It's WCW, but it's like they had a what could have been a genuinely hot program. Well, let's get Way Keller's thoughts on Nitro. Mm. It's fine that Danny that Hogan wants to try and get some publicity by jumping on the Ventura bandwagon, but in the process, his character is losing any semblance of consistency. Is he being sarcastic? Aren't he being serious? If he's serious about what a great job he'd do as president, he can't continue to play a heel who cheats and attacks from behind. If you're just joking about the presidential run, it needs to be more entertaining in the process. Chris Jericho would have been a lot more fun to watch in this role. Oh, sure he would have, Wade. I wonder why you think that. <laughs> I wonder why. In order to get Bam Bam Bigelow's angle over, Eric Bischoff broke character and actually sided with Goldberg. It was a nice touch, especially if there is some follow-up to it. It showed that as pro-NWO as Bischoff is, he's worried about the survival of WCW and his champion. That ruffled Hogan's feathers, and they turned to an angle later. It also added to the idea that Bigelow was a serious threat to the title. Bigelow isn't going to be taken seriously if he does more cartwheels. His Nitro invasion is the closest Nitro has gotten to revisiting the Outsider's angle. It was. It really was, because, I mean, that was something nobody saw coming, really. Yeah. And, I mean, Bischoff did, he was breaking character. He was Eric Bischoff boss, not Eric Bischoff NWO during the whole thing. Yeah, because it's not like they had acted previously like he had any power over uh, JJ, too. No? Oh, guess what we're going to talk about now? For Chris Jericho to have a chance to be the ratings draw he could be, he needs to get more serious once the bell rings. He can do his comedy before the match or just walk it out on Bobby Duncombe Jr., who WWE did a very good job pushing in his debut, makes it hard to take Jericho seriously. You can only reach a certain level of success as a comedy figure. He is right about some of that. Yeah, and yeah, I forgot this was Bobby Duncombe's debut. Bobby Duncombe. Bobby Duncombe's debut here, if I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah. I can't believe Tony Schiavone didn't act as if the Monica lookalike was actually Monica Lewinsky. He buys every other scam, but in this case, he was groaning and trying to keep Heenan from making any tasteless comments. Also, Wade misspelled Lewinsky. Yes. With an I at the end. Yes. Well, that's not the common way of spelling it, though. Is it? I Is it? I mean, it yes. It's Most Lewinsky's I've ever seen is with the I. It's definitely a way of making it sound more Polish. Sonny Ono. No, you misspelled that. Uh, Prince tends to be the heel wrestling manager, but wrestling fans can see through him and can tell he's not he's just an outsider with an outsider's perspective on what a heel manager acts like with no actual knowledge of what works. Jesus! He, he comes across as condescending. I couldn't imagine he'd be on the payroll if he wasn't a long, long-time friend of his boss, Sarah Bischoff. He's really gone on scouting missions for WCW and asked others for advice because he admits he wouldn't know what a good wrestler was if he ever saw one. Oh, so that's why he wanted to bring Vampiro in. <laughs> it was bad this week when Bobby Heenan said he had never heard the term senton splash cheers to Shivani for pointing out to Heenan that Tanae had been using that term for the last few years on Nitro it was almost as bad when Heenan asked if Benoit and Bret Hart never wrestled before 
when he called their first match on Nitro a few months ago. Well, he can be forgiven because you see, as Wade right, I was Wade, as Wade writes it here, he asked about Benioff. Thank you, Baba Wawa. No, but he asked about Benioff, not Benoit. <laughs> yes, yes, as Wade misspelled that name. Benioff and Brad had never wrestled before. <laughs> Benoit. That's always my favorite one, guys. First time that, it was, that Chris Benoit, because <laughs> Benoit Benjamin played in the NBA in the eighties, and he spelled his name the same way, but it's. When I was a kid, and before I knew how French worked, if I saw his name in Aftermax, I thought he was Chris Bennett. <laughs> one, uh, it's one of the Secret Service agents for Hogan's presidential skit the previous week was former wrestler Johnny Valiant, who's now doing acting in New York. He's doing acting. Doing uh, Hogan, acting? <laughs> yes. Hogan wanted to announce Ted Turner as his vice presidential running mate, but Turner turned him down. Seems Turner himself is thinking of actually running for president. Goddamn, pal. What do I do about that? <laughs> oh, if Ted Turner would have done that, you know Vince would have done some shit. You uh, know. Yes. Um, doing acting, doing journalism, doing a journalism, doing <laughs> acting. Now, we're staying with the torch here. In fact, the torch is pretty much all this right, upcoming stuff. The main event for Nitro was slated to be Goldberg defending against Chris Jericho. Goldberg, though, bolted the match. He has certain people he trusts in the company telling him if he sells for Jericho, whom some still label as a cruiserweight comedy figure, it could hurt his marketability. Goldberg, which is a year in the sport, being able to refuse to wrestle a match, the bookers want, want him to go, shows how spread the, goes to show how spread out the power is behind the scenes in WCW and why nobody has any confidence that they can get the company back on track. Hmm. Yeah. So this is the... This is the beginning of Goldberg Jericho, I would think, as far as the issue. But because they've all, Jer- hasn't, I forget, has Jericho already been doing the segments? or I, Maybe he has, but this is the beginning of this becoming an issue. Yes, the heat starts here. So, But we get the Bigelow thing out of this, though. So, so what the heck was the original plan for Bigelow? If there was Who one. knows? Who knows? Ric Flair is balking at his schedule matches against Goldberg at Starcade. It says at Starcade. He must mean after Starcade. His agreement when he turned to WCW apparently was that his first match would be against Eric Bischoff at Starcade, where if he won, he could return to WCW as a wrestler. Wait, wait, wait. So is he saying that the idea here is that Flair was supposed to win the Battle Royal? Flair doesn't want to do jobs to Goldberg before selling his lawsuit, which is scheduled to reach his next court date in mid-December. Don't be surprised if WCW advertised the Goldberg Flair matches until the day of the show, if it, even if it's known the matches won't be taking place. Okay, so he does mean he doesn't mean at Starcade. Yeah, I'm confused. He means before Starcade or something. I, okay, it's way Wade writing. Yes. Um. But yeah, as we talk about on the Patreon show we did about this, Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets, the lawsuit wasn't settled yet when Flair came back. It's not settled yeah. until January. Yep. Flair came back on good faith. Yeah. Think about that. Rick Scott Steiner, whose contract expired in November, all last week signed multi-year renewals in the eight six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollar range each. Hmm. Everybody in WCW seems to be on the work in the assumption that the Giants not staying in WCW. He has given every indication, without outright saying he is headed to WWF after his contract expires on February 9th, ninety nine. 
There are 90-day no-compete clauses built into many WWE contracts. If Giants contains that clause, he would have to wait until May 9th before debuting for WWF, unless he contested the legality of the 90-day clause. Hmm. Well, his obviously didn't have it because he was on St. Valentine's Day Massacre. He couldn't have a 90-day clause if his contract's expiring. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's why. That's right. How did people ever not understand this? And uh, Rick and Scott were both signed for 750000 a year. Well, there you go. And uh, Scott also got a 90000 performance bonus in 98. Well, good for him. Ultimate Dragon. Performance bonus or performance enhancing bonus? <laughs> yeah. Ultimate Dragon was released in WCW after suffering injuries that would keep him out of action indefinitely. He has disability insurance, so WCW knew he would be financially set when they decided to release him. Oh, who the hell planted this this way to the torch? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Good work, Terry Taylor. <laughs> what the actual fuck kind of blurb is that? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, man. the doctor we told him to go to maimed him. <laughs> and then we fired him, but... He's got money. He'll be all right. He's got, he's got Lloyd's of London, brother. He knows what's up. Also, wait, is it publicly known yet that his arm is fucked? Like, that the surgery got botched, or... No, no, no. So at this point, people just know he has, he got cut after getting elbow surgery. Yes. Okay. It's later that we find out that uh, half of his arm doesn't work. Yeah. All right, we go back to Dave. House show for the week. November 18th, Topeka drew 3448, paying 75,966. Toledo on the 20th drew 4,500 to sell out 98,688. Merchandise for the week was 225,848 or $8.25 ahead which is rising from the standard the past two months. Well, at least they got that going for them. Yeah. Saturday night on the 21st to the 2.6 rating. They taped uh, Saturday night in Selena, Kansas. The first time all we heard about, and it's the best match I showed, was Hoovy beating Super Colo in a Roosevelt title match, and it was an angle where the LWO was beating up Kidman and Ray, made the save. The gimmick is even though Ray's an LWO against his wishes, he's making saves for people they're attacking. More notes from the uh, taping was Drew 2768 paying 60340 Kidman beat 80 by DQ when the LWO ran into it that Kidman and Ray made a save. Lodi over Barry Darso when Darso clothed him with his putter. So that's a DQ, I guess. Saturn beat Silver King in a good match. Poor man. I just I just watched this show, by the way. Poor man in Tokyo had the job for Vincent in 30 seconds. Uh-huh. He came in and danced. Vincent attacked him, put him in the Fujiwara armbar, made him tap out like 30 seconds. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I just watched this show. It's hilarious. Bret Hart worked the Saturday Night Main Event getting DQ'd against Booker T. Good match. Hoovy beat Super Kolo in the best match of the taping. Then did you another angle where um, Ernest Catmiller destroyed Kasayashi. Speaking of high, I should have had Norton beat him in 20 seconds on the Tuesday Nitro Extra. Kidman beat Ray Jr. in a title match by DQ. When Ray was on the verge of winning, the LWO attacked Kevin for the DQ. DDP beat Steve Ray by DQ with Brett. attacked GDP, and then a dark match, DDP beat Brett. Scott and Norton and Booker T were supposed to wrestle, as we mentioned at the, t- the show, but Scott Norton balked at the plans. Booker also came out against it. So not only did they wrestle the taping, but their baby match was scrapped as well. Another case of wrestlers having veto power over management, or on the other hand, management listening to the wishes of the wrestlers. If both wrestlers didn't want to do the match, I'm curious what their reasons were, but it 
not the usual if it's both wrestlers. Are like, eh, I don't know about that. Alright, I see you got a match which has the wrong date on it. So, uh, well, no, it's got the right air date. That's the it's air just, date, yeah. This one it was taped, yeah. Alright, so, <clears throat> so let's watch. I want to see what this looks like. Yeah. To, yeah. TV subscribers call 1 800 347 3288. Dish Network subscribers call 1 800 333 Dish. And Turner Premier subscribers call 1 800 843 9266. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All the excitement of B-ball action is right here. Electronic Hotshot Basketball. Hey, hot oh, Hotshot Basketball. Or take on an opponent. Electronic oh, with, with, Hotshot with, Basketball. With uh, bright colors, too. The number one football game on N64 just got a whole lot better. NFL Quarterback Club 99. McLean Sports sweat the details. America Online introduces new version 4.0. Ooh. I can customize my email. It's my connection to the world. America Online, so easy to use, no wonder it's number one. Get your hair back free. Get up to 65% off major Ooh. hotels, up to $180 off American Airlines by just prepaying for a basic club plan. Call 1-800-HAIR-CLUB. a statement about the goings-on in Washington with the <laughs> Clinton growing nose wristwatch. The nose actually triples in length every 10 seconds. Call 1-800-30-WATCH now. Oh, that's the entrance music you're going to give this guy. Scott and Tanae just shitting on on the bosses for changing his name to Tokyo Bacta. Yes, and yes, he is doing the dancing fool deal here to this music. Now actually makes his home in Mexico City. Yeah, it's really something just in terms of perspective, how much smaller this looks than an AEW show that would have drawn the same size crowd. Yeah. Tonight on Saturday night, about Hollywood Hogan announced. There's Vincent with his uh, Dana Garcia hat. Well, all the black and white were that brand of time. I know, they had the Kangol. Hogan for first lady. You know, we talk about the Kangols, we don't, we don't uh, remember to mention the matching Oakleys. Oh, yeah. Up the, the match hasn't even started yet. There's a minute left in the video. Let's see how many liberties Urgil takes with them. Oh, there's a little uh, four live sign from the NWO. I don't think so. Not without Hollywood Hogan. Well, this is going to be quite a test for the cruiserweight Tokyo Magnum, as he is overshadowed not only in terms of size, power, and strength by Vincent, but also quite a bit the experience as well. Yes. 
that was one definitely one of the NWO shirts that you would never see any of the wrestlers wear that that would be sold in stores and shit. It had Hogan Hall. Oh, the fit on the fan, yeah, yeah. It, Hogan Hall, the Giant, and Kurt Henning. <laughs> and Hogan's NWO shirt he's wearing the pics from like '96, where they had their before they had the official merchandise. Yes, whereas the others that have visible shirts are wearing the proper. Great by Vincent, but also quite a bit the experience department as well. Vincent's not that much taller than Vincent's him, though. Vincent's down the forearms across the back of Tokyo Magnum. Vincent backs him into the corner. Knife edge chop and another on Tokyo Magnum. Vincent really taking over here. Armbar out of the corner. We're going to drop it. Oh! Into the arm breaker. Divorce for TDT and yeah, Waki Kitame. I guess you couldn't complain about racial discrimination because this is a, it was a black guy doing it to a Japanese man. I'm sure Terry Taylor's thinking that. <laughs> I wonder but if he's yes. gotten his copy of the Todd Gordon shoot promo yet. Of, of all the guys to do that to Magnum, it was fucking Vincent. With a Fujiwara armbar. <laughs> Lord help us. This guy got over on his own, and he's sticking around after his friends are gone, and probably doesn't have a work visa. Yeah. And, yeah. Thunder. Oh, Thunder yeah. 19, that. In, Fort, in Fort Wayne, dressed up, 6423, paying 143265 The show also drew a 3.72 rating and a 5.7 share. All right. Um, Bobby Heenan was not here. He was making his way to Detroit. We'll have more on that as we go along. Um, Booker T beat Norman Smiley in three twenty-seven match where they missed. Oh, every you're not going to tell everyone who replaced Heenan for the week? Larry Z, Larry Zbyska. Wait, oh, Lee Marshall was still on Thunder week to week at this. Point? It was Tony Lee and Larry. Yes, that when was your announcement. Lee announced Marshall stopped. I think hosting. Uh, Ninety-nine, maybe. I did not remember him lasting a whole year. Okay, but it was Tony Lee and Larry. Yes. Um, yeah, they missed every spot. Booker's clearly nowhere close to 100%. Um, the referee for the match was former wrestler Brady Boone, who's now part of the regular ref crew of WCW, Wade said. And he's dead in a month. Less than a month. Wow. That was a car wreck, right? Yeah. Scott Hall beat Disco to Outsider Edge in 237. Eddie, uh, took Ray's match with Kidman. And Eddie got the pin using Rose at 539. This would make sense if it set Eddie for a cruiserweight title match. But since Eddie's no longer a cruiserweight, which has nothing to do with weight, being a cruiserweight is based on whether or not you can play the management yet about being called a cruiserweight, that results in further establishing the cruiserweight champ as a guy who can't beat any heavyweights. But he is still a cruiserweight. He gets a cruiserweight title shot at Starcade. Now, before that match, which Dave didn't talk about this, uh, Tony Schmidt interviewed Chris Jericho. Who uh, said you know, he was going to face Bobby Duncan in the pay per view? Jericho pretended not know Duncan, who Duncan was, until going off on a tirade about Cowboys. He said after finishing wrestling school in Calgary, Stu Hart made him wrestle his first match as Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. Duncan stuck up behind Jericho, hit him with a bull rope, and then hot time with the rope. 
I think he did work CNWA TV as Cowboy Chris Jericho. I think he did, yes. And he's the TV champion uh, here. But. Another thing that we didn't mention, that they didn't mention, was the uh, tape footage from earlier night. Oh. Oops, sorry. Where Kasayashi approached Scott Hall about tagging with him against Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono later. World War Three. Hayashi said something about Miller and Hall said he liked Miller Light, but said Ayashi could get in big trouble if he drank it before the match. <laughs> and then we get Eddie and Ray. All right, um, let's, let's see what uh, Chris Jericho has to say here. by that but let's set the record straight he also he's also using a monday night jericho t-shirt as a do-rag he's because he's great and jericho also has sunglasses on i'm sure for very which good I, reason which i can't say none of this but go ahead oh i when did i turn off the screen share okay sorry about that there we go ucw officials have now signed a rematch where Chris Jericho will put the TV belt on the line this Sunday, part of World War III against the youngster Bobby Duncombe Jr., who on Monday really pushed you a limit. You ended up walking away from the match. You ended up, many people would say, maybe running away from Bobby Duncombe Jr. Which guy is that? Which one? Bobby, Bobby Duncombe Jr. Oh, is that the cowboy? Yeah, yeah okay. First of all, let me explain this to you, Skiavon. I don't like cowboys. I I just don't like him. I'm going to tell you why. Because when I finished training in the dungeon... Judging from the bags under his eyes, I'm guessing uh, the entity he calls Drunkaco made some appearances this week. He's probably And he's probably pissed up at the Goldberg thing, too. Yeah? That crazy old wizard, Stu Hart, told me for my first match, I had to be, you guessed it, a cowboy. Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. How lame is that? I've hated cowboys ever since. Now, Bobby Duncan. Dun, Duncan. 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 Bobby Duncan Jr. Who the heck is Bobby Duncan Sr.? Is my question. That's what I want to know. I don't know, Lee, but he looks just like the guy behind him. Whoa! yippee ki yay Hey, he's doing that, yeah. that doggy thing. That's called hog time. Whatever. The doggy thing? <laughs> he's doing a doggy style, Larry. Uh, and that's your women's wrestling expert, huh? <laughs> Well, we have got ourselves a rodeo on Thunder. Yeah. Don't they tie up them doggies? That's exactly right. I guess this was his doggy day. See what he has to say now, Tony. I wasn't a Boy Scout. I don't know how to untie those knots. I think this interview's over. Good luck on 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 Sunday. You're going to need it. Get it <laughs> you know, Kazayashi earlier was looking for a partner, which is kind of difficult when you don't speak English very well. Earlier today, our WCW oh, okay, cameras were rolling as Kaz went to Courtney. 
Yeah, hey Kaz, what's up, buddy? Please, please, I, I go to Mira. Yeah, yes. I, li I like Miller Light, but Kaz, not before the matches, not before the matches, after the matches. You get, you get in big trouble you drink before the matches. Believe me, big trouble. You don't want that. Oh, he's consulting a, a, a Japanese English dictionary of some kind. <laughs> and yes, uh, yes, his, his pro debut was October 2nd, 1990, a 10-minute draw against Lance Storm in Hanoka, Alberta, as Cowboy Chris Jericho. Um, at this point, well, my tonight took over for Lee Marshall in the second hour of commentary, Bix, so there you go. So there's that. Um, Scott Norton destroyed Scott Putsky in minute 48 with a powerbomb. The ring now sports a Thunder logo, but it's very visible due to the black on gray color scheme. Wade said they may have more planned for but at the same time, couldn't they use another ring cover until it was ready? Is everything on WCW done on the fly? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, Kaz tried to ask Disco Inferno to be his partner, but Disco thought he meant dancing partner. The city only dances with girls. That's Saturday also not true. You've just, you were literally just in a tag team where you danced all the time with two other men. <laughs> Saturn interrupted and called Disco a moron to him that how I should look for a tag team partner. Disco asked why Saturn doesn't do it then. He replied, Maybe I will. Ernest Miller cut a pr promo. Sonny Ono called out, said he was the only man who could find the face of Miller. Super Sensei, a weird looking white guy in karate gear. Hayashi ran in but was attacked by Ono and Miller, which brought out Saturn for the say, setting up the match for World War III. Um, Dave noted that they painted poor Katsuyashi as, quote, this retarded child who couldn't speak English, unquote, holding this dictionary trying to get some of his partner. Yes. I mean... I mean, I mean, they... Yeah. In the, in the language of 25 years ago, it's reasonable. In the sense, I mean, that was still a medical term, and that's... Dave would change his language as time went on, where he would say, like, that promotions would make it seem like Japanese wrestlers were children or mentally disabled. Well, here's the disco thing. Partner! Disco! P please, partner! Well, what, what partner? My, my partner! Oh, like a dancing partner? I do that with girls, kid! Hey, goofball. Just looking for a wrestling partner, not a dancing partner. Well, why don't you do it then? Maybe I will. We're back. All right, so Alex Wright beat Chavo with a fold and press 736. I'm okay, match. Also, it just occurred to me they're running this storyline with someone who they were taking advantage of and either not paying or grossly underpaying when he didn't have a work visa for months. Correct. That makes right sense. Right, beat of course, Wright beat up Pepe, but Chavo made a comeback. If they ever run that interpromotional pay-per-view, they could make it that Pepe has a crush on head, and they could have a horse human wedding with Mr. Sanko presiding over it. <laughs> I presume this is in relation to the having stuff brought up in the lawsuit about yeah, WCW about in the past show. making the overtures to yeah to do interpromotional. Okay, who and is Mr. Sensei? No idea. So he looks kind of like Johnny, or super sense. He's not Johnny Boone, but he looks kind of like Johnny Boone. Now she is nothing without me. He's not about to do that. 
So here comes the Super Sensei. All the way from the... He's not even Oriental. He's not even Oriental. <laughs> it is 1998. <laughs> Mark, it, like Mark Lawrence with PYG, he doesn't look like any Oriental I have ever seen. This and is the what, part of the show. This is the part of the show where Bix has to explain what is and what isn't Oriental. That's usually ahead, you. Why are you saying it's my hijab? You're well, usually the one it. who explains Oriental. I mean, I'll do it. Things can be Oriental. People can. Yes, things and places can be Oriental. People cannot. <laughs> no. Um. He has his black belt at like nipple height. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, uh, what, uh, and what, uh, what's the Mark Lawrence line about Killer Khan debut? Like the, the biggest, meanest-looking Oriental I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, d- during the uh, so wait a second, uh, why didn't Saturn just team with? Well, he is. We just talked about it. he is going to do it. He's making safe here. So anyway, um, as I was saying. During the Alice Rachava match, it was noted on commentary that Thunder was going to be off due to the Thanksgiving holiday, which Wade said finally WCW gives their fans something to be thankful for. <laughs> Canyon beat Prince IK in 416. Then Rap beat Saturn in 609 when Miller kicked Saturn. Match had no heat, and Rap took way too many bumps for Saturn. And finally, Bret Hart beat Conan with a sharpshooter. Uh, and I don't have the notes in front of me, so is it mentioned uh, the tr- trivia you can tie to this match and that finish? Because I was looking at the thing. I was I'm, ahead I'm reading both Wade and Dave, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Who taught Brett how to do the sharpshooter? Conan. Mm-hmm. Finally, Brett beat Conan 319 when Ray K- Stevie Ray KO Conan with a slab jack, and Brett put him in the sharpshooter. Brett stuck Conan's knee in a chair, was going to break it, but DDP made it save to end the show. Yes. yes, for those who don't know, when Conan was doing the beginning of his WWF stuff, Brett asked in the locker room if anyone knew how to do, depending on which version of the story here, like the, he might have said Scorpion Deathlock, or he said Ricky Choshu's move, or whatever, and Conan knew how, and showed him then and there the proper way to do it. Well, there you go. Alright, so, you know, they mentioned that Bobby Heenan wasn't there. Well, his mother-in-law died. For some reason, the company felt it would hurt Heenan's character, Dave guessed, to admit he actually cared about his mother-in-law, so they instead said he was in Detroit doing advanced work for the pay-per-view. You can just say death in the family. You don't have to say mother-in-law. I actually get the... I kind of get the thinking, though. Yeah, or maybe he just didn't want that mentioned on the air, too. That could have been that. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, I do get the idea of like, would the Bobby Heenan character really care that his mother-in-law died? It's like Al Bundy yeah. caring if his mother-in-law died. <laughs> well, <laughs> the horse were all in Fort Wayne and none were used, which caused some heat. I'm sure. Among the ideas batted around are combining the NWO back into one group as heels. Hmm. Although obviously the idea is to rid the NWO of the dud guys, they'll end up being cheered. Sting and possibly Conan would remain baby faces and possibly feud with them. This happened. This is it. So here we go. We have the, We have this here in, the, in mid-November. 
and before Kevin Nash is actually officially part of the booking team. Yeah, so that's there. Yes. Yeah. There It'd be you nice go. if we did a Patreon or some show or something that talks about this. Eh, we'll see. <laughs> Jim Hell was in Wichita, but they had nothing Jim for him. Jim Hell. <laughs> I said Jim Hellwick. Jim Hell was in Wichita, but had nothing for him. Must be nice to pay a guy that much money, have nothing for him to do. And it is kind of patreon.com slash twenty sheets. Yes, coming this month. Um Oh, actually, yeah. By the time, yeah, by the time, by the time the show is out, it's going to be within the next week or so that the show comes out. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for someone with a name like Jim Hellwig, it is kind of amazing that outside of when he first broke in, that no one ever tried using any variation of his name with it, like Jim Hell, not Jimmy Hellraiser. There are some wrestling names you can put. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not naming wrestlers. Uh, better me than Gabe. Well, I'm not, no, that's pretty close competition. All right. Uh, oh, you torch. really think I would come up with anything as bad as the group? <laughs> well, it's to the No point. remorse core, <laughs> and then not explaining to Davey Richards how you pronounce core. <laughs> no remorse, corpse. <laughs> uh, torch, Carl Malone may return to WCW if NBA lockout continues as he enjoyed team with Dallas Page in July. Well, the NWA, NWA, NBA lockout uh, comes to an end uh, in 99, so that doesn't happen. Back to Dave. Although there's been a pub in Australia about WCW touring in May, Eric Bischoff has yet to okay that deal. What? Hey. On... Huh? <laughs> How has there been publicity? I guess people in Australia were talking about it. Okay. I don't know. A lot depends on whether or not there's an NBA season. If there is a season, they're doing the playoffs, it's not sure it won't be a priority that month, they can send wrestlers on the tour. But if Nitro is going to remain in this regular slot, they don't want to see any key pieces of town away on an extended tour. Well, and also, uh, they may be talking to a certain broadcast network about specials that they would need stars available on certain dates they wouldn't have previously been needed for. Yes. Booker T's knee is still giving them problems, which is why a lot of stuff's going on. There's talk of Goldberg and Jericho face on the pay-per-view, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's become a big problem as they've done all these angles, but Goldberg doesn't want to sell or have a match. He'll do a quickie squash, like all his other TV matches with Jericho, but Jericho doesn't want to do the same quickie squash. Which is not the most accurate way to describe that, though. Jericho was fine with getting squashed, he just didn't want it to be a squash squash. Yeah. Like, he knows he's the cowardly heel and he's getting squashed at the end, he just wanted... He just didn't want a match that would feel like it would be ripping off the audience at all. He wanted to have a, you know, cheat for a minute, Goldberg sells, come back, spear. Something like that. Yeah. Hogan's running for president, got far more ink in Japan than Jesse winning governor. Because Hogan's so much more of a bigger star there. Dave was shocked at how much pub Hogan's publicity stunt got in the U.S. as well. <sighs> Everyone expects Randy Savage back soon. With a new valet. Here we go with that. And that, that doesn't happen till what, April? Yes, that he comes back and has George with him, correct. Yes, so here we go with that. Six months before it happens. Room has Bigelow was the most likely one of the battle role in the face of Goldberg, although that rating for the quarter may quickly change the idea of using that as a Star K Man event. That's interesting. Makes you wonder if maybe that could have been a plan that they had to get rid of. It was against Austin Rock, though. Yeah, but 
at this time they're they're pretty irrational. So Harley Race was telling people that filming the NBC special that it was WCW that contacted him about doing the show. About doing what show? That WCW was his conduit to doing the secrets of pro wrestling revealed. I guess. Interesting. God, have, have we have we ever done the week where all that shit blows up on the line and APW puts out a statement and all that? I don't think we have. Have, have we? I don't. I, we, if we did, I don't remember. The new riff started Nitro's for Russell Brady Boone. Yes. After getting, after getting married over the weekend, Dennis Rahman's trying to get us saying get out of it, saying he was totally wasted, so it shouldn't count. If that's the case, shouldn't WCW use that same logic to say his wrestling contract was invalid? Okay. Is this is this Carmen Electra or someone it's else? It's Carmen Electra, yes. Okay. Bret Hart was interviewed by Slant. Uh, now we're at the Bret Hart portion of the show. Bret Hart was interviewed by Slant Sports out of Toronto that was released on November 17th. The following are key excerpts. On his wrestling style, getting more conservative. The, quit doing that, Bix. I'm trying to read it. Sorry. The truth about my knee is it gets a little weaker every single day, and my doctor in Calgary tells me to be very careful with both of them because unless it's in years, I'll have plastic knees in both. I'm hoping to avoid that, so I'm very careful and less reckless than I used to be, and I'm determined to prove him wrong. On the NBC Wrestling Expose, I think for all wrestlers everywhere, at least the ones who take pride in what they do, it was a black eye. The same old disrespectful and accurate portrayal of a bunch of pathetic, phony, unskilled slobs pretending to be athletes or worse yet entertainers. It made us all look bad. All I can say is a gross distortion of the truth, and I'm really glad I was as honest as I was in my own documentary, and that maybe whatever damage and disrespect people have from watching that NBC show will be altered for the better, and finally people will respect what wrestling really is. My documentary was something I was very worried about in the sense I didn't want to upset any of my peers by taking the layers off of wrestling and me being a wrestler. It's difficult for me to do that, but I promised myself and the wrestlers that trusted me that it was long overdue for people to finally see how much effort and thought and skill go into all these great matches. I believe all wrestlers appreciated my candor, and all I can say is Hogan, Flair, DDP, Benoit, and Jericho, just to name a few, told me it was the greatest film, wrestling film of all time. And several of them literally wept at this honesty. All this can tell is we do take pride in what we do, and those maggots at NBC will never be able to take that away from us. And everyone stood and applauded. And Brett was on ABC in just a matter of a couple months. Wait, what are you talking about? The whole thing with the Tonight Show stuff with Nash. You know, I mean, I mean a couple his months, issue it, is not with the NBC network. Ma- maggots, and M- maggots on NBC, you know. He's talking about, but he's talking about the people who were on the Secrets of Pro who, 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 who put Greenlit the show? Who put the show on the air? That would be uh, NBC. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, regarding Jesse Ventura, I think it's fantastic. Jesse's always a very straightforward guy. Well, spoken to the point. He spoke up often about the rights and wrongs as far as the wrestling business went. He always had great integrity, and I'm sure he'll do a great job as governor of Minnesota. He also proves that all wrestlers are stupid, and some of us are destined for great things after wrestling. Brett also called Chris one of the most underrated wrestler. Shawn Michaels the most overrated wrestler. And he said he sees Owen only at family gatherings. He said Owen is still stuck in the minor leagues. That's an interesting way to put that. It it makes you wonder if that stuff that's in the torch coming out of Montreal, it makes you think about that stuff about how Owen was kind of disillusioned with Brett at the time. Owen could have left and didn't, Bix? No, he couldn't have left. Vince you sure about that? Leave. Yes, that's part of the story. 
But he wasn't he wasn't trying to fight it though. And I mean, he got a raise too, but he was he wasn't trying as hard as the as Davy, no. But Davy also had other reasons for wanting to leave by that point. Yeah, but still, you know. All right, and Brett wrote his Calgary Sun column where he talks about the uh, Survivor Series the previous year. I can hear some of you saying, wow, Bret Hart, you really take wrestling so seriously. I mean, it's just wrestling. Maybe I'm guilty of taking it too seriously, but the sad thing is it was my whole life. Always has been. It haunts me, and I'll probably never really get over what happened that day. Since then, I felt my soul turn to steel, and my sense of humanity went, went completely down the drain. I cringe at the sleazy format of today's WWF. Stripper matches. Steve Austin holding man hostage with a gun to his head. I should have hit Vince a few more times. In the film, you'll see me in the ring after he double-crossed me in Montreal. I felt so sad looking at the faces of my fans. I let him down. I let Canada down. I almost cry. I'm still haunted by the sad faces looking back at me, and I still feel my heart breaking and falling into me in pieces. It was all real. At the end of the film, I hear my own voice saying how Bret Hart came home, and he's fine. But what they did was murder the hitman character. A year has gone by, and I've come to the conclusion that maybe it's completely the opposite. The hitman's alive and kicking and is a bad guy in WCW. Then Bret Hart, well, he's lost a lot of things over the past year, things I'll never get back. Maybe the release of the documentary, The Truth Will Finally Set Me Free, and I can go on with my life. This film is my vindication and my liberation. The video, which is for sale on the internet and by mail order, airs on A&E in U.S. on December 20th. It's airing on various networks and film festivals in Canada this month. Okay. And back, and back to the column, Brett's quotes from the week. I don't know why the WCW committee is upset with me, but they made it clear they are, they are by having me work with Conan. Here's a guy I like to beat with an ugly stick. It says somebody beat me to it. I think that's just him being heelish. I think. The British Bulldog is signing my back entry, and I know he must have burst out laughing when I saw I had to fight K-Dog, not once, but twice in 10 days. I was trying to wrestle scientific, but after a while, I sort of catches catch cam with a guy who hasn't seen a bar of soap in so long that his gear stands up on its own. If I have to wrestle him again, I'll demand that it's written in the contract that he be deloused. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> Maybe that one was Bruce uh, ghostwriting Colin. That does kind of sound like Bruce. Maybe. But... Uh, hey, he's uh, so unwashed, they better delouse him there. All right. So uh, what were you going to you say something? With wrestling with shadows, it's like, He's right, and I think to some people it did vindicate him. The problem ended up being long-term, and we've talked about this before, I think especially when we did the Screwjob Patreon series uh, last year. It, Paul J. made edits to the that movie with the framing that made Brett's case worse than it should actually be. To make it seem like Survivor Series was absolutely, positively his last night in the company. And, like, that was the idea going in. If he does not frame the documentary that way, I think a lot of the Montreal arguing is settled and it's less of an ongoing topic for the next however many decades among fans. If not for that. I think that totally screwed him. And that, I think that was a major issue. I think in some ways it almost made things worse. Yeah. You know, like, yes, it showed Vince lied to him. It did. Like, he got that vindication, but it, it made him look so much less willing to do business than he actually was. 
So it's like, what did he actually get out of it? Now, it probably was the best wrestling documentary or movie of any kind up to that point, right? Documentary, certainly. Yeah. You know, when I, I give the caveat because I don't think I've ever seen Night in the City, and I'm sure someone's going to say that's the greatest wrestling movie ever made up to that point. But Well, you know what mine, my favorite movie always is. Would that be Body Slam? I like to hurt people. Yeah, well, that's that is what it is. Because um, it's so fucking, I mean, it's so fucking campy. Yes. How many pieces of silver, Creechman? <laughs> Captain Ed George. Yes, uh, promoter Joyce Farhat. Yes. But anything else from uh, right here? Stripper matches. <laughs> I do think it's interesting him saying that they killed the Hitman character. I, I, he's kind of right. Yeah. There's something besides just WCW misusing him. There's something in that swagger and everything that's just gone when he gets to WCW. And it's not just WCW. Yes. Um, what do you make of that all these re big wrestling names have already seen the movie and cried and told him how amazing it was, though? Maybe they did. Did he have a screening for them? Maybe backstage, yes. I would love to have seen that that room. Yeah, yeah. Did we ever determine whether or not Punk really tried to show the TNA locker room the 90-minute match with Hero? That was bullshit, right? <laughs> I guess. That was kid, a Kid Cash tall tale, wasn't it? Well, he's not very tall. <laughs> That's why he and uh, Jamie Noble were the pit bulls. Yes. But... Yeah, a lot, lot from Brett here. Um, you, I get where he's coming from about Jesse, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that for this week. <laughs> yes. Next week on Between the Sheets is Thanksgiving week. Oh, boy. So we're going to go back to the 80s in 1989, where Dave talks about how different the wrestling world is in just a matter of a year, basically. How uh, different Thanksgiving is in wrestling. So we'll talk about that, and uh, we'll have news on the differences in that. In in the NWA, we'll have news on Ric Flair now being the chairman of the booking committee. We'll also have Thanksgiving at the Omni. TV tapes at center stage featuring the return of Arn Anderson to the NWA. We'll also have Ric Flair and Great Muda on World Championship Wrestling during our week. So we'll have that. We'll have uh, news on the TV ratings, but Sawyer's return, changes within WCW's house show department, and an article in NWA in the New York Times, which Dave has a lot of thoughts about. Oh, in Japan, th that one. Okay. I thought that was in 90. In Japan, we have uh, the tag league going on in all Japan, one of the best tag leagues ever. And uh, we'll have news on that. Baba being impressed with the Nasty Boys. And one of Bix's favorite stories, Giant Baba gives a speech at a university in Tokyo where the fans want him to bring back a certain wrestler. And he and doesn't. you'll never guess who. New Japan, we'll have news on Sei Saguchi's uh, meetings in the United States, planning the Dome Show in February. Plus, their World Cup tournament begins. So we'll have uh, stuff on that. And why, just why Masaito isn't in New Japan during the tour. So there's that. Conan 
uh, is going to be coming to Stampede Wrestling. Funny we mentioned that, so we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah, what a Plus great we'll month have. he's going to have there. Yes. Plus, we'll have uh, Lucha stuff to talk about a little bit. We have even a little Puerto Rico to talk about a little bit. Uh, we have the indie scene, indie slash territory, whatever you want to talk about, where Jerry Blackwell had a rough week, so we'll talk about that. Um, Billy Jack Kane skips on another promotion after two weeks. We have news on that. We have the final episode of Continental Wrestling on television during our week. So we'll talk about that, including, um, you know, one of the most, uh, Steve Beverly called it one of the worst tasting angles, worst angles in taste, whatever you want to say, in uh, wrestling. But was it also less filling? Yeah, I guess. Jerry Lawler is turning heel in Memphis, and we have some clips on that one. As uh, he's being very entertaining. We got a lot of clips from Memphis during our week. USWA, they have a Thanksgiving uh, spectacular to talk about as well. Plus, Carrie Von Eric gives an interesting interview to a Dallas radio station. We'll have the end of uh, the Team Challenge series in the studio for the AWA as uh, they finally spawned up all yeah. We have. Um, Portland wrestling to talk about, including uh, Scotty the Body proposing marriage. We have an update on the Leah Maya via court case in Hawaii. Always fun to talk about. And then WWF Survivor Series 89. So, yes, another Survivor Series to talk about. And uh, But this is a classic Survivor Series show with Survivor yeah. Series matches featuring the end of Arn Anderson and the WWF. So, we'll have that plus a Saturday Night's Main Event, which here two days later. Featuring one of my favorite Saturday Night Main Event matches of the era. Hulk Hogan versus the Genius. And all kinds of other stuff as well. Uh, as Dave goes to a show in Oakland, if I'm not mistaken, during our week. It's just a regular house show. Plus, we'll have Ronnie Piper having his way with Brother Love. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. And since it's not Survivor, this is not so far, this is Thanksgiving week, we'll, we'll not have a guest. Okay. So there you go. Yes. All and, right. Uh, I did luck, by the way. Uh, same day uh, for Thanksgiving is this year, November 23rd. Yeah, there you go. All right. Big thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
time that you stand up is another chance to fall.